Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 117. This is just a Thursday freeform show. Let's chat. I said before the news, I meant to say let's chat about the news. I can always change the title before I publish it, but I was trying to rush to go ahead and get it posted up. But let's go ahead and chat. And um, I look forward to hearing from all you guys since I'll be away uh, this weekend. Let's go ahead and bring in the Tim. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but um, the Tim is here. <laughs> um, hey, Savvy. Um, how's it going? <laughs> um, How are you? What What do you want to talk about tonight, Tim? It's a free for all. Okay. Um, wanted to touch on a couple of things. First off, um, is it just me or does Kyle Kalinske now look like Jamie Lee Curtis? Oh damn! But. <laughs> I, I Especially try. with the gray hair and the glasses I, and that. How you I try not to to get on like the people's physical physical appearance, but except for uh, the the assholes <laughs> like James Carville, I call him the Crip Keeper because <laughs> keep, that motherfucker looks like Crip Keeper for real. But uh, very, it's just interesting to me, I think, how things have changed uh, politically in, in left independent media. It's just, everything's so yeah. different. I used to watch him all the time religiously, and then all of a sudden he started to go lib, I don't know what you call it, shit lib. But either way, I'm done with Ty, I really don't want to discuss him. I wanted to actually discuss um, Cornell West on mainstream media or corporate media, rather. And I was watching Jimmy Dore yesterday, and he did make a very good point about how Cornell was not adversarial enough. And I thought to myself, is that why they constantly invite him on because maybe his message isn't as clear as we understand it to be, you know? And I, I, I think maybe he, how do I say this without sounding like an asshole? I think he speaks too eloquent for our population to fully grasp the idea he's portraying when he's saying what he's saying. But the thing is, though, with politicians, typically presidential candidates do speak that way. Like, for example, Barack Obama spoke that way. Uh, you know, um, Hillary Clinton spoke that way. Like, typically they, they speak that way. Um, I think, you know, I, I saw, like, uh, Jimmy's uh, coverage. I think Jimmy was, you know, there's there's always room for improvement like for these candidates. But I do think that Jimmy was a little too harsh uh, on Dr. Wes. Um, and I'm just, you know, making comparisons here. And like, I know Jimmy, like I would tell, say this to Jimmy himself, like I, there's nothing to hide here, but I do think that I have to ask like, you know, why, why haven't I seen Jimmy have that criticism of RFK that way in reference to Israel and Palestine? You know, I haven't seen that. Not on his show. We've talked about it on my show. 
But I do felt like I think Jimmy was a little too harsh. Yes, like there is there are some things I think that Dr. West has to work on. I, I do think he needs to be a little bit more forceful. Um, I think that he can get there because I've seen him before go on to other shows when they were talking to him about Barack Obama and he just took the gloves off and like, he was like, no, he said like Barack Obama is not helping the black community. He was very, you know, a little bit more forceful about it. And I think what may be happening is I think that Cornell West, and I'm gonna invite him back on, but I think what he's trying to do is because he's on mainstream media, he's trying to not give them any other thing to go after to attack him on so it's kind of like if you go there and you're like mean or nasty then that's actually gonna make things uh worse for you that's another thing they can get you on and so i think that's probably what he's trying to do um but i think the reason why he's being invited on mainstream media is because he is popular he is well known and I would say the same thing, like if Jesse Ventura had ran with the Green Party in 2020, Jesse Ventura would also be on mainstream media. They would have to because it's someone that's popular. See, with Jill Stein, I think what a lot of people, sometimes people may forget before Jill Stein ran for president, like people did not know who Jill Stein was. She wasn't popular. She became popular after her presidential run. This time around, you have someone running third party as a presidential candidate that was already popular beforehand. And so they do see Cornell West as a huge threat. And in fact, I think they see him more of a threat than they do RFK Jr. Because he, number one, he's an academic, he's African-American. They know that Cornell West does have an appeal in the African-American community with, with certain populations of African-Americans. A lot of people love Cornell West, so they know they got to address him. And I think that's that's the big difference versus when like a Ralph Nader ran or Jill Stein ran, you know. So I think that's why he's being invited on. But you got to remember, Cornell West has been on those shows multiple times before uh, and has taken the gloves off and has debated people like Candace Owens as well. Right. I think the uh, credentials are a big piece too of why he gets on. They love those credentials. Yeah, I mean, you got because you guys got to think about it. Like, Cornell West isn't just, you know, he wasn't just a professor. Like, he's a philosopher. He's written multiple books. Like, he's mm -hmm. it, it's kind of hard. Also, it's kind of hard to be nasty towards a highly educated black man. That, that's 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 kind of difficult to do. So it's just. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder, though, like with. With Obama, it seems like he was more speaking to white America, to the white moderate to get that vote. No, you know, Obama, Obama spoke at black colleges, too. In fact, black universities like the HBCUs heavily came out for Barack Obama in 08. In fact, that's why he won as big as he did. Did you guys know that the black vote till since Barack Obama, in reference to percentage of black voters, even today, 
Barack Obama still holds that record for the largest percent of black voters. Even when you look at someone like when Jesse Jackson ran, he still holds that record. So the thing with Barack Obama was, you know, he he's a great speaker, obviously another one very well educated. But Barack Obama was smart, smart. Like, yeah, he did speak to the white moderate, but he also went and spoke at black universities. Okay. And you got to remember hmm. the message that Barack Obama also ran on. See, that's that's really important. Yeah, he ran on. Not. Yes, we can. And he ran on, you know, universal. That was another thing. He was the one at that point in time. He was talking about giving everybody health care. So he ran on a message that a lot of working class people, particularly, especially black working class people could identify with. So that's why a lot of people showed up to support him. But obviously we saw that's not how he was impressed. Oh, okay. I'm just wondering if there's a way he can, Cornell can get the message across without being stepped on the way he was with Anderson Cooper. Yeah, so I think the way it was with with that issue, with like the Ukraine issue, I really do think that one of the things that Jimmy said that I, I think was right is like he has to explain it in a way that the average American person can understand. And sometimes right. it can be difficult for people who are academics to do. I do 100% yeah. agree with what Jimmy was saying there because people at home, they don't know what these things mean. Like they don't know, like when you say the Mises, or not the Mises, the, um, the Minx Accords and stuff like that, they don't know what those things mean. So like you have to tell them. And so I think, you know, that, that is, that is something that can be difficult sometimes. Like how do you just explain this in terms that like the everyday person can understand? So yeah, I agree. That is something that he is going to have to work on. Right. And and that's why I'm, I'm, and that's where I say, you know, is it, and going on those platforms, I think he needs to speak in a way to cut through the propaganda that those audiences tend to have. Otherwise it will be glossed over. They think the way it was and, you know, just swept aside. And then who was on that? Who was that on the TV? I don't know, some guy talking about some wacko stuff, you know, and that's like, oh, you know, and then you're hearing this, like in the background, they say you're doing something, you know, seeing them plays everywhere and you're hearing this talk, you know, this is not something that pulls you away to go, wait, what, what did you say? What's going on here? What, what? Like, you know what I mean? And that's all I'm just saying. It's, just a, it's like a missed opportunity. And I just feel like, I, how do I, say? I feel that he's not going to, you know, take off the gloves and, and, and throw some haymakers. And I, I hope he does. I have hope that he actually does. And I think if he did stop, you know, playing nice with them and stop calling them brother. I mean, I don't know. That's just, uh, but well, the brother thing, and let me explain that to people who may not be aware. The brother thing is a religious thing. Because my mom, like if I go to my mom's church, like everybody at my mom's church calls everyone either brother or sister. Like that's just kind of how 
that is more of a, a religious thing, but I totally get like where you guys are coming from. I think what needs to happen is I think that, and you know, Jill can probably, you know, work with him, you know, on this. I think what needs to happen is I think that, yeah, I think he does need to take the gloves off a little bit more. I think he does need to be a little bit more forceful. But when people say it was a, a missed opportunity, I disagree with that because that wasn't the first conversation he had on CNN about his presidential campaign. Because I covered another conversation where he interviewed with Caitlin and he was on CNN and actually he dated that conversation. I think where he may have had difficulty is the interruption. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think I think where he may have had difficulty is the the interruptions because Anderson Cooper kept interrupting him. And a right. little tid a little tip that I would give Professor West is when people when you're interrupted and you're in those those interviews, keep talking. Right. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to shake you up. And also they don't like what you're saying. Obviously, you know, Anderson Cooper kept interrupting about the forum policy parts, because again, like I right. said, they don't want that message to get out. They don't want the narrative to get out. But I think when it comes to the Ukraine issue, like the way he explained it on my show or the way that he explained it on like RBN, that's the way he needs to explain it on CNN. Right. That's my point. Like he's talking to us and we know this already. Well, I'd and like we're to glad see. to hear somebody say it. Yes, go ahead. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, I, I'd like to see him really tie, just bring it back to the money as far as the, the Ukraine thing. I I think the best way yeah. to explain Ukraine is to just say that, you know, this, this war, like, like all, all the recent wars is, is all about money, you know, and it's all about, you know, paying off, you know, our military industrial complex, you know, our, that whole defense contractor, you know, arms dealers. And so I'd like to see him really hit, hit that. But um, I, I think he nailed it in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I think you have to remember that, that people love Cornell West and, and part of the reason they, they love him is because um, this is how he is. I mean, he's not, he's not someone who, who's looking to, to, to like win the debate and, and be, you know, and, and put somebody down and, and put them in their place. And the right. thing that I loved about it is that he, he called both parties corrupt. I mean, when, when have you ever heard that on CNN? You know, that's right. huge. That, that, he, 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 I, I think a lot of us here well, I think the the thing is are, are, are under, underestimating that. I mean, that's a big deal. <laughs> That is a really big deal because you don't hear that on CNN. You've heard people say it on Fox News. I've heard Jimmy say it on Fox News, but you don't hear that on CNN. But I will say this is that I think the problem is I think Jimmy is kind of looking at it as though why isn't Cornell West saying this the way that I would say it? And the thing is, is that that's not the way that Dr. West communicates with people. I think I think that is the thing, because I, I have to tell you guys, like I saw part of that last night. And I saw some of the comments um, in the live chat and people were getting turned off from supporting Dr. West, like based on what they saw. And I was just like, like people in the comments were like, that's why he shouldn't run. You should run instead, Jimmy, and, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, you know, I have to push back on this here a little bit and say, I felt like the criticism was a little bit too harsh. 
And again, you know, I haven't seen a 40 minute video about how bad RFK's take on Israel and Palestine has been. So what's it really about? And and I, guys, I've just been paying attention. Another thing I've noticed too, I have yet to see Dr. West on Cornell, um, excuse me, Dr. West on Jimmy Dore's show. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. Like, why hasn't he been on there yet? Oh no! Apparently, in the in his show, he said he offered to help with the campaign, and I guess it was he was denied. And maybe he has. I know that's what. I know, but this is what I'm talking about. So what's going on there? But as far as the RFK part goes, I don't think there's any like anything there because RFK is a Democrat, and what do we expect? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, <laughs> he's gonna tell but, us the Democrats bad. Yeah, we know the Democrats bad. He's a Democrat. <laughs> no, but the coverage of RFK has been favorable, though. Like that's the thing, and I'm not saying you can't talk about the good things that what, you mean on Jimmy's show. Yeah, the yeah. coverage of RFK it has, has been favorable. I, I guess it's been kind of thin, though. I don't know. I've yeah, it hasn't been. He hasn't been like vote for the man or anything like that. But he has. I, I, I do understand what you're saying. He has covered some stuff, and then he says at the end, like, "I don't like his take on Palestine." I mean, you could go more into depth on that, Jimmy. Like. Right, like people around there because I did see a lot of people that did support RFK in the chat too, and I was like, come on, like you could you could literally end that right now because that's the whole point, right? Your whole thing was fuck the Democrats, mm-hmm. never again will we vote for them. And Victor the, the but man, there are a, there are the man of- in the chat said, uh, I think Jimmy has a really soft spot for RFK because of his COVID critiques, and I think there's truth in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but still, and I get that, and I, I get it, but. There are a lot of RFK supporters in the chat. I have noticed that. But but still, so what? Like, there's people who watch my show that support RFK Jr. I still tell people the truth about the fact that his position on Israel and Palestine is bullshit. You know, right. like, it's it just, I'm sorry. I mean, like, I've I'm heard Jimmy say it, it but he hasn't, he hasn't covered it as a story. And no, I the, the coverage has been favorable. That's that's what I'm saying. And so, RFK, I, I don't know. No, I mean, the coverage about RFK has been favorable in general. It's been favorable. If you go right, back... Because it's mostly it's mostly the COVID stuff that, that, that he's really covering. He didn't go right. into a story about Palestine. He, I've heard him like literally mouth that he disagrees with, with um, what's his name? You know, I, I remember when he covered it, when he first said it about Palestine, when Dennis Kucinich was right there, he goes, isn't Dennis Kucinich's manager? Why didn't he tell him anything? Why would he say that? Why would he do this? You know, I, I do, I do understand the, what you're saying too, but I, I do, I don't think beyond beyond that that it's it's anything more. It was, than it, it was. Stuff. I don't know. It, it, it is not. It was. It has not been the same. I'm like, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just being honest. Like, it has not been the same because, and the reason why I say that is because there's also been coverage about you know his stance about the CIA and stuff like that too, not just the COVID stuff. But what oh, I'm yeah. saying is, you owe it to the audience to give people, you know, the good oh. and the bad with with all of those the candidates, even if a lot of them do support one of those candidates. That's just kind of how I look at it. And like, yeah, some people got mad at me right. when I told people I said RFK Jr.'s take on Israel and Palestine is a fucking no-no for me. And some people got mad. I was just like, oh, well, you just get mad. Like, look, right. I'm going to tell you the, the, the good and the bad, not just what you want to hear. But I think the thing is, is that 
yeah, I, are there things I think that Dr. West can work on? I 100% agree. I think there are things he could work on, but I just didn't feel like any of what I saw last night in reference to that coverage was was good at all. Like I felt like it was, it felt kind of like a bashing session and I'm like, what's going on here? And then I've noticed like RFK Jr. Same thing. I ain't seen RFK Jr. Back on Jimmy's show either since he announced his presidential campaign. And I haven't seen Cornell West on there and Cornell West has been on, you know, shows like multiple times. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And Cornell West has been on Jimmy's show before. Yeah. That um was also a part of force the vote and some part of this part of it makes me wonder if both of those candidates and i could be wrong but part of it makes me wonder if candidates have basically been advised not to go on the jimmy Dore show which is crazy considering he has such a large audience Huh? It wouldn't be the first time that that, that, that memo had gone out. <laughs> that's that's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering if candidates were advised not to go on Jimmy's show. And that would suck because, again, like I said, he does have, like, a lot of viewers there that they could reach. but And a lot of right-wing viewers, too, that jump on that, for some reason. But, and that's yeah. a whole lot of hearts and minds we can change. Yeah, but when I see RFK Jr. go on Breaking Points twice and he's been on Rising twice and those audience are conservative as well, what is really going on here? Hmm. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Like, why why has he not? He's been on Jimmy's show before. He's been on Jimmy's show multiple times before, before he ran. Yeah. But since he announced his presidential campaign, he has not come back on that show. These are just things I'm noticing. It could be nothing, but these are things that I have noticed. I wonder. (laughs) Oh, no, man. I just hope that Cordell isn't more worried about being a good Christian than he is about being an activist and, and fighting for us. That's just my only... That's my only... Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Maybe he looks back at some of the things that happened with the Bernie's campaign and maybe he's trying to avoid some of that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and I, and I understand like, you know, I know Christian, I grew up, I grew up in the church too. And I know like my dad was so devout that like I could go pay his water bill and he could think that Jesus literally walked into that place and paid his bill, you know? And, and it's, it's, it, it kind of like for me, it's kind of it's hard for me to get behind a candidate who has that type of religious belief because I can't understand how rationally a person can come to that, you know, without evidence. All of them have, and, and then all of them have religious belief, right? This which is why I, you know. In this case, I do the lesser of two evils, voting with, with the religion part. Like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, it's, I, I don't know. And, and to, to know somebody who's a philosopher and that educated and still, and, and somebody who understands logic and reason beyond what I do, maybe I'm missing something, you know, but I just, 
I, I don't know I mean, how. If you guys, I think it has something to do with the whole God and country thing. Because if you guys think about it, every president we've had in this country um, yeah. has been Christian. Catholic? <laughs> yeah. Has been Christian, except for, I guess we don't consider Catholicism Christian, but um, because JFK oh, was... Yeah, he was he was Catholic, and even that was a big deal at that time. Right. Well, it's because of the whole reason the, the whole reason why there's this about the book about Catholicism is because of the Pope being the head of the church. So if you have a president that's under a Pope that's a head of a church that can give direction down the line, I think that's the whole that was the whole thing about well we can't have this. I think that's the only hangups about Christian about. Catholicism, but with Christianity in general, yes, I do agree they've all been Christians. Yeah. I think it's seen as a marker of goodness, you know, they're a good Christian. And it just helps in the uh, I wish they would read the Bible and they would see it's not a mark of goodness. But that's my opinion. But all right, Tim. Um thank you so much though. I do appreciate your perspective. I you did actually open my eyes to some other new avenues I should explore and see what's going on. And thank you so much. I appreciate your time. All right. Based. Let's bring in uh, Daniel. Daniel, you're on the mic. What's up? Just got to hit unmute. Um, hi there. Um, sorry about that. Um, can you uh, put me on hold and cut the next person? I'm sorry for calling. But I wanted to talk about UFOs. Um, put you on hold. I can't put you on hold. Okay. Um, we'll oh, have to get sorry. Back the, we'll have to get back in the queue. Yeah, I think if you take okay. Else from the queue, you can go back. Yeah. Okay, I can talk now. Um, oh, okay. I'm, okay. I want to talk about UFOs real quick, and I saw your um, TV show on it, and. And um, I wanted to give you a warning when going down the UFO field that you're not supposed to know about it. And if you're going to want to go down it, I recommend that you interview um, Nick Redfern. You ever heard of him? No, but people sent me a couple of names to contact to in reference to the UFO situation. Yeah. Well, he does research of the um, sub su subject. He actually goes into uh, files and stuff, and um, he's one of the person. The people you also need to, need to know who to avoid because they'll send you down a rabbit hole into nonsense. And the one person on top of my list is Michael Sala. Just avoid him. He's nuts. He's crazy, and I think all his people are just made up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I got to go. Sorry about that. Bye-bye. All right, Daniel. All right. Let's bring in Ashura. Kissing him. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Ashura? I'm good. I didn't know I was next. I guess the UFO guy was too much. <laughs> hey, am I the only one that just loves, like, is curious about the stuff? I might be. I don't know. Uh, until they come, they come to Earth, I'm not going to believe it. Uh, I didn't know the thing about the Jimmy stuff. I mean, I, I saw just a tiny bit, 
because normally when I watch Jimmy, I tend to listen in my phone's in my pocket. And I heard I came on and we was like 23 minutes late and I, I caught only the super chats. One of them said that Jimmy was angry because Cornell was in his shadow because he should have run. That's the only thing I caught from the super chat. Somebody but, said that. Someone paid to send that. That's yeah. Like, well, yeah, because uh, Jimmy doesn't read the chats. And uh, it's, uh, what's her name? Uh, Steph, who basically is the one managing the chat. But most people, when they when they, they want to say something to Jimmy, they'll super chat dumb shit to him. And Jimmy will just ignore it. And the only time I saw Jimmy got testy with other people was when they saw say other dumb shit about cops. He's not pro-cop. He's uh, Medicare for All is like sandwich or some shit. He went after one guy after Medicare for All, even though because Jimmy personally suffered from that shit. For, not Medicare for All, but like with the debt. And he went hard on him. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Jimmy's talked about that before, about medical debt. Yeah, because they had to use their savings. Yeah, as for the RFK thing, yeah, I do agree that uh, I have been thinking about that for a couple of days, though, that they have been overly positive, like, things said about RFK on the channel. I think the only time he's ever said about uh, Cornel West was when uh, Chris Hedges was there, and then there was a, maybe maybe two videos or three. This is, like, maybe the third video. I could be wrong. Maybe it could be five videos of Cornel West. Yeah, but it is true that there's more videos about uh, RFK there than Cornell, and I think it's because Jimmy got like uh, he got vax injured, and I guess that thing stuck with him. And plus, you got the whole thing. I think basically COVID and trying to uh, explain what the fuck was going on with COVID to the shit libs. That's another factor that broke Jimmy so much that basically the content is just overload of COVID. And I yeah. can't basically sometimes I comment in the chat. I say, "Yo, Jimmy, you can't let just COVID be the one thing in your on your channel. People call you the COVID guy." <laughs> I was, yeah, I, I I know what you mean by that too. But I, I will just say I think that um, I think that um, it's it's just something I've noticed. I've noticed it uh, actually with Rising too. Rising has a lot of positive videos about RFK Jr. like daily. Oh, they, but that's because they 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 they're trying to hide Crystal Ball's bullshit. They're trying to forget that one. Probably a lot of people uh, tapped out. Could be. I, I don't. I don't know. I just think that you know. It's, it's, it's something I have noticed. It is something I've noticed. And I think that, um, but I, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know. But for some reason, I I mean, someone brought this to my attention the other day and they said, has so-and-so been on the show or da-da-da and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, damn, you know what? I'm like, I haven't seen these people go back on to Jimmy's show since they announced they were running. Well, that was the thing. Um, it's true that Jimmy will be very harsh on, like, if you don't call it, like, both parties. He tends to call it both parties, and then people will say, oh, well, he only focuses on trashing the Republic, the Democrats, but doesn't say anything about the Republicans. I'm like, he has talked about the Republicans. He just doesn't do it ad nauseum, because you can go on any fucking shit-lib channel, and that's all you get. So why would I basically want to basically talk, keep talking about the uh, Republicans go both sides? It where you get everybody else. You can go on CNN, MSNBC, Kalinsky. They'll give you fucking Republican hate shit because the Republicans 
never really promise you anything. They'll do the cultural bullshit and the Democrats will do the cultural bullshit too, but they'll promise you bullshit that they're never really going to give you. Well, I think that's, that's my thing too, is just like, again, like everyone says, come back to Republicans. None of those Republican candidates promised me Medicare for all. Exactly. Oh, by the way, um, when it comes to Stacey, uh, <laughs> this girl can't stop. Uh, the moment I saw her, like, uh, you ever heard that song that said, Stacey's girl has always getting, I'm like, I don't know if you ever remember that music. Stacey's mom. Yeah, Stacey's mom. Yeah. For some reason, that was the music that popped in my head because she was just being annoying. <laughs> I'm like, come on, girl. Like, really? Again? You're you're trying to make yourself like some legit shit. You're just some girl in the Virgin Islands. You're basically a I don't know if I can say the word on Colin. Oh yeah, I'm calling, yeah. Okay, so okay, I'm gonna just you're just a coon from the Virgin Islands. They put you there to dance <laughs> and you'll fucking dance for them. And you'll basically and then you pretend that the Democratic Party's not doing anything, they're not doing any censorship, and she was doing censorship right in your foot, in your face. Everything she got called out. Oh, I'm not doing that. She works mm-hmm. hard for the money, man. I always remember. It's all about the oh, money. She's doing it for those dollars. Are you trying to put and her are you donor to put, are you owners? List here, Eric. She's working hard for the money. <laughs> you, you did it. So Eric. hard for it, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you did it there. I'm like, come on. Like, why is she there? Like, why can't they just put her out? Like. You're not even part of. You're not American. You're not even from the U.S. And you, you're, you're there. Right, but you know why she's it. there, right? She's representing her constituents, and they ain't us. She, she's from New York, but she represents the Virgin Islands. She represents the billionaires. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then it's not anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, plus, you got Mike Kalinsky. Uh, his dumb take. <laughs> you know that dumb hair, like the haircut he has, like the coloring. Some people say that uh, during the wedding, he didn't have the hair. He didn't have the color. I guess Crystal Ball told him, "We're not getting married unless that hair color goes away," and he got it back on. <laughs> it's in the prenup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was in the prenup. <laughs> it's either that hair color or it's me. I don't care about people's like the, the personal. <laughs> The personal shit. I just, for me, it's just get the facts straight. Like, I don't mind being petty. Uh, you, that's you, Sabrina, but I, I don't mind being petty. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't mind, if you want to say something, Roger, go ahead. Ah, well, I'm, I wasn't going to, like, you know, interrupt whatever. Okay. Uh, the thing about it, he said he lied throughout the entire shit and then pretends like he's not going after Cornell West. I can tell you who we have to call him was because that one section he says, "Oh, you're a shit on Democrats," but you leave over the Republicans. I'm like, "Who are you talking about? Name some names." And then he does on some bullshit that the Democrats are a trillion times better than Republicans. Like the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and better and better than them on which issues? And I say that because right now they're not better than them on the censorship issue. Yeah, I think um, I felt this what Jimmy was saying yesterday. I felt the same way, but I felt it was a bit overkill. <laughs> like, did you see it? too? Oh, you saw it too, Roger. 
yeah, I'm like, okay, the, this this is not something worth losing your shit over. Okay, if 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 you think he's doing a bad job or whatever, join his campaign. Okay, but here's here's my yeah. Thing. That's what I was gonna say. Is like like have be constructive about it and. Oh, oh my God! I was like, all oh, that's really not necessary. But people were oh, giving, telling Kurt to shut up and everything. Well, yeah, people were saying it was the Kurt guy that was doing the same. They said Jimmy told him to shut up. He, but he did. Like, he he did. But that's what I'm saying, um, Roger. He said he did reach out. Oh, that's what he, that's what he said in the show. He said he reached out. Yeah, they even said that in the chat. I think the the Jimmy Door, uh, like the chat name, I, I think it was Steph typing it in. It said like we tried to get uh, talking to Cornell West to help out any way possible. Oh, okay. Because well, somebody read the chat and somebody well, read that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you have to be adversarial on air towards them. I mean, you can well, still have, have a constructive viewpoint. You, know? you can be adversarial. You just don't have to do overkill. <laughs> lose your shit over it but here's the thing i already see it happening again we are um on a subconscious level because we're doing it by habit okay we are still and just well speaking like in jimmy's case he's still like a lot of people in the in the mindset of it's going to be the politicians that save us. Okay. He lives in California. He has money. He's a millionaire and he has resources and he has reach. Okay. All that stuff he could put toward starting a ballot initiative for California. He wants single payer. He could get Cal care using that process. All of these things that see, cause, cause what happens is you're putting your, your, yeah, okay, just like I remember that time I seen um, a Trump supporter get um, crying. He was like being interviewed and he felt that he was on his last dime or his last hope. Only Trump can do it. I don't know what I'm going to do if Trump doesn't get in or whatever, whatever. That's because we're placing our our hopes and our dreams and all of this stuff. Now, I don't know what state that guy lived in, but hopes and dreams on on on, on politicians when we have the power to do it ourselves, at least half the country, okay? I know when you when the citizen ballot initiative states started, then eventually the non-citizen ballot initiative states are going to start right afterwards. You know what I mean? I'm, like, already out of that mindset of, of like, okay, well, West is running. Okay, that's cool. Like, that's nice or whatever the case is. But I'm just not like, come on, West. Come on. You know, I'm just like, all right, let me see what I could get done statewide so roger can i pitch an idea to you what if what if we try to have a movement that encompasses both yes can well, we I, have I, yeah. a full-up movement with of course my pet thing a set of demands that yes. both encompasses say let's do it with ballot initiatives let's do it with cornell west let's do it with protest direct action the whole thing yeah, and I the challenge is how how can we make that happen you know and do, yeah, no, do all I, the I, things i was saying that i don't know about a week something ago first announced, I was just like, look, if you, I don't know if you remember, um, Eric, but I did, I did say, um, if everyone all of a sudden can find the energy and the, and the, you know, like it was right when he announced he was running, I was like, all of a sudden, everybody wants to help him and help him get ballot access and all that stuff. And I said, oh, okay. So all of a sudden you found somebody that 
Now you find the energy and the know-how to try to get them on the ballot, which is the same process as getting an initiative on the ballot. And, the, and you know what I'm saying? And the, re, and, the, and the reality is, I was like, well, you could do both. And the reality is, is that here's the thing, and it's what I said before. These people, Anderson Cooper and, and all these other knuckleheads that talk about, oh, the third party peeled away this much amount of votes. Look at the percentage that they got. Oh, I was like, you fools. Like I said before, Stein, Perot, Nader, Hawkins received zero electoral college votes. That's how we elect presidents. It's like they weren't even in the race. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is this, um, we have a better chance at getting these policies passed at state level than we have a chance at getting uh, West, not even elected, but even getting a single uh, uh, electoral college vote. You see what I'm saying? So, I, I'm, yeah, yeah, combine it, okay? If, if you want to be like, hey, I'm trying to get West on the ballot, but at the same time, I'm trying to get get a, some signatures to get single payer for blah, blah, insert state. Yeah, let's do all the things. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, no, I, I mentioned that before. I'm, I'm right there with you. But, you know, like... I thought, I thought Dr. West did a pretty good job um, knocking that point down because Anderson... Oh, it was so ridiculous. Anderson Cooper, like, he, he, he actually preceded his question with, I know you've been asked this a million times. It's like... Well, you got to remember, he's CIA also. Wait, what he's the Vanderbilt. Trump wins. <laughs> like... Yeah, that, that's why I kept saying, like, I know some people are like, why you keep bringing up that he's a Vanderbilt? Because that's really important. Like, Y'all need to know that. His job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and But anyways, I, I thought Dr. West knocked that. I, I think he did hit the point that, that there, there, there weren't even enough votes there mathematically, and those people would have come out. I, I think he did hit that pretty well, as I recall. Well, that's the only thing they've got. Like, that's the only thing they got against third parties. So you got to knock this one out of the park every time. Call it their bullshit. The one thing I disagree about Cornel West, like every time he talks about Joe Biden, he always brings that Trump is a gangster shit, I mean, and he basically ups Trump up and then lowers Biden in a sense. I'm like, bro, just make it fifty fifty, or basically show that talk about Biden's history, because Trump's Trump's history is not going to overshadow or bypass Biden. Biden will still trump him. Like like Nick says, uh, Trump, Biden is just humiliating Trump on all the bullshit that he's doing. Yep. He's, making, he's making him look weak. So he needs to cut that shit. He needs to go 50-50 or basically call out Biden completely. I mean, he, he's uh, been hitting Biden pretty good. I mean, he he was, you know, he basically says, you got this joy where Biden's bringing us World War Three. I think that's a pretty strong talking point. Well, it's like he says it on RBI one thing, but when he goes on the news, like he basically almost doesn't mention that. And it looks like he said that to Anderson Cooper. He said he said basically said Biden's bringing us World War Three. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this and just let people and let people in. Uh, I saw your tweet, Sabrina, so I commented on it, and there were still people uh, somehow telling you. That somehow Marianne is still better than, than than Cornell West. I got somebody basically come after me with two comments telling me that Marianne is on our side. Uh, she's a leftist. She's this and that. She has the same position as Cornell West. Oh, Why I don't even. I don't even read like those. There are a couple of accounts that are people that are working on. They work on Marianne's campaign. 
I know because they've contacted. Yeah, some of those people contacted me privately. I don't even read those, whatever those accounts say. I don't even read those accounts. So yeah, whenever they comment and stuff like that, I don't even, I'm like, oh, it's that person. I don't even read it. I was like, uh, I was like, they, we're not the same. She's not in the same camp as Cornell. She's a, she's a capitalist Democrat. She's selling her book to her. And then she yeah. kept coming back with two, two comments with me. I'm like, I, I said, yo, you want me to list every fucking thing that Marianne has been parroted by Kalinsky to fucking say? Like, if you want to talk about Republicans, you go go watch all these other channels. I'm not going to fucking list every fucking thing. You can basically go look that up. Yeah, those those people, those, I, I know who you're talking about. Like, those accounts, those are people that are a part of her campaign. Yeah, because it wasn't a guy, it was a woman. So I don't know if it's the same person if you basically see my tweet in your thread. It's, yeah, it's the same people. Like, they, they're a part of her campaign. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm going to log off. Just of influencing the candidate, Cornell's side, we have uh, Jill Stein um, kind of whispering in his ear. And I think that's pretty cool. I, I think I've been hearing more better based things from Cornell that, that sound like they're coming from Jill Stein. So. I think so, too. That's that's awesome. What's going on, um, Jacoby? Hey, what's up, Miss Sabrina? I'm giving you flowers all the way from Portland, Oregon. Um, um, I just want to say thank you so much for the, the hard work you guys put in. And, um, I find myself very informed, being informed every single day. Um, on the second note, anyone knows Kyle Kalinsky's hair? Why does he look like he, why does he look like he, uh, why does he look like a school shooter for some reason? He looks kind of, he gave me those shooting vibes. <laughs> okay. No. Yes, I, I used to listen to him a long time ago, and then he started kind of backtracking and doing other. I said, I can't, I can't. But when he started going after Jimmy, I said, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm done. Uh, and uh, also for Cornell West, if it was me, I would stay off those mainstream media because they're not going to give him the respect that he is due. They're there to trip him up, get him off his game, to make him to to make him look dumb, which in, in essence, he's not dumb. He's a very smart man, but they're not going to let him speak. Um, and that is one mistake that if you're not willing to push back, then don't get on CNN. CNN is one of the mainstream medias that forced me to take a vaccine that I did not want to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am a caregiver and we were forced here in Oregon to take it. We didn't, we didn't get a choice. And I never had any severe symptoms of COVID until the Omicron, until I took the booster. I got COVID twice. So I don't know if I can ever forgive um, the, the the government for what they've done and to everybody else. Um, and also the black folks that are in California that's homeless, that don't get anything. And just homeless people for a period that doesn't get anything. And yet we're giving all this money to Ukraine and we're giving and we're just opening up the borders. We're not taking care of our people first. Uh, I don't mind helping other folks. We're here to help, but we do it in the right way. I'm waiting for my wife to come here. I had to follow the process. It's been a year. I'm still waiting for an answer, but I follow the rule. And I'm just sitting here watching this and I'm just, I'm just fed up. And, uh, you know, they, it, I can say a lot, 
But what I would say to you is let's stay the course. Let's not get so emotional. Oh, it's Dr. Cornell West. He's going to save the day. Well, we all fell for that for Bernie and look what happened. So we need to make sure that Dr. Cornell West is staying the course that he doesn't get off track and, uh, and not get so emotional. Then when things happen, we get upset. We have to use our votes as a business transaction. Voting is a business transaction, not an emotional transaction. And I, I think about that every single day because when I think about Joe Biden, because I didn't vote for the man, and I didn't vote for, for um, Trump either, um, I think about the 94 crime bill. I'm 41 years old, and, uh, you know, we lived through the crack epidemic. Now, we, a lot of us are fortunate enough not to have our families get, um, get involved in it, but it affected us in many different ways and affected our community. And I think about that, and I think about my vote or my mom, my grandma's vote that put other black folks in prison. So, and they're never coming out. But now here in Oregon, you know, we passed a measure here to help people to not put them in prison for, you know, meth and heroin and things like that to get treatment for them. But in the revision, what we didn't know was they don't have to take it. So now folks are just stealing and doing all types of stuff and they're on that fentanyl and people are, the businesses are closing down over here. But they call that a health crisis. So, I, you know what I'm saying, man? I, I, maybe I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of maybe rambling, but I, I just want to say, stay the course. Voting is a business transaction. And until you, until the Democrats start playing, until you stop playing with the Democrats, they'll stop playing with you. Because I have no plan to vote for Democrats. I really don't. It's either going to be Cornell West or the Orange Man. I'm not voting for that. I'm not voting for a Democrat. He and, said the orange <laughs> man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because here's the thing. I don't think we would have gone to war or a conflict with Russia. I really mm -hmm. don't. Um, I don't think there would have been hyperinflation. I don't think there would have been mandates for vaccines. But yet Dr. Fauci is allowed to lie under Congress and get away with it. And even his, even the more I think about it, his, I get, I'm starting to get a little bit on the, on the tinfoil creepy side, but I somehow think they deliberately released that, that, you know what, out in the open. It's okay. You can, you can say it on here. Okay. Because Colin, I think they is, just, I, Colin is owned by Rumble, So you're, you're safe to say it on okay, here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think they delivered. I think they deliberately released that um, that COVID virus, and they downplayed it. And uh, and here we are. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but somehow, I mean, truth. I mean, being black is truth is stranger than fiction, you know. So I wouldn't put it past them. Jacoby. Um, yeah. Um. So tell me, can you go a little bit more into um? When you said that you, you guys passed the uh, ballot measure for a right to health care and you said something mm -hmm. about fentanyl and someone's doing what now? Yeah, so I think it was measure 114 and yeah. it, was to, it was to decriminalize harsher drugs. And I was like, I was thinking about when I was voting, I was thinking about the 94 crime bill and what it did to 
black people. And I said, you know, I don't want to do that for other people. I wouldn't wish that on anybody else. If they're going to minimize the, the punishment to get them help, then go, let's go ahead and do that. Let's not put people in prison. Oh, no, that's not what happened. <clears throat> oh, that's not what happened. Oh, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Walmart Walmart closed down. They And then we went, me and my mom, we went to uh, the Cracker Belly. So we're going to go back there. And then next week they closed down. And then um, REI closed, is closing down. And it, it just, uh, it's just a, a, a plethora of folks closing down. And people don't seem to understand how tax money is used to fund these sources. And uh, uh, it's, it got so bad that Fred Myers is over here arming security officers. So, yeah. So, so, so I'm trying to make, I guess I'm trying to make the connection between, you said when you decriminalized drug fentanyl, yeah. and then that led to Walmart closing. I, I, well, it, 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 the crime spree just shot up through the roof. A um, lot more break-ins, people stealing cars. We had our van stolen. Because they decriminalized um, it. You yeah, see. they did. Yeah, in in return, decriminalizing it would give them more treatment. It would not be just throwing them into jail. They're coming out more harsher than it was already. Maybe that's the reason why you guys passed ratified the uh, the last measure last year with the right to yeah. health care amendment. Even though yeah. that passed by like fifty dot seventy three percent. Yeah, you have people in there that think that you don't have a right to health care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, that's actually going to get appealed, I think. So that hasn't been fully um, done yet. So, what do you mean? Um, well, they passed it, you know, for Medicare, kind of a Medicare for all thing. But I think they did it. I, I forget how they did it through some. They didn't do it the right way. It might it might it might end up going up to the uh, Oregon Supreme Court. It was again. If I remember correctly, when I read the ballot measures for Oregon, it was they established that health care, um, everyone had a right to health care. Yeah, so right. I'm looking at it right now, and it was, uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's an amendment. So that would be kind of hard for the court. Usually the court would strike down a law saying, well, that's not uh, compliant with the Constitution. But uh -huh. I really I, there's, there's no way I could see a court striking down saying something that's already in the Constitution is not constitutional. Well, I wasn't sure. I, my understanding, what I heard, I couldn't confirm this, but it, I think it was passed through the school funding. I, so th if that's the case, then uh, that might be a problem. So no, it's just saying that it's a, that you guys have a right to health care. It, it's, it's not like... Uh, it, it's, it's just kind of like just saying you have a, a right. They, there wasn't really anything. Now, it's one thing if you guys were to uh, run a measure, which I think you should, uh -huh. to, to outlaw private health insurance companies in your state as a valid measure um, uh -huh. and, have, and have the state cover. Just pretty much just the same thing as the New York Health Act that we're trying to pass, which is above Medicare for All because Medicare for All leaves the private insurance companies in the mix while the new, okay. york, the new york health act would outlaw them from operating in the state of new york period which okay. would which would force the government to pick up the tab for everything mental dental vision hearing prescription drug medication hospital stay nursing homes all of that regardless yeah. regardless of your citizenship and um even if you don't live here but you work here Okay, so, I got you. So 
you since since your state is a state that allows you to uh, run citizen measures, <laughs> think about maybe you know getting some people together. And I'm, mm-hmm. you, know, you probably get people here too, probably donate or whatever, to okay. run to run a ballot measure as an amendment, not a, not a statute, but as an amendment that okay. is a, for single payer, but also for a public bank as well. Right. Okay, that's something to look into. Okay. I'll send. Guess, I'll send. I'll send you. Oh, okay. Cool. I put it in the chat. Oh, you put it in the chat? Okay. I put it in the chat for you. Okay, got you, bro. I got one more thing. If if Cornell West is the nominee and he somehow becomes president, I hope he breaks up the, the corporate media companies um, because it is not fair media coverage or real journalism uh, when you have Jeff Bezos owning, what is it, the New Yorker or the or the Wall Street? Washington one of the, Post. The Washington Post. That's not real journalism and it, it borderlines on the on slander what they do a lot of times and and i thought they we learned our lesson from the iraq war and apparently i guess we never learned our lesson um yeah it should be some type of constitution um where where you are sworn um to you know speak the truth you can have your opinion it just can't be mixed in with the truth but i was i would love to see a breakup of the media you know if billionaires are owning companies like that they can't own a cable company and a news company at the same time it should there should be something to be done about that and and you two should be sued for what they've done to people's channels and um stuff like that like i said before youtube and google should not be connected no no and and, and they shouldn't and um, but yeah, uh, I got a resident here. I'm about to put him to bed. I want to say thank you so much, ma'am. And, and check the chat. Yeah. Put in the chat, bro. Okay, okay, thank you. Y'all have a blessed night. Thank you. You too, Jacob. Okay. You too, Jacob. You too. too. Um, bye bye. All right, let's bring in. Uh, I want to bring in Noel because I know Noel's been waiting for a minute, and then we'll go to Zach. What's up, Noel? Hey, good evening, everybody. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I am the eternal pessimist here. And I have to say, with respect to Cornel West's, you know, attempt to secure the nomination for the Green Party, I think we can't lose sight of what that project really represents. And that's, you know, building out the third wheel or third party initiative that will disrupt the system. Because, You know, what I see more and more, especially through the committee hearings on the weaponization of the agencies of the government, yada, 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 that clearly we have had malfeasance at the highest levels on both sides of the partisan divide, and neither is willing to give an inch to just admit that this system is broken and that, you know, we need to build out something better. They are deeply entrenched in their partisanship on the surface. But beneath the surface, the oligarchy and the empire is doing its best to, to continue forward. You know, you know, when you look across this whole thing across the arc of time, 
this project of capitalism undergirded by white supremacy has not changed. And I see it grinding its gears down. People are becoming more and more aware of the charade that government is, but at the same time, you know, realizing the enormity of the project to get this thing, you know, right steered, and it's just not happening. And, you know, I think Dr. West aptly, you know, describes the situation or the risk as, you know, Trump posing an uber domestic polarization that can, you know, yield a different type of authoritarianism that leads to some type of civil war or what have you. And then Biden being the representing the same quotient of energy on the foreign policy level, which would lead us to a third world war. So, but when you add the two together, these are the two faces of an empire's project. You know, you got the people on the inside who want to move to an authoritarianism and both sides are willing to go. But the authoritarianism and fascism that Trump represents is deeply, you know, more racially polarized than what the Democrats want to go to just yet. They're more focused on the externalities in terms of, you know, America obtaining full spectrum dominance internationally, this and that, but they're equally destructive forces. And I think we can't lose sight in terms of what Cornell's run represents is that putting a wedge in the system between the two parties and forcing a different reality to be mediated and negotiated. It is not about him winning. It is about him creating that credible source for the discontent of the majority of Americans who see themselves as independent and giving them that space to build and organize and create something. It has to be a long-term project and people have to see it that way. So getting, you know, too heavily invested in the minutia of what's happening as he attempts to get his campaign going, I think can be, you know, demeaning and diminishing in a way that it doesn't need to be. We have to keep our eyes on the long term. Personally, I feel like this empire is so deeply um, down the rabbit hole towards collapse. I just really don't see us being able to collect and organize, especially across race and class, quick enough to pull ourselves back from this brink. And you know, when I look at what's going on in the natural world in terms of the heat crisis and the flooding and this thing, that Mother Nature is basically saying you've run out of time. And to effectively respond to the, the climate crisis, we need a government that's not trying to, you know, use polarities to, to, to gain the upper hand and dominance for capital. We need an organized government that's really focused on these issues and making the tough choices and using the nation's resources to arrest where we are going with climate. But that's not what we see in the least bit.
We see capitalists gaming the system, using the media to control and manufacture consent. And this is a nowhere project. So I just see, and you know, when you think of this globe, the climate thing, it is happening globally. It's not just, you know, in the United States or, you know, the, the heat dome over the South and Southwest or the flooding that we see in, you know, New Jersey and Pennsylvania or where have you. It is global and the response will have to be global and we're nowhere near that. So I just think, you know, to save my own emotional self, you know, I try and look to the long term. Um, I think Dr. West, you know, in terms of him as a candidate for me at this point, he is still bringing too much um, lecture, too much minister to the thing. And I am still waiting for him to definitively say I will not be endorsing Joe Biden or Donald Trump under any circumstances. I need to hear him say that definitively because he tends to deflect from those issues and yields a softer critique to Biden than he does to Trump. You know, and I know that's because Trump poses this, you know, more existential threat domestically. But I need him to, and I guess personally, I need to hear him say that so I can, you know, be more invested in the long-term thing. Because if he, under any circumstances, endorses Joe Biden in the end saying, oh, but he's better than Trump, that is just going to be a nightmare. So Noel, um, how do you not lose all hope? I am trying my best not to, but... You know, again, when you look across the spans of time at where this nation has come from and where it is going and where it is now, it's only been getting worse, 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 worse. It has not made improvements in a way that suggests that we're turning a corner and not being the capitalist, white supremacist nation that this country has always been. Those dynamics change form, but they persist. We still have those problems. They look different, you know, but it's still the same thing that everything in this nation is being used to give more power and control to the elite. And that is where this nation was headed from the beginning. You could argue that in as much as this nation was began and started through slavery, that we're going back to the future. That's where they're trying to go, because, you know, arguably during the slavery period, the people who owned the plantations and this and that were controlling the economy and the majority of everything else they're with. And that's where we hit it again. Only this time, the slave owners of these big corporate, you know, companies and corporations and things. But it's the same ideology that the few who own the most will rule the world. And that's why I continue to say it's a plantation nation because that piece of it has been consistent. So I try not to lose hope, but we really are in a space where there is a reasonable amount of palatable hopelessness. With all the suffering we see, we don't see that suffering centered in the media. We don't see them focusing on the homeless or this and that. It is still all about the arguments and the narrative. 
which the, the two parties are wrestling to frame in a way to keep control. But, but nobody's really saying, you know what? We really have a crisis here. We really have a food crisis. We have an energy crisis. We have a climate crisis. And those are the dominant themes and we need to be dealing with them. We're not getting that. And until we get that, we will continue this downward spiral. And I may be, if I may, um, a bit more negative tonight because I don't know if any of you heard, but this past weekend, there was a Uber or Lyft driver who was uh, murdered in Virginia. His name was Kirk Nims. He was originally from Ohio and he happens to be someone that I knew personally. And he was a church friend that I've known for years. And so I found that deeply troubling because I'm thinking, you know, you're trying to do a job, a gig job, but there is a risk to that. And I just, you know, so I'm just, I'm in a bad place, arguably, but um, I still think on the big picture, you know, so much is just, it's just not moving anything towards the right direction. Can I just say like, uh, you know, a lot of kudos to Uber and Lyft drivers because it's not like that can be a dangerous gig. You never know who's going to end up hopping in your car. You know, like they, their profile says one thing, but that don't mean that you're not going to end up with a psycho. I'm just saying. And you know what, Sabrina, when I got the news on Sunday and it was a situation where I was waking up, I turned on the TV, I was still half asleep, this and that, but I heard what I thought was the name. And by the time I dialed in, the little piece was over. But once I had it confirmed through another church friend that that was indeed him, I couldn't shake the thought that when he got up that morning to do his job, he never probably had any idea that that would be the last day of his life. And it reminds me of how, you know, precarious our lives are and how we really are literally here today and gone tomorrow. But I think about that because I'm saying he had no idea when he picked that person up that that would be the person would put him on his cooling board. And I just had, I've been praying over it. I've been trying to pray for the family, but, and he was much younger than me. And I'm saying, you know, people, and then I found out that one of my former coworkers who was a young lady as well committed suicide. So it's just, people are hopeless. People are struggling and, you know, just everything seems to be moving in directions that are signaling to us that something is really, really out of kilter. And the best we can do is preserve our emotional and spiritual states as we try and fight. But understand that this fight is almost lost, I, I believe. You know, you well well said, Noel. Yeah. Um, Noel, you always have wise words for us. I really appreciate you. Um, th- thank you for having me on, Sabby. Um, I, the first thing I wanted to ask, um, I unfortunately haven't been able to catch your show in a little bit. Have, have you talked about the North Korean defector? I was wondering your opinions on that. Not yet. Someone sent that to me, but it was before, it was actually, I felt like it was like an hour or so, like before I went live and I was like, oh man, I just, <laughs> 
it's too late for me to cover this now, but um, I'll be able to talk about it uh, when I come back Tuesday night. Yeah, it's it's really weird. There's like very little information. So it's leaving me and uh, a couple of people on here that I've talked to uh, in speculation mode. We're, we're chomping at the bit waiting for any information because, you know, the propaganda is North Korea is this, you know, dictatorship hellhole. Why would, uh, I think it was a U.S. service member, uh, defect. I, I'm, I'm so ready for more information. Mm, mm, mm. Very sad, very, very craziness. I'll, yeah, I have to look into it. Um, but, uh, what else is on your mind, Zach? So the big thing I wanted to talk about tonight and, um, uh, I have a comrade on here, Bide. He goes by Joe Byron. He did a show on kind of the the strikes and all that. That have um, it kind of featured that. We talked about that a little bit um, with the WGA and all that. I, I was wondering, just I didn't have anything to talk about, so um, I wanted to ask, why do you think that labor at large? doesn't organize for their power because we are their freaking power and we are their money. It, I, I think about this a lot. I'm disabled, so I've never worked. I, I always want to ask people in the quote unquote working class. I, I don't want to be adversarial, right? Um, but I, I love it as, as a thought question. Why don't you... Why don't you try do your best to take the power and do the do more of these strikes? I I, I get the you know regular answer. Uh, I gotta feed my family, but I I really do wonder y'all's opinion. What do you think is that one you know a a theory mechanism of why more people don't go on strike? Because in my opinion, I think they should. I think they they deserve all of their their labor potential. Um, I really believe that a part of that is, you know, it's the education and organization of it. In order to do those strikes and be effective, you have to have that very strong sense of camaraderie that you have each other's back because during those moments, you are going to have a different level of precarity because some of you may get fired, some may not be working for a serious amount of time. And you really have to have those resources made available through the group effort to sustain itself. But if we are living in a time where every um, aspect of our existence is stressing the individuality and it is in that and not building those ties, strengthening the ties that bind people are, we're living kind of like more in silos today than ever. And I think you need that nexus of organization, you know, like worker strike back to let you know that you are not alone in this. We're going to do this because it's a collective thing. But if you don't feel and sense that collective synergy amongst a group. You're just people with individuated problems, you know, with work and this and that, and there is no collective organized energy. I really think, and that is not only 
a portion of playing into the labor management dynamic. It is also playing itself out in the electorate versus the elected. They keep us polarized and that our strength is in our numbers. But if you can't organize us and get us to feel that sense of community, we're just a million ants walking, you know, maybe in the same direction, but we don't realize we're an army. We're an army. There's a movie that I think everyone needs to watch. Um, Eric and Roger, actually, Noel, too. You guys probably remember the name of it. I've been struggling to remember the name of it. It was a movie. I think that movie came out in the 80s. And it's about this woman that works at uh, on an assembly line at a factory. Norm- yeah, that was uh, Norma Ray. Yes. With uh, everybody. Sally Field. With Sally Field. That's what it was. Everybody needs to watch Norma Ray. <clears throat> And there's a real iconic scene where she's holding up a sign, a cardboard sign, and written on it is Union. Yep. Everybody needs to watch Norma Ray, whether you work, whether you're a part of a union or not. Because I feel like they don't make movies like that anymore, and I feel like that's on purpose. I don't see them making those movies where the workers all stand up and walk out, or the workers are fighting and they win and they fight back against the power. I don't see those kind of movies anymore. I think everyone needs to watch that um, in effort to understand like unionization and what it takes to really stand up to power. Also, from my personal experience, I remember like before I left BU, talking to salary employees. So we had hourly employees and salary employees. I was a salary employee and the hourly employees had already fought for unionization years before I started working there. So that included, that included like employees that worked at the food court, like those who worked in retail on campus as well, not just those who had office jobs that were administrators. Right. So I remember saying to salary employees, cause all of us were fed up. Maybe we should try to fight for some type of union And nobody was feeling that shit. And in fact, I remember there was an email that went out during the pandemic that said we should not be forced to come back in, especially since we've been working from home for over a year. And I don't remember who the email came from, but it did come from a BU employee. And they tried to hold a meeting to get everybody together that says, no, we need to push back against this. Somehow the dean intercepted that shit. And that meeting, I remember the person who was trying to hold the meeting, they sent another email that said that nobody showed up and it was because the dean intercepted it. So the thing is, like, had already, the dean intercepted and apparently had already told heads of the other departments, you know, let your staff know, don't even think about doing this. So there's, there's this fear, there's a risk that you do take and there's the fear of I might lose my job and how am I going to take care of myself or my family? Like if you have kids, it's worse. It's going to be even more difficult for you to try to unionize if you have kids. Cause then it's like, if I lose my job, how am I going to take care of my kids? And so that that's a big part of the problem. And people are afraid to lose. The other thing is too, you have to have the mutual aid set up. If you don't have mutual aid set up for you to be able to go on strike so that you can still pay your rent or your mortgage, and you can still pay for like groceries and stuff, you're screwed. And some of these companies like 
UPS, they're probably already set up for this. They're pro they probably already got enough mutual aid established so that they can go ahead and do this strike if need be. Um, but again, that goes back to why mutual aid is so important. But the thing is, is that, again, this idea of labor fighting back, it has been removed from the entertainment industry. And how do we find out about a lot of things? If we're not learning about it in school, we find out about it through the television, right? So you don't see movies like Norma Ray anymore. They're not making those movies. They don't want to encourage that type of behavior. Kind of like a soft brainwashing. Oh, like yes. They, they don't, I know they do directly brainwash us, but that, that they, take it, they take it away from us. And here's the other thing. When you think about the period in this nation's history back in the um, early turn of the 19th and early 20th century when we had the big labor movement, you also had a lot of political activity in terms of the Communist Party, the Whigs, and these um, organizations that were politically supporting the labor movement and also organizing to put pressure on the government structures. We don't have that now. They've, and, and like I've said before, whenever there's a victory won by labor, the management or the elites or however you want to phrase them, they learn and they immediately move to make sure that doesn't happen again. And so we've seen the, the McCarthy era just decimate the other parties, get rid of the, you know, socialists became a bad word. Communism was already a bad word. But when they do those type of things in the consciousness, they prevent people from seeing the alternatives and they also shut down means of organization. And so when you think of the enormity of Black Lives Matter and the number of people that came out for that, that should have been, you know, the uh, uh, a flashpoint yes, a for flashpoint. organization across a number of issues. But again, big money jumped right in, bought off the people and created confusion and chaos. And that was no that was, you know, ameliorated as a threat. And so we live in this place where. It's just so difficult to get that, you know, community thing building and organizing and this and that. And that's why I say we can't lose sight of what Cornell's run for the third party means, you know. And you know what? The one thing I think that could really kick us into a whole new thing is if at the end of the day, RFK Jr. does a dirty break and goes over to the Green Party and brings, creates the momentum again with what Cornell is building to occupy that space that Bernie let flounder. And together they, cause you know, neither one of them are perfect, but they do bring a type of clarity in terms of their critique of the system. And I think if that, those two forces could come together and help build out that momentum and not flounder. I just, and that's the only thing that gives me some hope about RFK running as a Democrat to build that momentum, secure that following, and then do the dirty break that Bernie refused to do. And then we can start from there and use that disenchantment to channel it into third party activity and all type of organizing. I don't I think he'll do it though. 
I know, <laughs> hey, uh, but we we can we can hope, you know, while we're strategizing. Um, yeah, thank you for um, talking on it. I I really appreciate you. I think we have to keep having these conversations. I might have asked this in your room before, but without you know, class consciousness might be a lame thing to say, but these conversations are so important. Uh, when we have them, it reminds us where we need to be. Um, and thank you for letting me talk, Sabrina. Uh, the last thing I'll say is don't be a dirty scab because we'll find you and you won't like it. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs> Do you guys love that video? That video was funny. That guy was hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much, Zach. Now, can I take a stab at some optimistic things? Go ahead, Eric. There's So I think one of the things that I think of, let's say, let's say that sometimes things have to get really bad before they get better, you know, and I think we may be in this situation where things have to degrade to a point where it gets so bad that people are ready for real change and to really get in the streets and really get things done. You know, we, we do have the internet. It's not perfect. You know, it's censored. There's lots of issues with it, but it's still a hugely powerful tool that, that hasn't been there in the past. I think, Dr. West's run that he's even doing this is amazing. I mean, just, just think about where we were a couple months ago before he announced. I mean, like, like what were we saying? Oh, God, I, I wish someone like Dr. West would run, but he'll never do it. He'll never do it. Well, I mean, he's doing it, you know, so that's pretty freaking cool. We've got these strikes that have been happening that continue to happen, this UPS strike at the end potentially at the end of the month could be massive and you know pe people get that that things are all fucked up i mean pe people get that and it's and it's a matter of of channeling that you know and that's why i'm hopeful that dr west's run will be a big thing that it can be a big movement and the other thing i'll say about the elites and the billionaires they have tons of money and power but the other thing they'll do is they'll fight each other you know and i think what I'm, what I, my hopeful vision of something real happening is that you have elites and billionaires spending time knocking each other down and trying to step on each other, and a, a movement for the the people in a real, you know, a real type of of mass workers movement kind of comes up from that, kind of sneaks through the middle of that. So there's a stab at some optimism. Well said, there, Eric Kirby. You're on the mic. You just gotta unmute. Hopefully I get to hear Kirby's voice this time because Wes, I never get to hear Kirby. Kirby. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, well, I'm sorry for taking all this time. I'm actually at work. Uh, and I had comments. I'll try to boil it down. I'm 71. I have I actually met Jesse Jackson in a local hotel when he was running for president. Everything has changed so drastically. I don't know what to expect. And I can't make up my mind what I'll do till I get there. Everybody else seems to be absolutely positive of what they will do. But I'm so old now, I can change in a minute. Mm. <laughs> Like Tucker Carlson. I used to hate him. I have respect for him now. Donald Trump, I lived in New York City many years. Everybody hated Donald Trump. 
I have to admit, I respect the man now, not for who he is, but by comparison to the people who try to take him down. So uh, am I still there? Yeah, you're still there. Okay, and Cornell West, I would, I'm, I'm going to vote for is what I'll believe if I get the opportunity to. Uh, I do live in Tennessee, so I was interested in your coverage of Tennessee, and I want to tune in for that second part because I didn't hear a word about it. So you do an important service informing the electorate that way. Uh, I, you know. The right to work in the South only means the right to be a slave wage. Mm -hmm. Well, you can thank and it's so much cheaper to have your. Well, there's so much cheaper for these rich people now to have slaves that have to pay for their own rent, clothe themselves, feed themselves. And still they have to hup too. I know that's right. So I hope I live long enough to see big changes. And if it's horrible, I can accept it. But I am optimistic enough to think there is a chance we'll see some change. It won't be the big change we all need because it's going to take time. Movement is the word. And uh, now I won't take up any more of your time because I'm sweating like a pig. And I want to get out of here. So. Love you, Savvy. <laughs> Love you, too. Thanks so much for calling in. Okay. Bye. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Stephen. Stephen, what's going on? Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. So, watch the uh, beginning of the uh, uh censorship hearings this morning mm -hmm. and I got the biggest kick not not in a good way but just it's like rolling your eyes who's the first person that the damn Democrats went and and sicked on you know go sick them go get them was what Debbie Wasserman Schultz she was the first one to go after his ass. And who who is she? What did she do? Let me see. Uh, 2016. Oh, yeah. They rigged the election against Bernie, and she got tossed for being, for, uh, for being the Democratic National you know, Chairman. I mean, I was just sitting there going, couldn't they have had somebody else do that? <laughs> just, I, just like, oh man, it's just, yeah. I, you know, it's like you got to be kidding me. Anyway, um, that's you know, I, I watched it and it just, I, I wish things would get better, but I got to tell you, I don't think they would. But on some of the stuff, you guys, I've got a, I've got the sniffles. So pardon me, but you know. If you really want to make a statement, okay, and you want to talk about getting organized, well, if, if, if you get organized and you get Cornell West on the ballot, that guy is really freaking smart. Sure, my God. Um, but too nice of a guy. But, you know, and just, hey, 
get get folks that normally would vote for Democrats, you know, to vote for Cornell West. I don't believe that Jill Stein actually cost Hillary Clinton the election. But I'll tell you what I do believe. I do believe Cornell West could cost the Democrats the presidency. I'm not thinking Joe Biden's going to be the candidate. I think they'll come up with Gavin Newsom or something like that. But y'all got to get out there and, and vote for vote for Cornell West. And, you know, that'll shake things up. Maybe the Democrats will stop being um, the duopoly uh, corporate, the corporate duopoly party. Maybe it'll get something. But this is the best last chance that I can see. I'm done. Have a nice Steven. night. Uh, Steven. Huh? What? Yeah. Uh, no, nah, you, you're right. She didn't cost Hillary the election because she won zero electoral college votes. You know, they want they always want to do this. They always want to say the third party got this many votes and it cost my person the election. You got to remember, we elect presidents on electoral college votes. And like I said before, Perot, Nader, Hawkins, Stein all got zero electoral college votes. So they pretty much were not even in the presidential race. So always remember that. Yeah, Roger, that's that's very important. And I think people need to continue to reiterate that talking point, because that is 100 percent true. Well, here's the thing, and I, I'm going to give you an example. OK, let's say you've got you've got Georgia. Let's talk about Georgia. OK, Georgia is basically 50 50, you know, Democrat, Republican. Might be a little more bluer than before, but if Cornell West gets on the ballot, okay, and yeah, maybe you know Trump will be on the ballot too. But if people out of Fulton, DeKalb, uh, I forgot the other county. There's like three major counties there that you know from Atlanta. If they said, you know what, we're voting for Cornell West. Well, here's the scenario. Okay, first of all, you scare the living shit out of out of the Democrats. Okay, and you will empower. You know, the African Americans will be empowered. Mm-hmm. Okay, because here's what happens. So let's just say there's a hundred votes in Georgia, just to make it simple math. Fifty of them are uh, Democrat. Fifty of them are Republican. Well, you take twenty of those votes. To Cornell West, so then Orange Bad Bad may get the get the electoral votes, but that's all you got to do. See, that's the thing. The problem is, is it it takes so much work. It takes so much work to not scare people, but to try to show people um, that you really have the power. All you got to do is exercise it just once. You don't have to do it all the time. Just once. Okay. Stick stick it in somebody's ass just once. (laughs) You know? Anyway, I I got away with words. But anyway, um, uh, I used to sing Frank Sinatra songs and I changed the words and they called me Dirty Frank. But that's another story. (laughs) i'm not kidding uh but um no that's all it takes and let me tell you something they make it tough 
to get on the ballot if you're if you're not an established party. Um, because I'm going to brag a little bit. I, I should probably. But I started a third party here in Illinois, and it's still going. It's a countywide party, but what happened was is because of um, because of uh, COVID, they changed the rules as to how many signatures you needed to get on the ballot. Okay, because uh, Pritzker shut the state down. And uh, the Libertarians and the Greens went to court and they got changed. So in my county, you normally needed 3,000 signatures to start a third party or, you know, you, uh, to run as a Libertarian or, you know, a Green. I started my own party. It's called the Kendall County Party. That's where I live, Kendall County. I had to get only 300 signatures, but by God, I got or actually 200. And, I'm sorry, 238 signatures. It normally would have been. Uh, 2,380. But I went out and I got 300 plus signatures and I started my own third party. And since the Democrats don't run anybody for offices, I've been running for office. I ain't spending a dime. I just go out and get a few more signatures, get on the ballot and say, hi, you pissed off at the Republicans? Vote for me. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 outside of uh, for the last two elections, Okay, you want to you want to know if people are angry? They're angry. Last two elections, okay, I did not campaign. Didn't ask anybody to vote for me. Just got on the ballot. And our county is basically fifty fifty Democrat. I mean fifty fifty, you know, Republican and Democrat. But the Democrats never put anybody up, you know, countywide. I didn't ask anybody to vote for me in the first election. I got thirty seven percent of the vote. Wow. 37. All you got to do is look it up. Kendall County. I ran for the Kendall County coroner, and I know nothing about dead bodies. And I, I <laughs> the reason I ran for it is it was the easiest um, office to get on the, on the ballot for that election. And uh, the coroner was pissed at me, but I don't care. So, um, but the bottom line is, is think about it. A 50-50 county. I start a third party. I run for election for, you know, coroner, because everybody thinks you got to have all sorts of certifications to be coroner. Well, you don't. But that wasn't why I was running. I wanted to see, I wanted to experiment as to see how many people are really pissed at, you know, what's going on. 37% of the vote. Come on, man. Second time I ran, I got over 30% against the 20-year incumbent treasurer. I didn't campaign. But, I mean, it's there, folks. You just got to want it. I've demonstrated it. I did I did what it took to start a third party. Just, you know, 300 signatures, put my name on the ballot, and 37.5% of the vote. Jeez, I wonder how much. I, I didn't want to be corner, I can tell you that. But, I mean, what if I really wanted to campaign? I would have won the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Okay? But I was, you know, I was just making a statement. I was just trying to show people, you know, that it can be done. But y'all got to sit there and go, you got to, someone's got to put a game plan together. Okay? And you got to sit there and, okay, I got to sacrifice my time. I got to go talk to every person on my block. 
and say, look, okay, the only way you can, you know, stop all this crap with government is you got to vote for one guy one time and scare the living hell out of them. Maybe they'll change. If they don't, we'll figure something else. Anyway, thank you. Uh, love your work. Oh, and, uh, you know, Jimmy Dore. Oh, God. Did you see where he was bitching about uh, Cornell's appearance on um, on CNN with Anderson Cooper? Yeah, we, we were talking about we talked about that earlier on. I'm, I'm yeah, I, I felt like it was a, a bit of a reach. Like, I felt like don't get me wrong. Like, there are things that I think Dr. West can work on. But I felt like it was for whatever reason to me, it felt overkill. Oh, you mean with Anderson? Um, or well, or Jimmy with, with with Jimmy's analysis, yeah, I felt like it was. Kind I, yeah, of okay, yeah, you know, I I buy that. He he got he got a little at the beginning of his of the of his show or whatever. He he went he went off the deep end a little too quick. <laughs> but Anderson Cooper really was a dick. Okay, he was just an asshole. But that's why I said Cornell West. <laughs> Cornell West is too nice a guy, but damn, he's he's smart. Damn. Uh, he did, you know, but, you know, smart people are, you know, a lot of the smartest people in the world are the nicest people in the world. Uh, anyway, so, or at least the smartest people I know are the nicest people I know. I should say that. Have a good evening. Hey, have a good, uh, you know, trip wherever you're going and, you know, be safe. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll hear from you on Tuesday. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Maria. You are on the mic. What's going on, Maria? Thanks, lady. Thank you, Sabrina. And thanks always to Noelle. Noelle brightens my day every time I hear her voice. I know. Isn't Noelle awesome? Thank you. Yeah. I watch you consistently but the Collins are my favorite because I get to listen to Noel but you know where I'm sitting and what I'm looking at through the lens of independent media uh, I'm always watching out for what I like to think of as pivot points and I, I think, I think we've reached a pivot point with corporate news media. Nobody gives a fuck about CNN anymore. And since Tucker Carlson is no longer under the reign of Fox News, nobody really cares about that. And now that the leash is off of Tucker Carlson, uh, he can put people like Mike Pence to absolute shame. Absolute shame. And there are, there's such a rise in independent voices right now. You know, and I share a, a phone service with, it's a family plan with my mom and brother. Um, but I, sometimes I get her political messaging texts, and I got one today 
that said, yeah, was directed to my mom, please urgent help sign this petition to get RFK off the ballot. Yo, um, is everybody getting this text message except for me? Because Roger said he got that same message. I got it too. You got it too, Noel? Yeah. It's you know what? I must have blocked Please um, sign this petition, you know, to get RFK. And it's, you know, I deleted it because I'm like, child, what? Yeah, I responded stop first, even though it was meant for my mother. I don't know why these Democratic whatever get mixed up between us. But, I, you know, what's wrong with you fools? I don't care how you feel about RFK. I don't I don't give one care about how you feel about him. Remove him from the ballot when you already know the DNC has shut down uh, any primary debates. What the fuck? But see, Maria, this just points to another reason why he should not be running through the Democratic Party. Like, this is bullshit. If they're going to do this and say, remove him from the ballot, then he might as well just run third party or independent. I mean, I know. And, him wrong. Well, you, you explained that to him and made really good points. Or was that Bree? I don't remember which I interview. I was. haven't spoken to him. They, they called me a couple of days ago and told me they moved me up in the queue. But I haven't, I haven't yet to speak. Uh, to RFK Jr. The thing is, is that some people who know him personally and knew him before he ran, those people are able just to reach out to him and say, hey, can you come on? Whereas the rest of us have to actually go through the campaign system, go through his press team, and we get put into a queue and we have to wait. That's the thing. I see. I, Mm -hmm. well... Yeah, I don't, I don't know the mechanics of that. I'm not in your business, um, but I, I get what you're saying. That makes sense. I, and it doesn't make sense to me either that he should run on a democratic platform. I mean, this country is so tired of that, and our abandonment in mass of corporate news media is a big sign of that, that this nation is continuing to have increasing union and strike protests is a big tidal wave of things to come. So, yeah, like I said, I I just look for pivot points. And I think... Right now, today, we're experiencing in real time a lot of pivot points. Um, and history will record them as they, as the cards fall. But yeah, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want current establishment uh, to continue to exist as it is. And I think most everybody else is really sick of it as well. Uh, So 
I, I, I feel like the tides are changing. How do you, how do you, especially globally, towards U.S. imperialism? Everybody else in the world is totally fed up with that shit. Um, and it's it's growing and growing and growing. What do you think, Savi? What do you think, Noel? Am well, I'm, I? I'm looking at the tweet from Max Blumenthal that Murphy just put in the chat right now. And I hate to say it, but I told you guys, I told you that he was avoiding certain media figures that were going to press him on this issue or don't have an audience that is favorable to his campaign. And Max Blumenthal just tweeted, it's a long tweet, but towards the end of the tweet, he says, why is he actively avoiding publicly engaging with prominent media figures who criticize Israel, but sympathize with other aspects of his campaign? And that I told you, I called that shit out on call in a couple weeks ago. I told you guys, pay attention to the shows that he's been going on. He's been going on to, he's been on Rising twice now. He's been on Breaking Points twice now. He goes, he's, goes on the Fox News. I think he was on CNN once or, or twice. But when it comes to independent media, you do not see, you have yet to see him go on to a left independent media show. Not once. Uh, I, we're speaking of RFK. Right. Uh, he was on US Useful Idiots and they gave him a lot of pushback on the apartheid and right but but that's because he was on useful idiots because katie halper is well connected so you have to understand that remember katie halper worked for rolling stone so working for rolling stone you get a lot of connections you get to interview not just political people but you get to interview celebrities so think about that so she's well connected. So she was able, she probably already had contact, a personal contact for him. So she didn't have to go through the press, the press team that everybody else has to go through. You see what I'm saying? Since I see what you're people, saying. I, I right, agree. But, but I since, understand. But since, right. But, but since did. useful, right. But since useful idiots, you have not seen him on any other left show. And I don't even mean, just my show you haven't seen rfk jr go back on jimmy Dore show since he announced he was running for president he's think about this for a second. brand he's been on russell brand recently russell brand and jimmy Dore are two different things because if you think about it russell brand most of his followers at least on rumble like he has a large like right wing base as well you know, Russell Brand has six, what, 6.5 million followers like on YouTube. So again, he has the reason why I'm saying this is because when they called me, they asked me what political ideology are your viewers? And I said, well, some of them are lefties. Some of them are conservatives. There's a few that are conservatives. Some of them are independents. You know, a lot of them came from that Bernie Sanders movement. Now, why does that matter? Yeah, exactly. No one, no one else is the number of people that I've interviewed over the over the past couple of years. No one else has ever asked me what political ideology is your audience. No one has ever asked me that. 
whether they were a candidate or not. I think why would, why would they hold you accountable for that? Why can't you just respond and say, I just want to give them a platform and ask them some questions? Why, why is that not of- sufficient? The point that I'm trying to make is they are trying to put him into spaces where there are going to be more people that agree with his position on COVID, which some of my viewers do, some of them don't. His position on COVID, they're going to agree with his position on the censorship, which I think most of the people in my audience do. And their idea is they believe that a lot of the people that came from that Bernie movement do not agree with that. They see these are the assumptions they're assuming that a lot of my viewers are going to support someone like Marianne Williamson. And that tells me that they obviously have not paid attention to the content at all. That is not the case. So Nick actually, Nick is actually actively trying to organize a debate between RFK Jr. and Cornell West on RBN. Now this guy, Aaron Good, that uh, knows, I guess, RFK uh, personally is going to try to get RFK you know, to commit. Cornell West already said that he would do it. But the thing is, like I said, RFK's press team is purposely, in my opinion, they are purposely keeping him away from certain platforms. So yes, RFK Jr. went on to useful idiots. But again, Katie Halper is someone who is respected and accepted on the left and in the Democratic Party and in mainstream. Remember, Katie Halper's been on mainstream media. You guys got to go back, go back to remember this. She's been on CNN. She's been on mainstream media platform. She came from Rolling Stone. So she's more accepted. A lot of people know her because of that. Whereas RFK Jr. going on to the gray zone, that's a totally different story. The gray zone, when you look at the mainstream media perspective, they are not respected. You see what I'm saying? So it's going to be it's going to be different. And Max Blumenthal has a point. Max Blumenthal said before he knows RFK Jr. So why is RFK Jr. dodging this interview with Max Blumenthal on the gray zone? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense. I think they're 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 going to be as a campaign making a calculus with, with any of these appearances as to whether it's going to hurt them more or or help them more. And so when it's a big platform, they're going to tend to want to go on a, on a big platform just generally, even if they take some heat. But if it's a small platform and it's going to turn into another moment, like when Pasta asked him about um, Israeli and, and, and apartheid and the Palestinians, I, I, I think that that moment really hurt hurt RFK's campaign. And I think his people felt that sting. And I think they're, they're probably desperately trying to avoid another moment like that would be my guess. Yeah. And also you know, RFK supporters just dismiss, dismiss his dismissal of Israeli apartheid as well. He's just an old school Democrat and that's just that that's just his family legacy that he's speaking for and he's of that age that he's always going to think that way because he was just hardwired at a younger age i i don't accept that uh from any candidate 
but there probably is some truth in that. And Sabby, I super appreciate your time tonight. It was lovely to get to listen to you again, Noel. So I will pass off. And thanks, Maria. But here's the thing I wanted to speak to, just like the congresswoman who just made the statement that, you know, Israel is a racist state and this and that, and they made her back that thing up right away. And when part of her comments was there is a powerful organized lobby who, and they're not represented on this stage. And she experienced it firsthand, immediately, everybody was all over her to retract that. When you are functioning within that context, do you not think RFK Jr. sees that? He is running in the Democratic Party and the man is very intelligent. So you know, um, academically, he understands that Israel-Palestinian thing for what it is, because if he can bring the power of his intellect and his lawyering to the situation with the vaccines and what have you, and stand his ground on the points that he is making, if he brings that type of intellect to the table, you know he understands Palestine, Israel in a whole different way. But what I gather from it is politically, he is not willing to cross that Rubicon because he knows that there are powerful interests that are heavily aligned with the Democratic Party and they will come down on him like acid rain. But the only way RFK Jr.'s candidacy makes any sense to me is that he is ultimately going to do a dirty break and call the Democrats out on the carpet, do the dirty break, and move those people to a different level of political engagement, hopefully through the Green Party. Otherwise, it just makes no sense. And at that point that he makes the dirty break, he can come clean and you know, speak about his evolved position on the Palestine-Israel thing. But at this point, he is already taking a fair amount of heat from the um, Democrat stalwarts on the anti-vaccine thing, this and that. But, but he's, he's maintaining, maintaining his... If he goes that position on the vaccine situation, plus be more articulate and more truthful about the um, Palestine-Israel crisis, he would just be, you know, persona non grata, I think, in so many more circles than he already is. But the thing, the problem that we're going to run into is like, knowing how the Kennedys are here, especially in Massachusetts, I don't see him breaking away from the Democratic Party at all. And I don't see the Green Party welcoming him with open arms either. That's, another, that's the other thing too. But I think that the problem is you have Dennis Kucinich, who's a campaign manager. He does not have the same views and opinions that RFK does when it comes to Israel. Ask Cynthia McKinney, if you don't believe me. He does not share those same views. But you the campaign manager? Like it's just, something is not right here. Something is a little bit off. Now I saw a statement today from RFK Jr. And this was sent to me via text. He's starting this thing now 
where they're going to be sending out a video, one video every day to supporters. And he's asking supporters to share the video on social media. And he even says in the video, we'll even send you equipment. And I thought to myself, like, you know what? I ain't even going to hate because that's actually a good fucking idea. That's a way for you to spread your message of your campaign because you know you're being silenced and censored by the mainstream for the most part. So he's putting the power in the hands of the supporters and letting them get the message out and even offering to give them the equipment. Now I'm saying to myself, why is it that no third party race or independent race ever thought about this idea? Making a video about your campaign every day and sending the video to your supporters and getting the supporters to do this stuff. He's even offering like, you can spend time with me. Or we can do Falcon, like a uh, Falcon quest or whatever, or we can go out on the boat. He's offering to spend time with his supporters. Why hasn't anybody else thought of this? Like, let's think about it for a second. But the point that I was trying to make that I think people really need to understand is that there are certain people that have certain connections when it comes to media and they are respected because of the number of subscribers they have and because of the connections that they already have. So those people, they may push back, but they're not going to go hard in the paint. So yes, Katie and Aaron, they're going to push back, but Max Blumenthal versus RFK Jr. is going to be different than Katie Halper versus RFK Jr. When Katie pushes back on people, she's not going to, she pushes back, but she doesn't go like hard in the paint. You know what I'm saying? Max will. And that's what I'm trying to tell you guys. Max knows RFK Jr. So if they know each other and he's invited him on the gray zone multiple times, why is it RFK Jr. been on rising twice? He's been on breaking points twice, but he still has not stepped foot on the gray zone. Something is odd about that. It is also odd to me that he has not been back on Jimmy Dore show since he announced that he was running. None of them have. None of these candidates, not RFK Jr., not Marianne, not Cornell West, none of them have been on Jimmy's show since they announced they were running for president. So it seems like to me a memo went out that said, don't go on Jimmy's show. Don't go on Jimmy's show. Think about it. Will RFK Jr. go on Black Power Media? Probably not. These are the things people need to start paying attention to. Go ahead, Brady. Yeah, I think we should call that political crop dusting when a politician just kind of comes by and says, hey, and just like, you know, uh, completely ignores the their base as they go on tour. But I think RFK is over. I got to give the hats off award to you um, for that John of God report you did. <clears throat> that was nuts. And uh, it's nice to see that stuff get brought to light. Uh, I hope you got a chance to check out that Dr. Sanjay Gupta video from CNN back in the day where Dr. Sanjay Gupta was endorsing John of God. And then one of somebody needs to get that video to Joe Rogan, because I think that could be the nail in the coffin for CNN. And that would be really nice before the election if we could just get rid of CNN and or at least bankrupt them like vice and uh one of the i think dr west has a real chance of taking this whole election 
And I think the way that he could do that is with an idea I call proxy debate. And um, that's where when someone refuses to debate or censors someone from a space where they can't debate, you record their vid- their words in public. You take their you know videos of them in public talking about a subject, and then you simply record yourself next to the video, kind of like a podcast, just debating them for lack of them showing up. You know, you play the video of that person talking, and then you allow the other person to respond as if it was a debate. And you could even have someone pretend to be Joe Biden or pretend to be Donald Trump, like an actor and uh, host a proxy debate like that with Dr. West versus Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And if y'all were to like host your own proxy debate on like RBN network with Dr. West, that would be game over right there. I mean, they would have to like Joe Biden would have to respond to that. Donald Trump would have to respond to that and not later, but immediately. You know, we wouldn't have to wait for them to see like, oh, are they going to debate? He'd be like, nah, start the debate now and invite them a seat to the table. If they don't show up, that pretty much says it says enough, you know. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, Jimmy Dore should be Dr. West's campaign, maybe a, a point guy before he goes on to a debate or before he goes on to an interview. Maybe just have a little talk with Jimmy Dore first and let's have a little practice debate and see if we can get Dr. West, you know, uh, up to speed for whatever he needs to do in the presidential run. But he does have a lot of blind spots, it seems. As, uh, as much as I love Dr. West, he's a little bit milk toast. whereas Jimmy Dore comes with a little bit of the spice, uh, believe it or not, as awkward as that is. Uh, Jimmy Dore has a little more facts, a little more data um, when it comes to his uh, debate and his attack. And someone on, Jimmy, on Dr. West's team needs to be... Uh, uh, getting him ready for these interviews. And uh, I think uh, that's, that's my whole point of the third party that I'm creating now. Like since I'm endorsing Dr. West, like what I want to do now is make the green party better. I want to criticize them in the most constructive ways possible with as much love as possible, you know, and uh, just fine tune the green party, fine tune Dr. West's campaign. And I think his potential to win this is huge. He's already at like 14%. Like he just got started, you know? So if we start hosting proxy debates with Dr. West, I don't know if you can still hear me. I've been, I've been, I've been yeah. on yeah. here for a minute, but I'm gonna let you respond to that. And then I'd just like to make one interview request for Derek bros. He's an inter- independent journalist running for mayor in Houston. And, uh, he actually, uh, interviews, he does interviews with Whitney Webb and stuff like that regularly. And he's a really interesting guy. And, he might have a chance of winning a mayoral uh, race in Houston if you guys can get him on. And his name is Rose of the Freedom Cell Network, real active in that as well. But uh, much appreciated on your work, on the, your end on your work, Sabby. You've been killing it. Keep it up. Don't slow down. I was just going to say that uh, Jimmy did say in last night's show that he said he reached out to help Dr. West's campaign. It seems like I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but it, um, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like there was a nerve there. There was a nerve, like something, something. I, I don't, I don't know but uh, I think the message has kind of been kind of gotten around that like candidates don't go on Jimmy's show. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but something is weird. 
Oh, Jimmy's scary because Jimmy's a real one. You know, he's a little bit too real for some of these posers, and that's all there is to it. And it would be nice to see uh, Jimmy Dore kind of give Dr. West some pointers before his next interview and some punchlines, you know, some jokes as well would be kind of cool. <laughs> like he said, he's willing to help him write some speeches and stuff like that as well. I think that'd be cool. But I'd like to see a, a doors open. Dr. West seems to be real doors open when it comes to that kind of stuff. So hopefully he'll, t he'll hear that advice and hear that criticism and kind of maybe have a little more attack next time. I'll be a little less friendly. He could still say, I love you brother and all that good stuff, but he could also slap a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Let's bring a neoliberal, neoliberal tears. I showed your tweet tonight. <laughs> oh my God, you did? Oh my God. I you gotta unmute, there you go. Uh, okay, I have to go back and rewatch it. Um, hey besties, what's going on? Hey, how are Hello. you? What, what are you, what, what, are you uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh my God. I mean, Cornell is really giving us all hope um, in such stressful, dark times. Um, you know, and especially, I I mean, I was just clipping some parts of the RFK interview uh, on Rising that he did today. And Bree did a really great job pressing him on Palestine. Um, it was around, it was like 15 minutes, you know, she took over the conversation. Robbie, uh, had nothing to say. Um, but they went back and forth and it was very, very telling, you know, he just went from one talking point to another. Um, you know, he said, you know, he did the whole, like, you know, but what about women and women's rights, you know, which is literally the same argument they said about Afghanistan. Like, you know, we have mm -hmm. to, we have to free the women, you know, like, and then he used gay rights as an excuse for why Israel didn't deserve as much scrutiny. It was a what? whole fucking mess. Yeah. He said Israel was like, you know, such a democracy, which is ironic because they're getting rid of the Supreme Court. Like, you know, they're getting rid of the power of the Supreme Court as we speak. That's the judicial reforms, right? You know, so it was just, it was fascinating. I mean, Bree did an amazing job. Um, so I, I put a link to it in the chat. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this too, Savvy. Like, you know, I, you know, in terms of why he doesn't go on like lefty shows. And by the way, he hasn't gone on Useful Idiots uh, with Aaron and Katie. He hasn't been on that show. Um, they might have asked him. People, but, why are uh, people saying that he did? Um, maybe they got confused, but um, the I mean, Dennis Kucinich was on, but way before, like you know, months and months ago, before he even announced that he was campaign manager. But I, I think there has been a strategy to basically say, for from Kennedy uh, to say, let me go on libertarian podcasts, right wing mm -hmm. podcasts. And even smaller ones, like it's clear. Uh, and I don't know. I was thinking like, you know, if he was a sheep herding candidate, maybe his whole thing uh, is to bring in non like non-voters and Repu traditional Republican voters and get them to vote in a Democratic primary. I mean, then why is he running as a Democrat? Because it's bringing them over from the Republican Party. It's it's literally stealing them from the other team like um you know he did from the fec filings i saw that 31 percent of his 
donations come from people who do not vote. So it's bringing a lot of people into the Democratic Party. It's, 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 it's having that effect. And if he is a Democrat through and through, that has to be, if he's loyal to, Dem- to the Democratic Party first, that's something he, regardless of if he's trying to win or not, he would be happy about. Sheep herding is always something you have to watch out for. You know. But here's the thing, sheep herding, shepherding only really works effectively within, it's an intra-party type of dynamic, because the reality is, if you can get Republicans to cross over and vote in a Democrat primary, there is nothing that says in the general they're not going to go back, because then they play double agent to get Trump back in. So, you know, I don't think his positioning is broad enough as a shepherd to wheel those people. You know, the the big um, take, the big cash crop in terms of shepherding is the independence. Now, if you can get the independence to move, they're, they're more liable to move in a way that will retain itself in the general. But if you're talking about people crossing that party line from Republican to vote Democrat simply on the strength of some of his positioning, I don't see that as a solid strategy. And generally speaking, what the shepherds have done on the um, Democrat side is trying to shepherd the more leftist liberal wing into the right movement of the Democrat center like Bernie Sanders did. They sent him out there to to rally and get the people on the left side and in the end convince them, oh, we just got to go with, you know, A, B, or C because they're the nominee. But I don't think that strategy would work as effectively with people who are naturally and normally voting Republican. They'll do it as a strategy to disrupt and make sure Biden doesn't win in the general. But um, I don't think they're going to really... You know, because they're not going to be enough of them to overcome the Democrat center in the general. I don't. But let me. And let if me y'all don't like sheep herding, I've got really bad quick. news. Let me tell about you guys something really. Too. Let me tell you guys something really quick. My a friend of mine who has a podcast. They're in New Hampshire. They're libertarian, right? They interviewed RFK like in person, not even just virtually, but in person. They have like 200 subs on their channel. So it's like, if he's mainly trying to go on to shows that have a conservative leaning audience or libertarian audience, what the fuck is his angle? Like, what is this all about? Because I ain't even seen, look, let's be real. I ain't even seen RFK on David Pakman's show, okay? I talk about like just liberal shows. You're running as a Democrat and you're not going on any dim shows or no lefty shows. Any. And they've asked. No, listen, think about it. He'll come on the Rising twice, but he ain't been on Bree's show? Nope. He hasn't been on Bad Faith. Um, Hasn't been on Aaron's show. And that's the other thing. He had um, like Aaron Mate just recently on his his own podcast, but he wouldn't go in the gray zone. Or he had Max on his podcast and wouldn't go in the gray zone. Like he, he knows publicly to not be seen with them. So, uh, I, or at least not, not put himself in a position where 
he is, you know, he has to talk about uh, those issues at length. Um, so I don't know what the strategy is. I also wanted to post like his, um, uh, I put it in the chat, like real clear politics average. So you're right, Sabi, that you can see that um, uh, after May of uh, May 20th um, was the last time that he pulled at uh, 20%. Um, and that was right around the time of the George um, George Waters tweet um, that he deleted and then, you know, turned out to be a, an APAC show. Um, so there's there was a drop-off point. Like that moment was a bad look for him for many reasons, regardless of what you think about it. But, you know, even though most people generally agree at this point, um, it was a bad look. It didn't help him. So... Now he's polling at like the average is 14%. I don't know how he can grow that, honestly. Like, is he just going to continue to talk about censorship like and COVID mandates? And like, is it just going to keep doing that? Um, because honestly, it's kind of, it gets kind of boring after a while. Well, I have bad news. Mm. If you don't like sheep herding, I can tell you that by blocking me and being a speaker on Sabby's uh, panel right now, I wouldn't be able to call in if I didn't before you got there. Um, so anyone you have blocked right now, neoliberal tears in the listener section is no longer able to call into this show right now. And so, I mean, I wouldn't have had a chance to tell Sabby about Derek bros tonight or uh, a lot of other really cool stuff if I hadn't made it here before you. So maybe just consider not blocking your fellow progressives and we might be able to get more work done. And if you like the John of God episode, wait until y'all hear what Ginny has to say. Uh, Sound of Freedom has nothing on Ginny. Ginny is the real Sound of Freedom. She's in the she's in the queue right now, so I'm going to pass the joint to Ginny, or at least kind of that direction. But um, I just wanted to say that the Sound of Freedom guy that everyone's talking about, uh, even his own coworkers are saying that he's kind of a clout chaser, and it's coming out that he might be a little bit of a sex pest when it comes to women. So. Um, He's the maybe what? for that. Yeah, probably not the best representative for the whole movement of saving children. But don't let that distract us or de derail us from the fact that children really need help out there. And I think women like Ginny are exactly the kind of people who really can help children out there. So I'm, I'm honored to pass the joint in her direction. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brady. All right. Because of that, I am going to come back to you, Eric. But I'm going to pivot to Jenny really quick because I, I have to follow up with that. And I'm coming back, Eric. What's what's going on, Jenny? You just have to unmute. I was just calling in to talk about Kennedy. But thanks, Brady. That was really kind of you to say. Um, <laughs> I would I would not be surprised that anything written about Tim Ballard in the media these days. He is making such a huge impact. I hope everybody will just take it with a grain of salt, whatever propaganda is being put out about him. I, I think he's a hero and I've watched him for many years before they made this movie. I was a part of Operation Underground Railroad when it first started. So, um, you know, just be cautious in who you condemn. I so think did you know, Jenny, did you know this stuff about Oprah and this John of God dude? Because I, I, I covered this story recently and I was like, how the hell did I not know about this? I've known about it for several years. And those of us who are involved in exposing 
human trafficking understand that certain networks are in place tied to Nexium, Keith Ranieri. He's someone who's in prison right now for branding women and trafficking women. And um, Alison Mack, I read, just recently got out of prison. She's a Hollywood actor who was someone who would find women to bring into the cult. And, um, you know, I, I'm sad about Oprah because I do think so much of the, the good work that Oprah has done could potentially be really damaged by her connection to this demon down in South America. But um, there is just a truth out there that there are farms where women are treated like cattle. <clears throat> They're impregnated. Their children are sold to the highest bidder. Some Sometimes they're put up for international adoptions. Sometimes they're sold for parts, for organ harvesting. And it's true that sometimes they are being used in satanic rituals. And Brady is referring to my work on a case in Utah that is right now in the, in the process of being adjudicated. And I, I jumped in as a journalist about a year ago and started doing a lot of reporting on this case. Uh, if you go to my own call-in shows, you can see the show I did just the other day with the other main investigative journalist, and that's what Brady is referring to, I'm sure, because he called into the show. But um, he and I have been the two main independent journalists on the case, and it has gotten a lot of play in the mainstream media, mostly by journalists who are there to cover for this cult <laughs> cover-up uh, make people feel confused about what the real issues are. Journalists like Brandy Zadrozny, who's from NBC News, she did pro probably the most propagandistic story on this on this case in Utah. But um, it's exciting to be a part of this work because I too am a fellow survivor. I grew up in a family where I was um, ritually abused. And so I have it in my heart to really try to reach out to the victims and help where I can. Um, but the main thing victims need is is the disinfecting light of sunshine and these stories to come out and the perpetrators to be arrested and, and tucked away from society so they cannot hurt other kids. And so it's been joyful work, too, because I found a lot of healing in trying to reach out to the other victims. Well, um, Jenny, I don't mean to be nosy, but I am going to be nosy. Um when you say rituals, like, can, could you explain to me what this means or to us? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little. You like, can be as, you can be as nosy as you want. I am not offended. And I, I feel like talking about it is one of the ways that we can help just expose it and educate each other. Um, most people understand that if a child is sexually abused, it's most often done by someone in their orbit a family member, a friend, somebody who has access to them. And that's what I would just call typical child abuse, incest. You know, this is what, what most people think of when they hear sexual abuse. When you say ritual abuse, this is something that is targeted, which means that the person is molested for a purpose. And the goal from some of these people, the perpetrators, is to get the child to dissociate. And so if you rape a child under the age of eight, 
um, quite often they will dissociate and not remember what happened to them. And that makes them much more malleable in terms of uh, being able to control them. And this was the goal with the people who were around me. It wasn't just my family. It was people in my community, people in my church. And I grew up in the same Mormon congregation in Detroit as Mitt Romney. His dad was in leadership in our congregation. He was the governor of Michigan. He ran for president. His wife ran to be a senator. These are very high-profile people who were Mitt Romney's parents, and I grew up in the same circles as Mitt did. And so I believe, and it's difficult to talk about because as a victim, you don't really have any proof. I don't have any paper documentation. All I really have as a 55-year-old woman is a lifetime of distress that I can point to and say, I've had some problems, you know, probably stemming from some of this trauma and torture. It's literal torture. And so um, it's difficult for me to talk about in that sense because I don't feel like I have any proof. But sometimes when you have other victims sharing the same stories who are in a completely different part of the country, you can see a pattern. And so as I've healed, and I've been openly healing this for the past 22 years, uh, my brother died, and that helped to bring up some of my memories. Um, it's been very helpful for me to cross paths with other people online, their testimonies, talk to them on podcasts. I was blessed to interview Fiona Barnett, who is one of the most um, ardent and passionate activists down in Australia. I had her on my podcast a couple of years ago, and we talked very openly about what happened to both of us. She was so abused by people in her orbit in Australia that the Australian government made a public apology to her for not helping her more as she was trying to heal from all this trauma. And so um, reading her book, Crossing Paths with Her, and many other people has been incredibly helpful to me personally. But it's also given a sense of purpose and drive to say, hey, Let's go ahead and expose this. Let's talk about it openly. It is true that when you talk about it, people tend to run as if their butts are on fire away from you because it's scary. And the first time I posted something about this on my blog in 2011, I lost 90% of my readers. And I had had my blog traffic, traffic up to like 40,000 unique visitors a month. And I posted this thing and it was like, boom, they're just gone. And people don't want to hear about it. Now, in the last 12 years, uh, since 2011, there has been an awakening. And I think this new movie that's out, The Sound of Freedom, there's been a ton of chatter since the movie came out a week ago. A lot of people are talking about this and going, what's going on? You know, what what's happening? And so it's an exciting time for me because I feel like, you know, it's it's work I've been engaged in for so long. I'm impatiently waiting for everybody to kind of realize this is a real thing. And the bottom line principle in ritual abuse is control. They want to control everybody. They want you extorted. They want you drugged on a lot of psychiatric meds and, and just under their power so that you can be manipulated as an influencer, as a business person, 
as uh, a leader in the arts or in sports and just absolutely controlled. I like the way that Kanye put it. He said they wanted him to be a well-behaved celebrity. And I think Kanye has been one of the most brave to bust out of the establishment control mechanism and just say, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. And I think he's just been such a good example to all of us. And Jenny, there's also the actor, I can't think of his name, but he was trying to reveal that what was going on in Hollywood and people were just kind of making a mockery of Isaac Cappy. Yes. Is that who you mean, Isaac Cappy? Also, Corey, Corey Feldman tried to talk about this a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, Isaac actually flew down to Australia and spent two months with Fiona Barnett just before he was killed. And I don't think he committed suicide. I believe he was murdered because he was getting enough um, people looking at him and hearing him that they, I think they had to take him out. So, um it's unfortunate, it's unfortunate those those who've died those along, who've the, died way along the way as they've tried to share their story. But see, I think you raise the or at least allude to a very important point in terms of you know the ritualistic abuse of children because that abuse at an early age normalizes a behavior that is not normal, and by the time the child. Re you know, approaches the majority age where they can begin under the proper circumstances to realize that their behavior was not normal, then there's the advent of the confusion. But I think the thing that's most why people run away from it is in a lot of situations, just like with Epstein and what have you, we're talking about some of the most powerful and high profile people across the societies. And I think, you know, when I consider this nation's history, it makes perfect sense that we have those type of dynamics unfolding. Because when you look into the institution of slavery, everything you're talking about was present there. But it right. was normal as a part of the institution of slavery. But they were doing all kind of things to, you know, the breeding and, you know, manipulation of people, lynching, all this type of stuff. But that is a part of our national history that we don't talk about. We don't delve into. And but it's been there. And I think, you know, when you shut down the institution of slavery proper, those energies were still present in this society and they found different outlets. I think it's so true. And those tactics that were used on the slaves, many of the same tactics are used on children to traumatize and it causes an arrested development. That is a real thing where you're just kind of stuck. stuck in that little six-year-old body. Why, why the children you, though, Jenny? That's what I don't understand. Okay. Once a kid turns eight, if they have not been abused, there's something that changes in their chemistry that makes them more bulletproof. The, the torturers have a saying, before eight or it's too late. They know if they're able to get their paws on a child and dissociate them into something because of sexual abuse or ritual abuse or just torture, um, that they will be much more able to be controlled 
especially in their teens. And then like, like Noel just said, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Much more able to be seduced into um, different paths that are not good for them, that will not lead to a happy life, but they will be able to be controlled and um, never have a sense of their own identity. When a, when a child is bulletproof, meaning that they've been nurtured and loved until the age of eight, um, if something happens after that age, they're much less likely to, less likely to dissociate. They quite often will remember what happened. They'll be able to tell someone about that and they have an easier time healing. I started being ritually abused when I was an infant. And so um, working through all of that, just, you know, what, I'll tell you about my initiation. This is one thing I can comfortably share. Um, the initiation often involves a murder. And for me, it did. I was seven years old. And this happened through some people in my elementary school in Michigan, Pat Pattengill Elementary in Berkeley, Michigan. Um, and again, we were targeted, we were chosen to play this role and to be brought into the cult. And so I went on a school field trip. There are even parents there as chaperones. But on this field trip, I was taken off with another group of people and they forced me to, to shoot this child, a little four-year-old child. And what they will do is after the child is killed, they almost always have what's called a blood orgy where they will go sodomize the wound, They'll, they'll kind of like rip the kid apart, take the blood, bathe in the blood, drink it, cannibalize the kid. But I was, I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. I was the one who actually pulled the trigger. And they want you to be just overwhelmed with guilt and shame. That, you know, I'm this little seven-year-old seven child and I'm being compelled to do this. And, you know... No context, no, you know, this was, this was the mother load memory that I had to process out. I was actually hospitalized in 2012 for a couple of days because I, I was remembering, I was having flashes, smells. It was all kind of coming into my conscious mind. And I was like, no, this did not happen, you know, but then there just came a day when I was like, I had to accept that this is what happened. And so I, I checked into a mental hospital and I worked with a doctor who was very, educated about ritual abuse and he believed me you know he actually believed me i was like okay um what do i do with this and i i had some help from my clergyman my bishop from church he was wonderful and for years i couldn't tell my husband or my kids i couldn't tell anybody about this i just kind of sat with it for a couple of years and then there came a moment when i knew i had to kind of tell my family i told my oldest son first and it was actually in feeling the loving support from my kids, who they're all adults now, my oldest daughter's 35, but feeling the love and support from my family, and then the support I felt from other people, almost all of which I've met online, who were made to do similar things as children. Um, it's where I've had that support that I felt, you know, just the most healing. Mm-mm-mm. Eric or Roger, anybody want to chime in? Bueller? I mean, 
I would like to say, first of all, I commend you for the courage to pursue, you know, a better understanding of what happened to you as a child. I think a part of the reason these things, first of all, we know that children are very vulnerable. And for those foundational years between zero and eight, they're learning, they're developing language, they're developing understanding. And it is critical in that environment that, you know, certain behavior patterns are normalized. But if you have something traumatic that happens, then children are sometimes the most unreliable witnesses in an adult world because we have been geared as adults not to trust the word of children. And, you know, I experienced that as a woman of trans experience because when I began to relate my gender understanding and identity from the early years in terms of, you know, being four and five and wondering why I couldn't get my hair pressed in this net. People tend to dismiss that because how early on that experience was available to me. But no one stops to think that children do not normally develop a lying, if you will, or the capacity to tell untruths because they don't understand a need to tell an untruth. So children are basically telling you the most truth. But if a child comes forward and tells you, like you suggest, Jenny, oh, I was, you know, forced to pull this trigger and this and that, the first thing that adults are going to do is be skeptical and dismiss it and be like, oh, they were, you know, it's make-believe, she's fantasizing, she's making this up. And that just adds to the level of trauma. So I salute you in being able to find your way through that trauma and mental illness that attends it to find your way into a space of light where you begin to help other people. But this is scary for other people who haven't experienced anything like that. And, you know, my early experiences in terms of gender help me understand and make me more pliable to the understanding of what you're saying about ritual abuse even though I haven't had that experience personally, I understand what it is as a child to have an understanding that is counter and that when you try and come forward with it, you just get she-she, poo-pooed and everything else. So, you know, Thank I you commend so you much, on Noah. that. That means so much. Thank you so much. It, the hardest thing has been speaking my truth and having people say, oh, she's crazy. You're nuts. That didn't, that didn't happen. happen. Exactly. And, and believe me, as the victim, I'd love for me to be wrong. I'd love to be just completely nuts. If if that was the only explanation, I would be totally down with that. But I've done enough research and crossed paths with enough people who've experienced the exact same thing that I've had to just, you know, accept reality and then go forward. Okay, what do I do with this? Well, I guess I could try to help other people. And as I've reached out to these other people, we've been able to support each other. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want in society? Instead of just saying everybody's nuts, shut up, go away. We don't want to hear your stories. I think we need to talk more. We need to talk a whole lot more about a whole lot of things. But what happens is you up in the entire social structure.
that is the point that I try and make to people about, you know, a different understanding of white supremacy in this nation. When you hit the core of certain, you know, values that have crossed this society, including the type that you're talking about, but we know they're real, you begin to upend the whole order. And that's why people don't want to hear it. People don't want to believe that these types of things are happening on regular and routine basis. And it makes everybody more suspicious of everybody, especially the church. But what we want in addition to the talking is to change the reality. Change the reality, but that is mega work and it is a huge lift. And it depends on being able to share your stories and narratives in a way that people are not afraid and are willing to take these topics on and create that whole new reality. But it is, you know, and like I say, just speaking from my own experience as a person of trans experience, people are so indoctrinated into the realities of what the four corners of this life is that they have been given till if you introduced a different way of seeing a different understanding, a different reality, people are just horrified because no one wants to, you know, go into that and say, you know, reality really is a share, a co-creation and we need to be co-creating a whole different reality. Well, and I have to agree with Brady. He mentioned Derek Bros. I've become friends with Derek Bros over the past year. He has been one of the lead investigative journalists on all layers of trafficking for over 10 years. It's probably going on like 15 years. He was one of the early journalists covering Jeffrey Epstein in Florida back when he was first arrested. And over the past year, he has provided limitless support to me and my work on this story in Utah. He did a seven-part series on the story himself. There's been a great feeling of camaraderie and support. He's the exact type of person you want as a mayor, as a president, in a place of power in any state in this country because he sees things so clearly. I can't emphasize enough how great it would be for you to invite him to be on your show, Savvy, and just talk to him about anything. He knows all about this stuff. And it's been so wonderful for me to um, associate with him and just feel his, you know, absolute support for what I, what the stories that I've told and the experiences I've had. Um, he, he, if we need like a million more Derek Broses out there. So thank you so much. Does anybody have any other questions? I know it's a difficult topic. I really wanted to talk about RFK. Oh, sorry, but go ahead and get into that. Cause I don't want to, yeah, go ahead and get into that. Sorry. Well, the main thing is I watched several hours of the hearing this morning, and it was just so typical of everything we tend to see with these congressional hearings. There's lots of drama and posturing and let's censor the, uh, during the censorship uh, hearing. And I just thought he behaved very presidentially as he articulated his points and shared his passion for free speech. I think he's absolutely correct that that is the first and most important principle that we should all rally around, that nothing else really works if it goes, if it's not part of our body politic or the, the marketplace of ideas. Once that goes, 
then we're no longer a republic. We're no longer a, doc, a democracy. He talked passionately about the Constitution. And as I watched, I just marveled that he here's this man in this position and he's sharing his heart and, and being heckled, just heckled by certain people who are members of our Congress. And he's he's calling for civility. He's calling for let's hear let's hear each other. Let's let's have a conversation. And they wanted nothing of it. It was such an embarrassment instead of, you know, just reasonable people talking about important issues. It was just this this big mess. And so I, I look forward to seeing what he can wrestle out of this situation that will hopefully benefit all of us, especially just in terms of being able to to express our ideas. And believe me, there's been some censorship around my journalism over this past year. There's some very powerful people in Utah who do not like the stories that I've been sharing on my Substack. Mm -hmm. I believe that they're all over the place. I believe that. Okay. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. Thanks, Sabrina, as always. And thank you, Noel. I love you guys so much. Have a good one. All right, let's bring in Eric, who I think is a kid. What's up? Hey, Sabi, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. Sorry I have not been able to watch all your streams, and I didn't get a chance to watch, you know, Jimmy's, I guess, critique of, of, of Cornell. Uh, I don't know what to say, you know, before. The the guy that was before this, this uh, the gal that was just on, you know, I, I forget his name, like the guy that speaks kind of like he's a... Brady. Brady, he's kind of out there, that dude. But I, I didn't understand. Was he making comments about the the author, the the guy that I guess that they they based the movie Sounds of Sound of Freedom? Was he was yeah. he saying something about that? Yeah. So I I didn't understand. It seemed like he was like he was making it seem like the guy was a cloud chaser. Is that what I heard him say? I think so. Yeah, that was kind of weird, man. You know, so I I know you're very lenient. On, on what some of these people say, but you know, I'm not, I'm not leaning on, on, on whatever. If somebody says something that I don't believe, I'm going to be calling it out. I don't know what he was talking about. And, you know, the, 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 the gal before, you know, I, I don't, I'm not disputing what she said or her experience or whatever. Maybe it did happen and, and we need to investigate it further. I thought sound of freedom was a great movie. Uh, you know, just the way it was written, the way it was directed. I didn't know anything behind it. Uh, and I thought it was a great movie is what I can say. I, w I would encourage anybody who's a movie watcher, independent of, you know, what they believe or not, the movie stands on its own, the way it was, it was put together. You know, it's almost like Oscar worthy type of movie. And that's what I've told people, you know, independent of what any politics, anybody believes the movie is that good. And I wouldn't put it down. So when I heard that guy, you know, talking about the, the, the guy that they based it on, I, I just I, I see that as, as a way to diminish even the movie itself, because, you know, how on one hand you're going to say, oh, yeah, the guy is cloud chasing, but the movie's good. You know, just shut the fuck up and don't say that. You know, the movie's intended to actually help people in the predicament that the gal that was just speaking before me was speaking about. Right. So don't make it or don't diminish something that, 
you know, there's probably something good behind it, in my mind. I don't think that he was saying that the guy is a cloud chaser, but that in certain circles, he is being cast as a cloud chaser. Well, well, you know what, Noel? He is not a cloud chaser. I don't know the guy, but the, the few times that I've seen him talk, he doesn't come across that way. So don't say that unless you really know about it. Don't don't diminish somebody else's story. Just just the same way that I'm sure that you would not want want me to diminish the gal that spoke before me, just because she spoke before me. If I was to say something about her, I would diminish her story. If I started to say something something that was you know against what she said. But here's the thing, Eric. People come to these different formats and forms with different understandings and different capacities to accept or embrace or believe or receive what we're saying and that is the core of the freedom of speech everybody is not going to be receptive to everything I say but I have the right to say it and everybody has the right to say well you know I agree with Noel I disagree with Noel this and that I don't get upset at the critique and I don't you know I'm I'm not resistant to other people's genuine or you know perception of something differently than I do so if you know someone says, "Oh, he's being framed as a cloud chaser," this and that, it's just information. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to disagree. But those are the that's the way we move forward through that type of discourse and exchange. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll accept what you just said. I, I just don't like it when I hear stuff like that. It just to me, it just it, without any basis for it. But but I I understand what you're saying, Noel. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, Sammy, I, I didn't come to speak about that, you know, in a way, I guess it's like an off topic. That's probably a big topic. You know, again, I would just encourage people to go watch the movie and, and, and they, they, they can make their own decision based on the movie itself. I thought it was a good, great movie, but going back to, I, I thought, you know, what you were analyzing about Jimmy, uh, on, I guess his critique of Cornell, and I think you kind of, you were just opposing how Jimmy was kind of coming hard. And again, I haven't watched Jimmy, but how he was being, how he was being so critical of Cornell's West, I guess, comebacks or lack of comebacks to the uh, Anderson Cooper interview or the likes of those type of interviews, I should say. But he hasn't done the same per se against RFK and his lack of, uh, you know, just kind of being coward on standing behind what he initially said when he was in support of the, uh, of the, the, the singer from uh, Pink Floyd, I guess. And then he retracted his support of him in a sense because of, 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 of you know, his support of Palestine. And, 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 and Cornel West, uh, conversely, was extremely, you know, like a stand-up guy to say, yeah, this is wrong. You know, what 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 uh, Israel is doing to the Palestinians is completely wrong. And you could hear it and you can see it over a number of years that Cornell has been saying that. And he's never wavered from that. In fact, that's why uh, he did not get the tenure, I believe, at Harvard because of that, right? He was kind of outed because of that. He was pushed out. And yet RFK hasn't had the guts to do that and that's you know kind of a coward move and that is telling on his character 
And I, and I also think you also had, I remember when you had the interview with Pasta, uh, there was a moment there where you guys were a little bit going back and forth on, and I don't know if it was completely related to this, but there, I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, um, Savvy, but there was a moment there where you had a little bit of a heated, yeah. uh, you know, back and forth, right? Yeah. And when what I, I saw, yeah, when I ahead. said, because basically what I was trying to get him to say, which he did say, it was almost to me, it just seemed like basically what he was saying is like, we have to make sure that white people are comfortable. And yeah. I took issue with that because sure. over the, over the elections, in, at least in, in, yeah. in the time that I've been able to vote, yeah. nobody was thinking about black people being comfortable. That's right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, Nobody was yeah. thinking about Latinos being comfortable. Nobody was thinking about, you know, it just, it, it, yeah. it just, that's what it all comes down to at the end that's of the right. day. And that's what pissed me off. Yeah. No, and, and I remember that. And so I noticed that there's, I, I don't know how to put it into words, but there's, there's sort of leniency that, you know, whether it's pasta or it's Jimmy that they have towards RFK. Uh, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to quantify that or, or maybe I'm saying it wrong, but there is something there where they, you know, maybe they want him, they want him to be the successor in, in this whole process. But, you know, I give Jimmy, I don't know pasta too much. I don't follow him as much as I have Jimmy. I, I you know, there's been times where I've heard pasta say things that are kind of like out there, so to speak, just, you know, I'm not saying he's, he's bad or anything, just things that are, you know, for me, they make me kind of like, what? What, what, what is he saying? But Jimmy, uh, just because I've listened to him more years and, and over more time, I've seen him that he really stands behind what, what he says. And he's, cha he's champion. I think this is one thing that Jimmy has. He's champion a lot of people that he didn't have to champion. Uh, and he's, he's done it over and over, you know, like whether it's, you know, smaller shows uh you name it he's championed people and jimmy has done that and i think to me that carries a lot of weight right and i and i think you also were saying how um cornell and maybe and rfk maybe they're standing back from jimmy and they've been told to do so and it sounds like if 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 uh, his wife has reached out to cornell and they haven't really got you know i guess cooperation from 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 letting be a part of that process uh, to help Cornell, there must be something there with the people that are helping uh, Cornell's campaign that they kind of want to stay away of, of, of Jimmy because they maybe see Jimmy as too, you know, uh, too strong and, 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 and too much of a, uh, you know, where, where people see him as either they like him or they don't like him. And so they're, they're trying to, you know, calculate who they align themselves with, I guess, in a sense. But, yeah, it go could ahead. I'm be. Sorry. It, it could be that. I, I think you know. I don't. I don't know what it is. Um, again, these are all people that knew Jimmy way before I knew Jimmy. So that's the thing that's kind of odd to me. But it seems like to me, it's kind of weird. It, it's kind of weird that none of these candidates have gone on Jimmy's show, and are and all of them have been on his show like before. So to me, it's just I don't know. Like maybe um, maybe a message has been sent out. Don't go on that show. But you know what? But that, I, I but that don't make sense because they've all gone on Fox News. It's yeah, and, and I think that's it's a mistake. You know, and I'll tell you why. Jimmy's show continues to grow. There's more and more people that maybe in years in years past we would have considered to be 
maybe not even in the space or even looking at the space. But there's more people coming on to Jimmy's show. And whether it's artists, whether it's like doctors, I think he had a professor from up in New York somewhere uh, that got has some issues because of COVID. And his, his, um, a, a professor that was teaching propaganda in one of the colleges up in New York. I don't know if it's NYU. I can't remember. But there's more people that I would consider to be, uh, I don't know what you would call it, or just normal people, I guess. Not normal. I, I, I'm using the wrong term. But just people that are, you know, like this professor. He's a professor. Uh, I, he, he was not, a, you know, like a left-wing right wing or anything he was a professor and he came on jimmy's show to tell his story because he knew that more, a lot of people were going to be able to hear his story and jimmy was going to be willing to open up the questions to him without being biased like a like a cnn right so i think jimmy's show was becoming more and more popular there's more and more people listening to him so i think it would be a mistake not to get on this show, not to get on this platform. And also, he's been pretty right. You know, if you look at his track record, as far as like what he's called out, he's been he's doing pretty good. He's just very passionate. Uh, but look, Jimmy gets on shows with CJ and Nick. And they go at it. You know, they, they talk. And, and, you know, I really enjoy when he's on those shows where Nick and CJ are either schooling him or giving him, giving him another perspective. And I honestly, when I when I see those shows, Savvy, I honestly believe that Jimmy is listening and listening to these younger guys and really taking in what what CJ and Nick are saying, and and, and vice versa. So I, I I see Jimmy as a ultimately as a good thing, you know, for what we do in this ecosystem, much more than someone like RFK. Uh, who I still think is very coward by not standing behind the Palestinian issue with Israel. Because if he's not, I, I want people to think about this. If he's not, these are people of color, dark-skinned people in Palestine, right? They're not in Russia, light-skinned folks with green and blue eyes. They're not that. They're dark-skinned people, you know, people that, are, that look like that in my family. I'm not from Palestine, but I'm just saying, you know, my brother is dark skin and, and, and so was my dad and so on. Those people look like that. And he's not willing to stand up for those people. How do we know he's going to stand up for the people that look like that here in America? So a kid. Can you hear me? Yeah. So I'll find out for you. He's coming to Manhattan Tuesday. So I'm going to see if I can get tickets. It's like $23. And I will ask him where is he on lineage-based reparations if I get a chance to speak to him. I will ask him, oh, what was the other thing? Damn. Well, the second one was, uh, hey, when are you going to go into Sabrina's show? <laughs> there was a third one. I forgot what it was I was going to ask him. Those are good ones. For those are all good, Roger. There's a third one. I who? can't remember. Who, Roger? Huh? Who are you talking about? Who's coming? RFK. Oh, boy. <laughs> have fun with that, Roger. What's that? Have, have fun with that. <laughs> but, but 
And, and you know, Savvy, I'll go back to the pasta interview just for a little bit. Pasta made the comment that that he thought that RFK was not going into this whole Palestine issue because he didn't want to come off some kind of way and that eventually he was going to come around it. I think that's what I heard him say. I may be saying it wrong, paraphrasing what Pasta was trying to say, but that's what I remember kind of like what he was trying to say about this. And why would you do that? Why not just say that, yeah, it's wrong what these guys are doing in Israel? Because he's also a part of the system. But here's the thing. He's running to secure the Democratic nomination. The Democratic Party, when Rashida Tlaib recently made that comment where she was saying in response to people in the audience, you know, heckling her about her about the position on the Israel-Palestinian thing, she came out and said, well, we know Israel is a racist state and this and that. When I tell you the response was immediate and and within the democratic circles as well as without. So I think RFK Jr., it may not be the most honorable thing, but what I think he's doing politically is trying to avoid that hailstorm until he absolutely has to do it. Or maybe he's just never going to do it. Because if you don't, what we've seen in this situation with Rashida Tlaib is if you don't come down on the right side of this Israel-Palestinian thing for the Democratic Party, you are going nowhere. Jayapal, you mean Pramila Jayapal. Pramila Jayapal. Yeah, you're going nowhere if you don't come down on the right side of that issue. And like she said, there is a large organized, you know, presence on the other side and they were not represented on that stage. But the response to it was so immediate and overwhelming. She had to immediately start backtracking and trying to explain it away. And I know if I, I feel that RFK Jr. is too intelligent and sophisticated not to understand the the dynamic of the Palestinian-Israel conflict. He knows it, but he also knows, politically speaking, in trying to secure the Democratic nomination, that if he crosses that red line, they're going to come down on him in a heavy, heavy way. And he's already finding this thing trying not to be labeled as anti-vax. So I think he's doing a political dance. I don't think it's the most honorable or, you know, I think it's quite disingenuous, but that's what I think he's doing. And like I say, to me, the only thing that would make his candidacy make any type of sense is that if he is planning to do a dirty break because the Democrats are already aligned against him and they're not going to allow him to get that that front row space so it doesn't make any sense to be running as a democrat when you have all this opposition in the democratic circles unless you're going to pull up your cards and at the end of the day walk away and move them to a different political posture and if he's not doing that i don't even see why he's you know well if i may just respond to noel's uh, comments savvy i think she is correct that, that he is too smart not to know what's going on with 
the way the Palestinians are, are, are basically, right. you know, murder. I mean, it would be stupid to think that he's an attorney, he's a, an environmentalist, that he would not know the suffering of these people for decades and decades, right? And so he is, he's kind of, you know, posturing himself so that the melee won't come against him, that, the, that those in power are not going to come after him. So I get that part. I, th I think you're right about that. But it is a coward. It is a coward. It, it is a coward move. No, and, and, it, and if he has, because he's willing to do that, then he's willing to bend. He's willing to bend for other reasons too, right? So we, we could see that. By him doing this, it's a foretelling of what he would do in another situ similar situation. That's, you know, that's the way I look at it. I remember uh, this. Right. But uh, Jaya Paul, you know, her, you know, people coming after her and whatnot, she was also a coward, right? Not willing to stand behind what she said. W what would it take for somebody in her position to stand behind that? At some point, somebody's going to have to do it. And the, and the person who does it is going to take a lot of hits. But it's all that person's also going to be beloved by the majority. Just like when, you know, uh, South Africa, at some point, somebody has to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. And I'm going to stand behind it. At some point, someone's going to have to. Do and it. I agree, Eric. But let me give you an example from here in Cleveland. When the 11th congressional seat came open and um, Chantel Brown was running her and Nina Turner, Nina Turner at that time already had a long local political career here in Ohio. She, she um, had been held citywide office, statewide office, and at the time she had a national profile that she had gained and owned through her um, work with the Bernie Sanders campaign. Chantel Brown was on the county administration. She came from relative obscurity to beat Nina Turner, who had all of this name recognition and this and that. But I tell you how she did it. They had a debate with the, um, with the um, Jewish group that's organized out of this community called Beachwood, Ohio. During that debate... Nina Turner said, I, I agree that um, Israel has a right to defend itself and be secure in this and that. And then she said, but I also believe the Palestinians have a right to be secure. And, this, and I knew at that point it was over. And through the course, she went from a 30-point lead down to losing that seat. And it was APAC yep. money and the DMFI that came in on behalf of Chantel Brown with all of this money, all of this campaigning. So people know that if you cross that line, that organized Israel lobby, however it manifests, can bring the weight of money to these situations and they can take a front runner. So as you say, someone has to eventually have the courage. That person will have to be somebody who's ready to lose their seat and be persona non grata in a whole lot of circles. And it takes somebody with that type of freedom and that type of courage. You know, it takes courage. And I think Cornell has it. But um, it, we'll just have to wait and see. But I don't think well, anyone well, should well, underestimate 
the the power and strength of that Israel lobby as it stands. Well, let, let me ask you a question uh, to the audience or to Savvy. So, so do you think that Kanye was wrong? I mean, not everything that he said, but some of the things that he was saying were 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 truthfully correct. You know, because he was he was basically saying a lot of things about, uh, you know, I believe he was this community that. And just so you guys know, me and me and some of my friends talk about this. We don't talk it with. Uh, we mostly say just around people of color. You know, I don't think I've ever said it around people that were not people of color. Uh, but we we felt that a lot of the things that Kanye was saying, not everything, because some of the things that he says are way out there. But a lot of the core of what he was saying about this community, I don't even want to say that, you know, but that, that he was correct, you know. And, yeah, um, I, I believe, I've always, yeah. I, I believe that. Eric, by the way, I remember the third thing that I was going to ask. I was going to ask, does Palestine have a right to exist? Thank you for reminding me. No. Oh, 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 you're going to ask him? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I'm going to ask him that in front of that reverend, sorry, that Rabbi Shmuley guy. Yeah. But, you know, and I never understood, you know, I grew up with a few, uh, a couple of really dear friends of mine, you know, happen to be Jewish. but, you know, we were pretty poor growing up, and, and so were they, except for one of the guys. You know, one of the guys, his dad was was, was okay, and, and eventually we came, he became pretty well off. But but they do, you know, what I've seen is, you know, they're very much about their community. Just just the little bit that I know through my friend, they stick together, uh, they help each other. You know, like, I'm talking about, like, really help each other, Uh and 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 they're and they're about supporting each other in a way that you know maybe other communities don't do, and maybe that's an extension of of this lobbyist uh, that that Noel's talking about, and they're very fierce fierce about you know when they go after people and they apply their they leverage their resources to do it, uh, and and they do it in a way that if you talk against them, I mean immediately and and I see this everywhere immediately if you critique them, you're anti-Semite. You're you're a racist, and and it's insane because it's that's not the truth. You know, the truth is Israel has been murdering little kids and women and handicapped people, and you name it. In Israel, they have been doing that to these people for decades, and they take away their homes. They treat them like less than human. Yep. We can never see the story of the Palestinians. I have never, me personally, I have never seen a show or a movie that shows the plight of the Palestinians. I've only seen little bit, bit, bits and pieces, uh, but I've never seen a whole thing that, that tells us, you know, what's really going, going on over there. So we can never create a story in our own minds because all we, we are fed is what comes in through the news and we're bombarded with the same thing over and over. And it's taken me, you know, my whole adulthood to get to where I'm like, yeah, these guys in Israel are the bad guys, not the Palestinians. They're too poor. They literally don't have shit. You know, they, they are some of the poorest people on the planet. They live in the, some of the most con- condensed areas. It, I mean, it's, you know, unbelievable. And yet we send them, we send, I think, what, 3.5, between 3 to $5 billion a year that we send. Israel, they have nuclear weapons. They have the ability to an- annihilate anybody in that region. 
and they do all kinds of things that we don't know about, right? They do all these bad things, and we never, you know, we can never do anything about it because it feels like what Kanye was saying is correct, you know, without, you know, going into it. But anyhow, Sabi, I spoke a lot, and, and sorry, Noel, that I, you know, maybe I was, I used too much profanity before. <laughs> I apologize. The, the kid, okay. that, that's yeah. the point where you can pivot to, well, if I'm so anti-Semitic, why are you guys consistently financing Nazis in Ukraine? Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Great point. Great point. It's no skin, Eric. I have my big girl panties on, so cursing and stuff doesn't bother me. <laughs> right? Hello. <laughs> no, thank you, Sabi. I mean, these shows are so awesome, you know, and I think um, RFK has to come on your show. I mean, it would be so weak if he does not come on your show. To me, it would be so weak. Don't, don't worry. I'm going to go talk to him, my kid. Thank you. I'm, I'm gonna go if, he won't, if he won't come on to the gray zone and he knows Max Blumenthal, that is very telling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, we'll see what we we'll see what we can do. I don't think I'm that bad. Like honestly, like yes, I am going to push back on you, but I'm not going to push. I, I think the thing is, is like. But but you know, you know I do want to say Crystal something. Ball. Crystal Ball pushed back a lot harder than I think I would have. Yeah. You know, in reference to at least the COVID thing. I, I did want to say something about Cornell because, uh, you know, even though I haven't watched what, what Jimmy has to say, and I will watch it later tonight, is that Cornell is beloved by a lot of people. And one of the reasons yep. that we love him is because he stands up with what he believes. He did it through the whole Obama, you know, the, 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 especially during the second term when he called out Obama for the POS that he was. The, the, the you know really what he really was, Cornell was calling him out, but he's always done it in a way that he's elegant. He calls everybody brothers and whatnot, but but even you know Anderson Cooper, he made Anderson look not very good because Cornell Cornell was standing behind what he was saying, and it didn't make sense. What what Anderson was trying to compare when he was saying, hey. Uh, what's happening in Ukraine doesn't compare to what happened in Iraq. Come on. What are you talking about? We could, we could see through that. But Cornell did not go after him. And, and you could see it in his body language. He was like holding back with what he could say to this guy. He was trying to come back at him in a way that, you know, he's trying to say, say it in a nice way that he's wrong. And we could see it. We could see it in Anderson Cooper's body language. That he knew that he was full of it, and Cornell was being easy on him with his comebacks to him, and maybe he could have came back at him harder, but you know he's he's trying to become the president, and I think a lot of people can respect what he what he did. I I, I think you know without watching what Jimmy has to say, you know. In the meantime, start a ballot initiative. There you go. All right, <laughs> all right. I'm gonna let, uh, thank you, Savvy, for letting me talk for a while, and I want to say you know. Hello to everybody, you know, from, from the RBN, uh, Gamer, uh, Pilgrim, and all the guys, Ashura. I love you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much, kid. Scotty, um, you can come in whenever you're ready. Can you hear me? Oh, no, Scotty. 
We're going to bring in um, Ravina. Scotty, when you get your audio worked out, let me know. What's up, Ravina? You just got to hit unmute. Uh-oh. Might be a... Ravina? Okay, Ravina, um, I invited you to speak. Go ahead, Roger, in the meantime. Um, so I understand what you were saying. Um, I'm taking it back. I understand what you were saying about, like, the whole thing regarding, like, paywalls and stuff like that. And I definitely agree that the news should be made freely or whatever. But eventually, you know, I, you know, these guys don't want us on YouTube. Um, so I think that there should be like a backup plan. You know what I mean? Um, in case the unfortunate, the unfortunate uh, happens, you know what I mean? Seeing what happened with RBN and a thousand times it happened with Hardlands Media. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, so th- for me, like, what do I tell you guys, right? The backup plan is to make sure that you're following us on the other platforms. So we're on all the other ones. We're on Rumble, Rockfin. I'm even on Odyssey. Like, I'm on. we're on all those programs. So it's, the backup plan is to make sure you're following us on those other platforms, right? Mm-hmm. And also... Um, I think my followers are really good about this when I say the best way to support us is through Patreon. But I have noticed when it comes to RBN that like it doesn't seem to go that way. And so, you know, I see people sometimes who will come into RBN stream every time and they'll send like a hundred dollar super chat. But instead of sending a hundred dollar super chat every live stream, the best way that you could support us is just by being a patron. And then you wouldn't be spending a hundred dollars multiple times throughout the week. You know, I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. Like, um, can you explain what Patreon is to me? You haven't been on Patreon? No, I hear you guys say it all the time throughout the years. Okay. Break it all down. It's so I so for me, I can't speak for everybody else, but for me, I have all of my links in the details uh, tab of all of my videos. So if you if you watch a clip or a live stream, you click on that little description box, you're going to see the first thing you will see is all the links. That's just what I do. Like, so you'll see the link for like Patreon. So Patreon basically became popular when a couple years ago, when YouTube started demonetizing, demonetizing videos for people. This is before I was even. Yeah, that that was the apocalypse because of PewDiePie. Yes. Yes. So that's how um, Patreon became like a thing thing for people. So that's why people like David Pakman and like Kyle and all them, they were like, you know, how does it work? on Patreon okay. because we're not going to be able to make a living off of YouTube. And, and here's the thing. Um, people should be paid for their labor. Like it just like, I'm not going to be like, Hey, you know, 
we spend a lot of time doing this. Like, like it's a lot of work. Like nobody besides my husband, like other people don't see what I do behind the scenes. So it's like taking the time to find the articles, read the articles, the video clips, watch the video clips. At least this is what I do. Watch the video clips beforehand. Uh, do the timestamps. And Erica knows about the timestamps because when I queue up the links in type VNC, like Eric will tell you, I have certain timestamps for some videos. Like those things, that takes time. Like to say, okay, we're going to start at this point and end at the. So what I'm saying is, is like, it's work. It, it It is work like you are doing, right? So thing is, if you want to be truly independent, then you, and you're not going to take sponsorship money. Mm-hmm which is what not a lot of people are doing. So like, for example, David Pakman has sponsorships. TYT has sponsorships. Kim Iverson has sponsorships, but I, Jimmy, Jimmy Dore has sponsorships. Russell Brand has sponsorships. But one thing I noticed is like, Kim and them didn't get sponsorships until they went, they got that Rumble contract. So what I'm assuming is that if you have a Rumble exclusive, that means that you have to have a sponsorship at some point. And that makes sense for Rumble because Rumble doesn't have ads. Based on what I've seen, I haven't seen no ads on Rumble. So that makes sense. But for those of us who do not have a Rumble exclusive contract, which I do not, um, most of the smaller channels do not, we're independent so like and i've been offered multiple sponsorships i get a sponsorship offer every fucking week you guys i i played that freaking i showed you that thing with timu and i was like oh yeah guys you can shop on timu these people have contacted me every week like it's not i'm not kidding like i've had nike converse timu like companies you wouldn't think of contact you have contacted me. And what was really weird is that Converse contacted me after I had an on the ground video and my shoes, I think, cause I wasn't holding the camera up straight. <laughs> shoes were the first thing that you saw. And I was like, Oh, Hey guys, I remember that. Yeah. And so next thing I know, I got an email from Converse said, we would really like to, and I was like, the fuck? No, I just want to wear your sneakers. Like, I don't really know. Like, I don't really want you to be like, hey, Sabrina, will you mention this product, mention our product during your stream? No, I don't really want to. Like, I don't want to sell your shoes for you. Like, I just, I like your sneakers. I wear your sneakers, but I don't want to be like, hey, buy these sneakers. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's like, a, um, so. Patreon is like a, a so Roger. Patreon's like a membership. It, it's like each each creator has an account on it and it's based on it. You can go on there and you can, you can basically just sign up and it and and you basically can pick um, a dollar amount per month and you're and you're you're sponsoring them. You're like a you're like a patron. Okay. And so it's just a platform for doing that. They they take a a, a little cut out of it. Yeah, and so um I mean it's been really helpful for me. Like I like I'll be honest with you, like 
when I first started, actually a couple months after I first started, I didn't have hardly any patrons. Like, <laughs> I'm just being honest. I had hardly any, but I didn't do live streams when I first started my show. I just did uploads. Like I would record and do uploads and that kind of thing. It was actually Nick and Kamali who were like, yeah, you should do a live stream. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. And I was scared. But um, they kind of helped me through it. And I was like, okay, so I guess this is what I'll do. Eric will tell you because when when I first met Eric, like that was at the boss in March against Medicare for All or March for Medicare for All. And Eric said from very get-go, if you need help, let me know. And I think Eric said this like four times. And every time I was like, nope, I got it. I got it. And then... <laughs> You'll realize as you start, your channel starts to grow. Nah, you don't got it. <laughs> uh. You don't. Because you can't. It's hard to like do the news and watch the chat at the same time. It's, it's so hard this to do is, that. Okay, so this is like direct payment, like Zelle. Or it's like once... That. Yeah, it's it's once a month. And um, you can choose any... So I think like the lowest amount I have... For me, for Patreon is $1. Most accounts don't have that, by the way. Most accounts, the cheapest is like $5. The cheapest for me is $1. Um, because I, I know, like, realistically, some people may only have $1 to give a month. So, All right, so I just became a Sabinator. Okay, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking. He's on it. I'm laughing because when you say it, it reminds me of a burger or something. A burger? Yeah, because Wendy's has this thing called the bacon. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> so I'm in this thing now. It says, what's included? General support, access to this. Oh, that Discord thing drove me crazy, Sabrina. Am I going to start getting, like, pings all the time? I had to turn that thing. You have to... So you have to do what I did, which is turn off notifications for Discord, because I used to get them all the time, too. Yeah. So you, you're going to give me a mug and a sticker. Okay. If you're a Sabinator, it should be more than just a sticker. Um, it says, ex okay, it's an exclusive sticker. Oh, but it should be more than that. Well, it says general support, access to what's included. General support, access to Discord, exclusive mug, exclusive sticker. Yeah, you get the mug too. Okay, I thought there was something else. Okay. Okay, so what? So what happens now? Like, what? what Nothing. I mean, it just it, you get to feel good about being a patron of. Zap, Zap. So that's 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 all this was. Oh, okay. Just yeah, that's it. Like you'll so you'll now be on that Patreon list, and when the next time I go live, which will be Tuesday night you'll get that special shout out. Oh. oh. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be talking to uh, RFK then. He's 8 o'clock Tuesday. That motherfucker. <laughs> you know, he was supposed to be in Roxbury here in Boston and then he canceled. You know, they're like, oh, it doesn't work with his schedule. I'm like, schedule? You know what? It's always when it's always when he's supposed to meet with black people. It don't work for his fucking schedule. Hold on. Wow. I'm sorry. Was that me? I think I got, um, you know, I already had an account with this. Just said my, 
it said my uh your payments to Hardlands Media and Bad Faith didn't go through. I didn't even know that I was a member of this. I guess I did and forgot. <laughs> you you might have been. I mean, like, you know, Patreon's been around for a while. Like some people have been kicked off of Patreon. Probably for not paying, like. No, some people, creators have been off, like Whitney Webb was kicked off of Patreon and so was Vanessa Bealey. Hmm. Okay. You get any uh, paid memberships on um, Substack? I do. Yeah, there are some paid memberships on Substack. I still owe two Substack articles, which I haven't got around to because I'm doing the mutual aid barbecue. But after that, I can really just sit down and, and like bang out those articles and put those out. Um, the room yeah, they, reached they... out to me for one of them. And then it's just like one of my, like one of my sources fell through and I was like, fuck. So I really don't like submitting things to like, cause they reached out and said, we're looking for stories. I don't like submitting things to like, anyone else unless I have all my sources airtight and one of my sources fell through so I was like fuck go ahead Scotty you got it finally uh, I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about like being on this app maybe I'll maybe next time I'll try to the desktop but, um, I, uh, I wasn't able to watch uh the, the show from earlier tonight, but um, I did actually see, first off, I will be voting no on issue one out here in Ohio, which you talked about uh, about a week ago. Um, so there's that. I did actually see your uh, your uh, video on the um, Tupac, uh, well, PPD and how it relates to Tupac and what the uh, uh, Las Vegas PD are doing now. Can you still hear me? Yep. Good. Okay, so a few things about um, if you ever seen uh, Murder Rap or read the book, which is basically uh, the story that Greg Kading told about his investigation into the uh, Tupac and Biggie murders. First off, the reason why they even like were able to find out about what happened with Tupac was because the LAPD did not want to pay the the four hundred million dollar lawsuit to uh, Biggie's estate because his mother had sued back in the late two thousand. They sued because they figured, you know, from Russell Poole's investigation that, um, you know, there uh, were people, LAPD was somehow involved in the murder of uh, Biggie. Um, and Greg Kane was basically just there to find, you know, to disprove that, get the uh, city out of the up under a lawsuit. Uh, the TPD thing came up because they were able to build a drug case against them. And, like, over the course of a period of time, like, it was, I think it was a heroin uh, ring that he was running, and, uh, like, a, a bunch of people in his family. 
So they were able to use that against him uh, as a way of like trying to get him to talk about the Biggie murder, but he said he didn't have that. He did have the, the you know, Tupac murder since he was in the car. And, um, yeah, and so basically what Grand Katie says, and I know you said that, um, you find it odd that Fussy was either like in, uh, like he was both around like during, uh, Biggie and Tupac's death. Um, what Caden says is that he, he doesn't blame Diddy for Biggie's death. Um, what he says a murder rap, like from the investigation, because they did the investigation over the course of like a few years, um, that Biggie was killed as a retaliation for what happened with Tupac and it was orchestrated by Suge Knight. Right? And so one of the things that um yeah I like I'll say about this is that I love Tupac. Um I think he's one of the most prolific like rappers that we've ever had. But he was fucking reckless and like he was incredibly reckless to the point where the people that he was dealing with, like um like Jimmy Henchman and as soon as he gets shot he at first like accuses Biggie of it. Um he throws his friend Stretch from the Live Squad. If you you know who Live Squad is, like Elder, like a group of guys from Queens that had worked with Tupac, were friends with Tupac, and he accuses like friends of his of being involved in the first in the quad uh, studio shoot, right? The whole reason why he ends up like getting like a price put on his head by Diddy is because he was involved uh, with Suge Knight, and I think Roger mentioned this is that um his they moms. learned, huh? Do you hear me? Yeah, his mom's right. What are you talking about, uh, Tupac? Because, um, what do you call it? Uh, 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 he found out that that guy that got beat up by Suge Knight that was trying to find out where Diddy's mom's um, home was. In, in no, it was, it, was, it was Diddy's mom. Right, Diddy's mom. Yeah, the guy got yeah. beat up because he wouldn't tell. Um, yeah, Mark Anthony Neal, and they, um, they made him ingest Bodily yes. fluids, yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't want to say it like anybody on a, a weak stomach, but Suge Knight forced him to drink piss, and by all accounts, he wouldn't give up their, uh, he wouldn't give up the location. But like they beat him so bad that his like, you know, eyeballs uh, balls out of the socket, and like Tupac was a part of that beatdown. And so, like, you're, you're doing stuff like this. Um, like, Diddy decides that, okay, like, it's not safe out for me out in LA. So I have to get some, some, some protection. And, like, that's when, like, he, like, links up with the Southside Crips and 
they, they put a, yeah, PPD. They put a million dollar price on his head. Um, the funny thing is, at least from what they said, uh, what Katie says in Murder Rap is that that night that Tupac like got killed, that originally wasn't supposed to happen. Like they originally was just there just to see the fight. I mean, he still had the price on his head, but like. He escalated that situation by putting hands and feet on Orlando Anderson. Like he, Tupac had no business doing what he did. Like the fact that he even like took it upon himself to go over there and beat down Orlando Anderson, and not realize who who this guy was. Um, like yeah, he he was reckless. Like. Can I, I understand. go ahead? Can, can I remind you of something? Go ahead. Let's not forget. Um, Biggie had put out um, a hit on um, the Snoop. dog pound. Yeah, snooping. Them. Put, I don't know if you know about that, Sabrina. Yeah, yeah, the dog pound, the uh, the New York yeah. New York video shoot, where right. apparently he. And I would love for Hot 97 to put out the tape, just, you know, for history's sake. But I like, remember, like, when that was happening in real time. <laughs> so they, so it actually did happen. Like, they actually did, he actually did go on the radio and tell people where the video shoot was. That's yeah. true. And, and you know what? I can't... St- Dan Funkmaster Flex, because he always was escalating shit. You know what I, I mean? I mean, well, that was a lot of the hip-hop media. Him, Vibe, the source. Yeah. Which, like, but, but you see, Vibe puts, Vibe puts no. out one magazine per month. Okay, Flex is, was on there every night talking yeah. shit. And escalating yeah. shit. You know what I mean? And Biggie calls up the radio station and so what, what's up? What you gonna do? What you, what you gonna do, Big? How you gonna handle it? Instead of like, yo, chill. We don't need that. He's like, he's like, escal- amping it up, amping it up. And I, you could see that pressure that he feels that he has to represent because people are, are pressuring him and putting and putting heat to him. Yo, you gonna let him do that? You gonna let them do a video right in your home backyard? You want to let them punk you like, you know, like, you know, people, you know, you always got these people in your camp. And, and sometimes these, all these crews are not good for you because you just got hanging mm-hmm. around that, that are just want to amp it up, amp it up, amp it up. You know it's what I mean? Always, it's always the entourage that, yeah, you know, not, get in the fights and like, like, yeah, punk they people up. To prove something. They, they're trying to, yo, yeah. I'm down. You know, and they, they're always trying to amp. And this person, is not even probably someone who was down from the beginning, just someone who just got onto the crew or whatever the case is. And you know, they, they yeah. the people almost killed Snoop and 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 um corrupting all of them in Brooklyn. They had bullets flying through the trailers and all that different type of stuff. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when Biggie did that, it, it just it all it just escalated a situation where people do think it's an East Coast, West Coast thing. And it's like, not necessarily. It was a, it started from a a professional jealousy 
between two men, mainly from Suge, oh, about uh, Puffy. And, you know, there was the incident and, like, um, about, like, Biggie performing at a show and Suge Knight wanting half the door. And, yeah, like, that didn't work out. And then there was the incident in in Atlanta. At the, I think it was the Jermaine Dupree, like, a release party, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And... Bad boy and uh, death row gets into it. A friend is good night. Huh? Are you talking about um, the Source Awards at the Apollo? No, no. This was like ironically a year before Tupac gets shot. So basically what happens is, um, and I think it might have been a little bit before the Source Awards, but like basically what happens is they're at. a party, uh, uh, this club, and I think it's the uh, uh, Jermaine Dupree release party. And both Bad Boy and, and Death Row are there. People from both camps are get into it outside of the club, and in the midst of the commotion, Suge Knight's friend, Jake Robles, gets killed. He gets shot. Yes. And right. from you know, from what's been said, is that um, I thought that was the was just, that was after the Apollo. No, no, no. This was um, I, I'm, I'm guessing this was before that. But like everybody uh, that was there says that it, you know, Wolf, which was uh, Diddy's head of security, uh, killed uh, Jake Robles, and that's what led to. Yes, that was Suge Knight's best friend. Yeah, that was Suge Knight's best friend. And that's what led to the beatdown of Mark Anthony Hill. And that's what led to both of them having a price on their head. And so the the thing about KCD, like, possibly getting arrested, as you listen to the the interview, by the way, uh, Savvy, I think you definitely should interview uh, Greg Kading because, you know, he'll have definitely a lot more information about it. Um, but um, what the Kading had said is that when they gave him the proper agreement, that didn't actually give him immunity. It just gave him, like, the freedom from being prosecuted by the LAPD and the feds. Because, you know, I guess there was in some way that they were able to, because this, I believe this was also a federal case, that didn't exempt him from further statements that could have incriminated him over time from the Las Vegas Police Department. So him talking, going on these interviews, you know, talking about his involvement, really hurt him like you know people out want to blame Vlad and like you're the idiots decided to go on there and talk about this stuff especially in your lyrics like you're putting yourself out there um and like he's like writing a book about it it's like dude like what are you doing yeah but yeah like uh Go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of which, 
it's 50 years of hip hop. So I'm going to try to go to that uh, Forest Hill Stadium uh, uh, thing that they're having in Queens. Uh, what is it? August 5th. Okay, let me try to see if I can remember here. Uh, you guys gotta let me. You gotta let me know about the New York stuff like earlier on because remember New York isn't as far from me. Oh, I'm usually, I'm usually heading to DC, but New York is like just three hours away from me. So, <laughs> you if something to... happened in New York, I just need to know. Well, it's August fifth at twelve. Um, you want me to get your tickets? I get your tickets. Wait a minute. I might be a jazz. I, that's Herbie Hancock. Don't interrupt Herbie. Hold on. <laughs> August 5th. Yeah, no. I'm going right, to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at the Jazz Festival. That's my jam, man. Okay, check. It's it's the Rock the Bells joint. All right. So this is Herbie. Big Daddy. This this is Big Daddy Kane speaking. Oh. Hey, no, that's not. Oh, no. I had that damn Instagram thing. That's that's not what. Okay, that's not what was on there before. I don't know what mm -hmm. that. Was. Instagram is freaking. I gotta cool. I gotta have Herbie Herbie be like. Watch the documentary about the original Rock the Bells Festival. 
uh, ODB actually didn't want to go on stage. You know, this was like, you know, when he had just gotten out of prison, he was with Rockefeller uh, uh, records at the time. And, you know, he <laughs> got out of prison. Uh, huh? Who got out of prison? ODB. This was like oh, okay. uh, not too long after he got out of prison. Because okay. he had spent uh, uh, like three years in prison. And he like immediately signed with uh, Rockefeller Records. And so, yeah. Him and, uh, yeah, him and RZA weren't on the best of terms. And right. he, you know, didn't feel like it. And they basically convinced him to like go on stage and they said like hey you like you don't even have to you don't you can just sit down and uh and perform and most of the night that's what he did <laughs> so that was yeah like so so like rock the bells was like the premier like hip-hop festival for a good five years like they had like a mixture of underground and uh and commercial acts, and that's what they were known for. Like, I never went, but I remember. I never went, but I remember my friends used to go down south um, to go to the Jack the Rapper joint. Um, yeah, I, I heard about Jack the Rapper. I never. Like, yeah, that was. I remember. No, nah, I, I just remember like they was telling me about how when. Um, Luther Campbell and and Dr. Dre were beefing at the time, and they crews got into a big fight down there. Whatever the case was, I was like, I'm not going. I listen to the music. I'm not going to them crazy, <laughs> crazy uh, 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 rap joints. Cat, cats is beating each other up, shooting and all that stuff. Yeah, everybody's. Um, I yeah. want to make sure we bring in other people. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about it's that. It's okay. Um, Bindu, you have to unmute. Okay, go ahead, Bindu. What's up? Hey, so uh, just to uh, take it back a little bit, I, I was kind of feeling what you were saying um, when you were referencing like uh, like uh, pasta, basically like saying that, you know, we need to make, you know, white people feel more comfortable and somebody like RFK Jr. does that. But it's like, for me, it's, you know, that's that's very like, I think it's like almost a slap in the face because when you look at any like movement, you know, throughout American history, it was always black people, you know, either at the front lines or more often than not leading the charge. And, you know, our issues always got put to the back burner and our communities have always, you know, got got the shit in the stick when it came to certain things. And I'm not you know, I'm not trying to play a tit for tat type of thing, but it's like you can't keep asking people, you know, to bite their tongue and make sacrifices when it comes to their communities when you know uh when you know you're not upholding your end of the bargain and then it's like with rfk just him running as a democrat already i already wasn't feeling that like at all because i'm like i'm already at the point i'm 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 not voting for democrats i'm you know i'm trying to get on board with cornell because personally i'm just i've been done with electoralism period but like just this constant like cycling of different people, you know, first it was Tulsi, you know, and she was, I was liking her a lot. I even donated to her campaign because she was saying things about criminal justice reform, her 
the claim to fame was taking down Kamala Harris based on criminal justice reform. Now, you know, she's basically 360 on that is on and is on Fox News, you know, screaming about packing the prisons even more like all, all of these figures to me, you know, they start out saying good things. But eventually, from my perspective, their rhetoric turns anti-black from what I've been seeing. I agree. No, I totally feel you on that, Bindu, because that's one of the criticisms that I've had for quite some time is just like, no, like, when is enough enough? Like, when do we, like, put our hands up and say, no, you're not going to push us to the end of the line anymore? Yeah, and I remember um, when I was, like, really getting politically active, my father is somebody who's, like, super duper pro-black like he has some views that I don't agree with when it comes to other races and everything and you know we were having a conversation just about politics and I'm spouting off you know like oh Medicare for all this you know Green New Deal that and my dad is almost 70 years old you you wouldn't be able to tell if you looked at him but he's almost 70 years old so he done seen some shit he told me about experiences he done had in this country both just you know in the corporate world and you know out in the normal world and everything and he looked me in my face and said, fuck all that. I don't care about no environment. I don't care about, you know, whatever. Because it's like they always, he, the way he explained it to me is it's always something, oh, we have, we can't talk about, you know, police brutality now because we got to put that aside to stop this nuclear war. Or, you know, you, we can't talk about any other black issue right now because it's always something that has to be more important now. It's COVID and Ukraine and all these things. And those are issues that I care about, but I've just made the conscious choice to say, like, I need to not just hear people speaking to my community, but showing tangibles. Cause this, it's just like seeing, like seeing how he, how somebody like RFK will, uh, bend over backwards, you know, for certain groups and communities. But like, it's almost like when I see him in these videos with like different black people, it's almost, it's, it seems like acting. It's like, um, it was a Chris Rock movie that came out a while ago. It's called uh, Head of State, I believe, or something like that. Yeah. It's almost it's almost like the skits in that where like the white teams doing the commercials with black people and everything. And it's like, dude, this just seems so fucking disingenuous, like because you're not you're you're not actually like proposing any policies to help these people's communities. It's almost like gaslighting them almost. Then do. Yeah. Notice how they never asked the uh the, the, the pro-choice community. Hey, you got to be on, but we, we can't deal with the pro-choice now. We got to do the environment stuff. We got to do this. So we got to do that. We got to put this stuff aside. Exactly. That, and that's, that's, you know, but I, but I've been told by my liberal progressive, you know, friends and people I interact with that, like I'm being divisive and toxic when I say stuff like that. And, at first, it, it, it used to like offend me, but now I just laugh because it's like it's like you're basically like to me it's like it's, it's saying I'm white and I'm right. That's what it sounds like, and that's yeah. that's basically what it is. Like it's like shut the fuck up, I'm white and I'm right, and that shit like if I'm looking at my dad's um, grouping and I'm like if they weren't taking that shit, this young younger generation and especially myself, but this younger generation that got out in the streets during George Floyd, you know. I, I just imagine, like, no, no, this younger generation is not taking that shit anymore. <laughs> like, at all. Bendu? <laughs> yeah. Bendu, yeah. uh, Scotty, I saw your, uh, uh, your channel, uh, you know, someone was pretty good. I was wondering if you were actually going to do that panel on, um, 
the Anik Asparian thing. But uh, you also, another reason why I think that they always uh, say that you're being divisive is it's another way of saying that, look, black people are always seen at the bottom. And somebody's got to be at the bottom, and it's you. So anytime you ask to be centered uh, in anything, and white people aren't included, or anybody else isn't included, we're feeling what they're going to say, like, well, we're going to feel left out, because that means that you're going to get a leg up in some way. And if that means exactly. that you're going to get a leg up, then that means that uh, I'm going to end up losing something. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the like, whole thing. Like, so whenever you hear like any of these like conservative white people, whenever you mention slavery and restorative justice for black people for slavery, the first thing they talk about, well, well, the Irish were slaves. This group of people were slaves. Then, all right, then explain to me why when it came to fighting to end slavery, the Irish turned around and said, and actually rioted <laughs> because they not only did they not want to fight to end slavery, they didn't want to fight the um, free the um, the the black slaves because they felt it would upset their economic standing in the country at the time. They so people, servants, but I hear you. Yeah, so so people like you know it's it's always this like this this taboo nature of talking about black issues and then like recently like you, you, you guys spoke of nina turner earlier i don't know if you guys saw the um the new hampshire um uh what are they um libertarian party yeah the libertarian party like basically making analogies of telling her to go fucking pick cotton or some shit and these are the same people that you know people like pasta and different people were saying oh we need to align with them to stop nuclear war but then they come out saying some goofy shit like this like i'm not i'm not doing that with these motherfuckers man like that's crazy man like people like it's it's like i'm supposed to accept somebody spitting in my face because yeah. of yeah no because that What you all are dealing with is, you know, there are two organizing principles that have established the entire American society, primarily as capitalism. When the um, early immigrants came from England, you know, they were, quote unquote, fleeing oppression. But what they were really fleeing was the monarchy and the caste system that had them framed out because they were not born into those families. But the ideology of it, they brought with them. And so I frame it as capital became the new king. That is anybody who owned anything and it was going to be white men. They had access to the highest echelons of the society. And in order to you know, mobilize that and um, operationalize it, they implemented race. And so you have the entire American society coming through the intersection of capitalism and white supremacy. So fast forward to today, those two organizing principles still govern the entire society, which is why when we talk politics, there is this sentiment that, oh, if you do anything for the descendants of slaves, you have to do it for everybody. It has to be a universal thing because the idea 
of doing something that would unshackle the descendants of slaves from the bottom of not only the economy, but the social registry is counter to the organizing principles of this nation. And that's why it goes unsaid. That's why Post is saying, well, you have to make white people comfortable because what they're essentially saying is be a Democrat or Republican at a certain base level, they're all racist, the Democrats and the Republicans. And so to, you know, talk of centering and I say the descendants of slaves, because that's what this is really all about in terms of, you know, blackness and whiteness in, in America. It is that slave descendant that creates the issue. But that's the core of it. That's why, you know, if you talk about reparative or restorative justice and this and that, the whole room goes numb and they say, oh, that's divisive because they have no plans on entertaining what it really means and they have no idea and no interest in changing and upending the entire system and changing the social order because that's what would happen and so they're like oh no 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 everything we propose has to be universal which would preserve the social order if if whatever we do for the blacks, we do for everybody else and make it a universal, they will always be at the bottom. And at this point, you know, it, it's just a very difficult thing. But that's that that mm -hmm. string that you keep seeing running through the entire body politic, including the black elected gatekeepers and grifters. They mm -hmm. get your vote and get in the office. Then they become tools of white supremacy and everything else. Like, yeah, that's, uh, like, like Clyburn, he's a perfect example of that, right? Like, cause, cause Clyburn is, he's a part of the, the, uh, black caucus, but he's also a freaking uncle Tom. Like, I'm gonna keep it real. I lived in South Carolina, Clyburn, uncle Tom corporate. He takes a lot of money from big pharma and he lives in one of the poorest districts in South Carolina, but he's not poor. And a lot of his constituents don't have health insurance, can't pay for health care, but he's taking all this money from Big Pharma. And again, this goes back to what I said earlier tonight about the whole issue with Kyle, the Kyle Kalinske story when he was talking about why minorities vote for the Democratic Party, which I had to debunk his ass on. But the whole thing is, is again, is if you have control particularly with black people, you have control in an end with the black church. Oh, then you, you're going to win. And people like Jim Clyburn, they have an end with the black church and with black sororities and fraternities. And that's why he continues to win over and over again. That's why someone like um, Marcel Dixon, who ran against him before and is running against him again, that's why he has such a tough time trying to beat a Jim Clyburn. This is not AOC versus Jim Crowley. This is not New York, where someone like AOC has more people in her district where she can kind of pass off and say, you're an immigrant just like me, even though she's not an immigrant. She was born in this country because she speaks the language they identify, right? So the, the difference is, in South Carolina, especially in the South, you can't just be black and that passes off. You got to be black and have the approval of the black church 
and the Black Greek organizations. And people got to know you for a long time. And that's why someone like Marcel has had a difficult time. Plus, the majority of Black Americans don't vote in the first place. And two, the ones that do, the majority of the ones that do, are not in my age bracket. They're not millennials. They're not. Yeah, they're all boomers. <laughs> exactly. And they're usually the ones who are at the church. And I'm not going to lie, like, I'm I one of those, uh, you know, I, I'm a black male. I, 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 I voted for the first time in 2020, and I voted for Howie Hawkins. And when I found out about all the bullshit with the Green Party, I was like, man, fuck this. I'm never voting again. That's why I'm hesitant about Cornell West as well. But I, I really, I've really been feeling, you know, a lot of, I've, I've always felt a lot of the things uh, uh, Dr., you know, Dr. West has been saying, but it's like, it's kind of it's kind of going the line, and I'm pretty sure everybody's had this criticism of him, like that that my brother da 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 that shit is not like you gotta look at somebody like Donald Trump who came out like just spitting venom at anybody who crossed him, and the establishment rolled that guy, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that that's that's why it's like it's it's gonna take excuse my French, but it's gonna take somebody with balls to go up in there and actually implement the changes, and I just don't see it happening which is why I do champion like a lot of the things you guys talk about in terms of like mutual aid and working outside the system. Cause I just don't think anybody has the guts to actually go in there and do that. Like when people talk about that with RFK, I literally laugh. I'm like, dog, you're talking like, you're talking about somebody who can't even get Israel right. Like he can't even get something as basic and simple as that. Right. And you expect, you expect me to, you expect me to watch him take on the same people that killed his uncle and his father. So, but listen, but but Bindu, and 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 one second, Roger, because I want to bring in Karen too. But Bindu, let's keep it real. To Jimmy Dore's point, is it so much that he can't understand it, or is it that he understands it, understands it, but he doesn't want to give way to the Israel lobby? I'm going along with what Max was kind of alluding to, that it's a possibility, you know, this could be like that was some form of exchange and him doing that. I don't like I may be wrong on that or I may have been misreading because I, I saw Matt, Max put out like a long tweet um, talking about this um, as well. And he like from what I've read, it was kind of like he was alluding to that because he from what he said and even in like a lot of RFK's writings, like on my channel, like. I covered his article where he was talking about the Syrian pipeline crisis and he never like espoused any of this like anti-Iranian or anti-Syrian stuff that he's talking about now. So that's why I was like, it really threw me for a loop too. Cause I didn't know, like when he came out against the um, Iran nuclear deal, I was like, yo, this motherfucker's crazy. He's like, like, I, I feel like Biden is looking at him like, yo, this bull going harder than me right now. If by, if he's even awake and mm-hmm. conscious of what's going on, but um, but yeah, so it's just, it's, it's just crazy to like, to, to, you know, to, to see like that, like, it, it's like, bro, like read, read the, read what's in front of you. And then like, when I read Whitney Webb's work and I see how power, not just in terms of Congress, but like, in terms of just like a lot of the, like, people don't understand, like Israel, they, they built that country through blood. Like, um, Richard Medhurst was talking about this on his channel and I actually read the book. I think it's called Rise and Kill. It was written by some journalist. He's actually he actually was telling it from an unbiased perspective. You know, he's not like a super pro Palestinian guy or person. 
And like a lot of the stories he told in there about how they were assassinating like British officers. And essentially that's why like, you know, Britain eventually came to the conclusion of giving that land to them because they were killing so many of the officers that they were like, all right, fuck it here. Just take this, leave us the fuck alone. <laughs> they wanted to be done with it. And just going forward, you know, the assassinations, I'm not, I'm not, you know, cheering for somebody like, I think the guy's name, the Nazi's name was Adolf Eichmann or something like that. But like, just seeing how like, you know, that operation went down and a lot, just reading in that book, like I, I would recommend people reading that book. Cause that really like, I was already like, you know, fuck Israel. But after I read that book, I, I, it, it radicalized me against Israel after reading that book. Cause I'm like, yo, this shit is great. Cause I know that if, and, and again, I'm not trying to do a tit for tat thing, but if, if there was some African group or black group that was doing the same fucking things that they were doing to build a, like to build a United African nation or some shit, just hypothetically, there's no fucking way in, in the world that, that they would, that, that you would see, you know, countries all over the world, you know, saying, Oh, this, this nation deserves the right to exist. Like even Russia, this has been like Russia's stance on this as well. The Soviet going back to the Soviet union, like a lot of the, um, the people that immigrate to Israel are Ukrainian and Russian um, Jews. So it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic and to, to watch go down as well. So, yeah. Karen. Hi, I'm up here in Canada, <laughs> actually. Very what interesting part? conversation. You, you, you do a great show, Sabby. I love it. What, um, um, what part of Canada? The capital, where the trucker's strike was. Ottawa? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're on my side then. Okay. I was just Yeah, curious. yeah, yeah. I have a sister in Boston, too. In um, Franklin, actually. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, pretty cool. Anyway, I I came in. Um, I watched uh, Cornell West with um, Anderson Cooper the other night. And I was mad at Anderson Cooper. I thought he was a real dick. And then I, a friend of mine, he's in the hospital, so I was on the phone with him, and I missed the beginning of Jimmy's show the other night. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. I'm on a cheap little tablet. So I came in, and then I saw Jimmy yelling, and his face was red, and I thought something had happened, and Cornell, Cornell was out of the race, because even though I'm in Canada, I'd like to go up there and volunteer for Cornell. I love him. So I, was, I, was, I came in late like in the middle of the movie, I guess, with Jimmy and I was writing in the live stream, somebody give him a hug because I thought it was over for Cornell. And then I finally, he dropped his vid today and I went, oh, okay. I understand to, to, to a point why Jimmy's upset. I think he's seeing what I saw, like when Bernie Sanders was in the debate with um, Biden and he, he wimped out. I was, I was screaming at the screen like I, you want to see some teeth. But Cornell is, he's very polite. He's like a very kind and good person. And he's, he's used to being friendly to these people. So the guy has to, you know, he has to get his legs. But I mean, I, I don't think he did terribly at all. I thought he may, I thought Anderson looked like an asshole at the end of the day because he was so polite. Um, I think a drop of honey uh, gets you a lot further than a gallon of gall, if you know what I mean. Like, and I, I don't think it, it was too horrible with Cornell, but if he could, like, I see where Jimmy would be useful, 
for speed because Jimmy goes on shows like Fox with a, with 10 minutes and he has to say a lot and he condenses it. That's a skill that maybe could help Cornell a bit. Um, but Cornell's a teacher. He, he could, he could d go at it from the direction of teaching a class, you know, but teaching, uh, lay people who don't know as much as a student because yeah, he, I, I've been following this, so I understood what he was talking about. But Jimmy made the point that a lot of people on, who watch CNN don't have a clue what he's talking about. So, you know, um, yeah, but I, I, I still think Cornell is, has, has, all he needs is 10%. I mean, even up yeah, here in Canada. I think I think there's more and I totally hear you, but I think there's more to the story. And I say that because when I was watching it, I noticed he said that he reached out and it sounds like he didn't get like a response. Like he reached out to help with the campaign if need be. And but Jimmy can be really I love Jimmy, but he can be very bombastic. I'm the same. I'm, I've got Irish in me, too. You could be a bit too much at times. You know, and, but, you know, maybe he could just wait it out. Cause I think Cornell, like, uh, Chris Hedges is helping Cornell too, of course, right? And he's a great speechwriter, but they're yeah. both long winded and that the, the layperson doesn't understand them. You know, you have to be quite well read to understand half of what the two of them are saying at times. You know, so I saw where Jimmy was coming from there. I don't know. I see what you're saying too. He might not, uh, he might not uh, be able to call him back. I think he will. I think in time, because um, uh, Chris is Miss Chris Hedges is friends with Jimmy too, eh? So and he loves Jimmy. Yeah, but I think this sounds more personal to me. Like when I was watching that last night, and Eric, um, whoever else saw this, Eric, Roger, Bindi, Scotty, Noel, either one of you, you probably saw things. Have seen things I haven't. Maybe then it just it seemed a little bit more personal to oh, me. Oh, definitely it kind of was like personal. Was yeah, he bit. looked like he was going to have a stroke. I was he worried seemed, for him. His face was red. It, you it know, like it seemed like he might have been a little bit more hurt. Like, that's just me, you know. Yeah, I thought Cornell was out of the race and Jimmy was really upset. And I was saying, somebody give the man a hug. Give him some oxytocin. Give him some oxygen. He looked like he was, like his face was red for the rest of his show, if you noticed. And he was shaking. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's weird because when I was, so I watched it when it was live. And I yeah. saw what people were saying in the chat. And I the saw some of it. chat. People in the chat were like, this is why it should be you or RFK. And most of the people were like, that's why I'm supporting RFK. Da, da, da. So there were a lot of people in the chat supporting RFK Jr. And that kind of made me kind of made me take a second look. And it made me realize that, like, in reference to the RFK Jr. coverage on Jimmy's show, it has not been negative. Most of yeah, the he had him on the favorable. one time. Yeah. Right. But he has not, he, RFK Jr. has not been on Jimmy Dore's show since he announced he was running. But the comedian there, um, little Rob, whatever his name, he was on. Kurt. He, he, no, not Kurt. No, the comedian who's friends with uh, uh, Robert Kennedy. The little, he, he was the uh, player. Rob Schneider? Rob, Rob Schneider. Schneider. That's it. Yeah. He was on kind of representing him. 
Two. Right, but, 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 but where is RFK Jr.? The, the point that I'm trying to bring yeah, up is Yeah, he's playing like, it safe. I see what you're saying. He's selectively. Is it, is it just me? Well, the Palestinian thing he's hiding from, obviously. And which I, is I pretty feel gross. Like he's also hiding from Max Blumenthal. Oh, yeah, because, well, he. Max Blumenthal will give him the tough questions. He'll, he'll bring up Palestine, just like um, what's his face who brought Snowden, who uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald took great raked him over the coals. I don't know if he wants to go through that again. <laughs> you don't know if he's ready to go through that again, because Greenwald really held uh, held him to task, which was great, by the way. And he did turn on some of the things and he did start thinking. He really needs to watch Abby Martin's uh, documentary that came out a few years ago to get an eye opener of what's going on in Palestine, if he doesn't know. But I think he would know. I think he really knows. But again, yeah, I think so. He's not he's not that nice. I have to say this man is running to try and secure the Democrat nomination. You are going you're going nowhere in that party if you're not on the right side of that Israel thing. And so we know he has the intellect and sophistication to get it, but he has to be disingenuous about it because if you don't, you're going to cross that line. And just like, was it Pramila Jayapal? Was was that it? When you cross that line, they're going to come at you from so many different angles. So I think he feels boxed in. But in terms of the Cornell West thing, you know, it's funny because I liken it to the the Bible stories about Jesus in terms of the people were looking for a warrior king. But that is not who Jesus was to be. No, exactly. And so I think with Cornell, people are looking for him to be sharper, you know, take out some of the lecture, some of the professorial stuff some of the analogies that go over people's head and Anderson Cooper needed to be brought into focus. He needed his ass kicked and it oh, was he frustrating absolutely did. to I was me. annoyed at that. It was frustrating he- to me that Cornell, you know, does his my brother thing and and begins to, you know, unravel the discourse, but I mean sometimes you just need to call people out and keep it moving. Well, I'm you sure don't he's got a all temper though. Big, you, uh, you gotta have a temper because he's had three wives. So, you know. <laughs> well, he needs to, you know, he needs, he needs to, to sharpen it up and cut Who's down some of the wives? language. Cornell. Oh, all I the smear, talking- all the smear channels are saying it. So I googled it the other day and I went, oh well. <laughs> Still, I, thought I like you were him. Talking about Anderson Cooper, I was about to be like, say what? Oh no, now? Cornell. Oh, he's gay. <laughs> yeah. I thought so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Cornell's had three wives. I, I kept getting the smear when I'm arguing with people did in live streams. And I said, he said, he had, I bet I thought I better Google this because these people are throwing this at me because I get in debate debates with people. And I went, oh, OK. Three. Somebody said four or five times. And I answered back. I said, no, it's three. <laughs> but still, it's not. Uh, yeah, but they'll, they'll use that against him. So it's good to know it. <laughs> you know, did his will... first wife pass away, though? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I just Googled it quickly because, you know, somebody was using, oh, he can't even keep a marriage. A lot of professors can't keep a lot of like Chris Hedges is on his second wife. Um, my dad's on his second. It's not that unusual. I was, I was about to say a lot of times like academics, 
that's not uncommon because they exactly because the thing with for people who are not aware like because i worked in higher ed i understand this like academics like they have to move where they get the job so that's like, right they may have a job in massachusetts and they're working at harvard and mm-hmm. they meet someone and they get married but then if they don't get tenure they may have to look for a job elsewhere. So the thing about people who are faculty, they don't get to pick and choose where they want to live. They yeah. have to go where they get the job offer. So that means they could end up living somewhere in the sticks, like in Iowa or somewhere that they really don't want to be, but that's mm-hmm. where they have to go because of the job. And it's not guaranteed they're going to be there for a certain number of years. So they have to move around a lot unless yeah. they're tenure. And that's the thing. And so not everybody's up for that ride. And it's like army people or my dad, he had a job where he traveled across Canada and that caused a divorce. I mean, yeah, it goes with, it it goes with different jobs too. You know, it's just life. Yeah. Cause like I grew up in a military family. I told you guys about this before, but like my, my, my parents were military and we moved every three years. Yeah. I'm telling you, it takes a special kind of somebody to, be okay with that not everybody is up for that life yeah so that that's the thing you know but uh, yeah when i found out that i said oh they're gonna they're gonna use that against him and i thought i'm glad i know that too like you know because because i i when i when i like somebody i I debate and i learn about them and it's just fun for me you know it's always good to learn more about things you know and uh, i've always been active in politics since i was a kid i social a social democrat or you know my parents were from scotland and they were you know working class and you know so i have that in my blood kind of thing so i think jimmy should put all that energy and frustration to the to starting the ballot initiative i hear you roger (laughs) yeah jimmy's got great energy sometimes he just misdirects it i don't know i I do that to myself so I, i can recognize it you know, um, let's bring in case case study QB. Hey, what's up? What's up? I gotta make sure my mic sounds nice. Hear me? Yeah, we hear no, you. Case. Yep. Yeah, you sound good. I was, I was taking I was taking notes throughout the night, hanging out in the audience because I was busy here at work. I didn't want to jump in and and then have to take calls, jumping in and out too much. So I have a lot of notes. So one of the things I want to talk to um I know that Roger, you mentioned about Cornell West and the Green and the Green Party and how, you know, everybody is galvanizing and jumping in to help him instead of helping out um with the ballot initiatives. And, you know, that was that made me think that, you know, that's one of the things about having the pros and cons of having a leader, right? One of the pros is if that person is charismatic enough and they can articulate the issue enough, they can galvanize people around an issue. While ballot initiatives, that's something that we need, you know, it would be helpful for somebody with that charisma. Like, what if Cornell West just started to grab onto this idea? He can really get people more involved. So that's one of the benefits of a leader. Now, of course, we all know the downsides of a leader is that they can get corrupted or they can get killed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that was a thought I had in, in regards to that. And then um, you guys were talking about RFK earlier. Um, not going on different shows, and I totally agree with you all that I, I think he definitely needs to go on various shows at, at least. And that's what he said he's been doing, going on a lot of podcasts. But then, like 
Sabrina pointed out, I haven't seen him on a lot of black podcasts um, at, at all or not prominent. Well, no left, no left podcast like yeah, case. like none. Yeah, but I I really love like um like I heard uh, tears said earlier. Um, well, I can't think neoliberal tears. Uh, she, she I think Brianna did a great job. Uh, you know, combating and talking to him about the Palestinian issue. I thought she did a really good job. But the point I wanted to make in regards to this was I saw Jesse Walters. You know, of course, you guys know that I've been watching a lot of different mainstream media. And I remember watching Jesse Waters on uh, Fox, The Five on Fox. And he was complaining about, hey, I've been inviting RFK and one of my show and he hasn't been coming and he's not coming. He's not responding back to my producers. And you know what? So um, and he's, he, he was dogging him. In a, fun, in a fun kind of way. And then eventually, RFK did go on Jesse Waters' show. And the first thing he did was to address that. He said, hey, you know, one day I was watching your show and I heard you talk about how you trying to have me on. And I didn't even know you was trying to have me on. So I, I went and fired my booker. But I think he said it in a joking way. He probably had a, a stern talking to the guy, uh, whoever the booker no, was. But, I think he really did fire the booker. Because... because oh, you think so? <laughs> no, seriously, because... The person that was the original press person, I'm telling you, I've been in communication with this woman since mm -hmm. the day he announced. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, that was the one who said, oh, she kept going back and forth. You're in the queue. You're in the queue. You're in the queue. Mm -hmm. and, and these were times when I didn't even reach out. <laughs> so mm -hmm. just times where I wasn't even reaching out to check in. You're in the queue. We didn't forget about you. Hey, we remember you. And then I got that message that I told you guys about not too long ago where they were like, he has too many requests to fulfill. And then I was like, and I, I, I gave a pretty stern response. And I was like, yeah, um, that's interesting considering that I actually reached out for interview requests the week he announced his campaign. And I know that there were other outlets that reached out after I did, and he's already been on there twice. Wow. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, you got to let people know shit. Uh -huh. People uh -huh. fucking talk. So so I knew, and I said, well, that would be really disappointing to my audience. Anywho, and so I just kept it as it is. The next thing I know, I got a phone call last week from his his team, his press team, and it was a different person. And this this person told me that from now on they're the one that I need to speak to. Mm. And they said, and it was a black dude, and he said, mm. I'm moving you up in the queue. And mm. what was weird is he was like, What is your audience? And I said, Some of them are leftists, progressives, some of them are independents. There are a few that are conservative, not as many, mm. but there are a few. I said, but most of the people in my audience came from the Bernie Sanders movement and they're upset mm. with Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders movement turnout. Mm. But what was weird to me is that as many times as I've interviewed candidates, no one ever has called me and asked me, who is your audience? Mm. And what that, and that made me think about something. And I'm like, I have still to this day have not seen RFK on a left show. Not uh, once, not once. He'd been on Rising twice, but he ain't uh, been on Bree's show. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's the thing. Like, you ain't even got to. So Nick is like trying to put this 
once RFK Jr. and um, Dr. West to debate on RBN. Uh, Dr. West is all in. Okay. All in. Okay. Okay. But, so Aaron Good, who is a historian apparently, and apparently he's friends with RFK Jr. By the way, he interviewed RFK Jr. He's another one who has way, way less subscribers than we do. Uh-huh. This one I'm trying to tell you guys is not about subscriber count. And my friend uh-huh. in New Hampshire had like 200 subs and they interviewed him in person. Uh-huh. So he was like, I'm going to see what I can do. to. I'm, I'm going to try to get him and I'm pretty sure I can get him on board to say yes as well. Uh-huh. So here's the thing. Like, I don't know if RFK Jr. is going to say yes or not. But if RFK Jr. does not say yes, I will not be surprised. Cornell uh, West uh, has already said yes on camera. Okay. And I'm just going to say this. Listen, something is fishy to me, man. Something yeah. is weird to me. I told you guys, this shit don't seem real. You mean to tell me, Marianne Williamson, Cornell West, everybody else who's running, even that Vivek dude who's annoying and gets my fucking nerves, even Vivek has gone on to black shows. Yeah, going on to left shows. The Breakfast Club. I saw him on yes. Breakfast Club. And uh, yes. what's her name? Um, man, what's her name? Uh, Figaro. Tes- what's her Tes- first name? Tes- Figaro. Right. Yeah, she went right. in on him. But but mm-hmm. let's but listen. But RFK Jr., who's running as a Democrat, is only going on to libertarian shows and shows that have a conservative audience. And by the way, for those who don't know, I've been on Rising multiple times. Rising's audience is predominantly conservative. Conservative, yeah. Same thing with breaking points. You're running as a Democrat and you ain't going to no left shows? Guys, wake up. That's crazy. But, yeah, I I totally agree with what you're you're saying. And it's very fishy. I have to say that Aaron Good, I'm very familiar with him because I'm actually – you guys were talking about Patreon – before I'm, I'm a member of his uh patreon on um because he has some good podcasts there and he has an excellent book i recommend that for anyone uh listening called american exceptionalism and i always knew i started becoming kind of like a history nerd um and and knowing about different things about the deep state and all that stuff but american exceptionalism puts it all together put all the puzzle pieces together so anybody um who checks out books definitely check that out and also um i, I forgot bindu what was that book that you was talking about israel i i want to write that down because i would love to check that out if you're still with us uh, I'll, I'll put in the chat if you can but um sabi one of the things that he brought up on rising that i i was uh, a rising kill my ears. he said he's the only person against oh bindu go ahead oh okay he, he was the only person that he said he was the only person that was against Biden giving Iran $2 billion. Did you guys catch that? $2 billion. So I was thinking, is that the money that they, um, through sanctions, they're keeping Iran's own money from Iran? Is Because you can't give, it's like somebody steals a million dollars from you and they're like, ah, I'm going to give you back the pleasure of having your own million dollars. So I wish they would have dug in a little deeper on that. Maybe, Roger, if you're going to talk to him, I I would love to hear what he's talking about, that $2 billion to Iran. Go ahead, Roger. I remember um, in the Iran deal, we had their money, and Obama gave it, and Obama gave it, uh, 
gave it back to him. It was starting. I think he was starting to roll it out because that was part of the deal. But then, you know, Trump came and he just. But I think they got I I think they got their money before. You think he got all the money? I think they got all the money before Trump came in. Well, I would be curious what he means by that. What Biden was giving him to or is giving him two billion dollars. Sounds like pandering to APEC. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's totally pandering. I was just curious if it was their own money. That we're keeping from them. That was my question. Yes. In case. Yeah. Can you hear me? Hey. In case it's it, me, Scotty. I have a hey, theory Scotty. about what. Uh, and Savvy, this also directed to you. Um, I have a theory about why RFK is mainly going on libertarian uh, shows. And it's funny because, you know, he's was on Ring of Fire for years. Uh, talking yeah, to I remember. Main, yeah, mainly, yeah, mainly uh, liberal Democrats. But when he made the turn, as far as like with like talking about Anti-gag. vaccines and yeah, co- vaccine. yeah, COVID and stuff like that, uh, uh, that um, libertarian or right leaning libertarian audiences gravitated to. I think he's avoiding having to answer questions from his previous audience um and he he figures well these are the people that are hostile uh, towards me now so i'm not gonna uh put myself in a situation where i'm gonna go somewhere that one he's a politician anyway uh even though he hasn't ran for office i don't know if he's ever ran for office the two, like the the people that he originally was, um, like you know, doing like in the media for, like don't accept him, so he's just going to uh, places where he feels more comfortable. But also, I think he is just like, you know, pandering to APEC. That's just that's just, <laughs> that's just yeah, there's yeah, no I'm doubt about that. Sure. Like, he he's straight pandering to APEC. Um, I ain't got a ball. As far as Jimmy is concerned, I didn't actually hear about um, him, uh, you know, his statements about Cornell West, but um, I'll say this about Jimmy. He he does have good intentions in terms of um, how he feels that certain people, politicians can talk to like working class uh, people. Um, the problem with Jimmy is Jimmy has a habit of allowing certain people that, <laughs> like, you know, that assuages his ego. Like, you know, if you remember, yeah. he was a big Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, he was one of the last remaining people to support for Bernie Sanders uh, in 2016. Like, uh, if you remember that video where uh, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders was um, on, and it was, uh, I think it was the Washington, D.C. primary. And, you know, this is where they're trying to get Bernie to drop out earlier. And he's saying, like, yeah, <clears throat> we're going to take our fight to Philadelphia. And, uh, and Jimmy gets up and... He starts celebrating like, yeah, we're going to Philly, baby. We're fucking going to Philly, baby. 
as you look uh, at the rest of the, t- the panel of TYT, they're just sitting there, saying, like, already in their mind that they're going to end up supporting Hillary anyway. Like, he was still hopeful. Same thing yeah. happened with... The same thing happened with Tulsi. With Tulsi, it got really worse. Like, he allowed this woman to come in his home, his, you know, his garage, like, and basically use his audience to grift off him and doesn't call her out after after doing that. Like, like dog, she played you. She played you. She played Nico. She played combo couch, and you don't give her the same smoke as you do with Bernie, which he definitely deserves it. I mean, you have like he has an issue with like with like not really like like I think he I think he he's like correcting like his anger towards uh, the Democratic Party establishment, but like when. And this is a character flaw. When you allow your ego to like get the best of you, um, like it, it can hurt your judgment sometimes, and it shows yeah. from time to time. So, and, but, and, that's, go ahead. and that's that's what I mean about you have to. When it comes to politicians, just like Delphia said, um, it's not if but when they will disappoint. Uh, uh So you have to be prepared for that Uh and make getting behind politicians a secondary thing, okay? Uh I keep Uh saying, look, he's in a state where he can make this shit happen himself. Uh I've I've said it on on this show many a time, even though he walks out the room, whatever the case is, but Stephanie hears me, you know what I mean? Uh And be like, yo, Uh look, you ain't got to, why are you depending on politicians for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm going to go in like uh, five minutes because I do have to head out on the road pretty soon. Um, but okay. go ahead, Case. I wanted you to I, go ahead and finish up. I'm going to finish up. I'm just say this last thing that, you know, I, I wanted to promote the force the debate, which is to try to push Biden to debate RFK and Marianne Williamson. But at this point, I'm changing um, the strategy to having RFK and Marion Wilson debate or and at least it would be great to include Cornell West because they can't wait for the DNC to set something up, even though I have a, a little theory that I think they're going to switch out Biden last minute and put somebody else in there, I feel. But um, anyway, that's the, the last thing. Thank you for the normal Ray movie. I got to check that out. I looked it up and I found it on HBO Max. So I'm going to be checking out that movie. Please watch it, Case. It's yeah. a classic in reference to like unionization. Oh, and by the way, my shirt came in today. Keep up the fight shirt came in. It's fit a little tight. I got extra large. It fits a little tight, but I got to lose some weight anyway. You got a tight shirt. Yeah, that's I got to lose some weight. That's because Case is a little bit on the muscular side. Like I got I got a large and it's it's pretty loose, but um, but you know I've been I've been pumping a lot of iron uh recently. Nice. In fact, uh, nice the the I, not yesterday, not today, not this morning. This morning was okay, but um, Saturday morning my husband tried to kill me. Um, oh, in, in the gym, and he said <laughs> felt that way. He was like, yeah. well, 
now that you've reached this level, you might as well just stick with that one. And he was like, come on, we got to do three sets to 10. And I was like, the fuck? Oh, man. These weights are heavy. And he was like, I said, I don't go past 10. I do one 10 dumbbell and another 10 dumbbell in both hands. So that's 20 pounds. And he was like, no, we're going to bench press. And the bar by itself is 45 pounds. And so you look at the bar and you're like, oh, I got this. You start looking at the bar and you're like, okay. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. I've been, um, I, tried, I tried to work out with my wife and she did not. That was the last time she worked out with me because I was trying to push her a little bit like you did. But I think my, my um, I don't have the soft skills. I've made to push her a little too hard. And that was the last time she worked out with me ever. But I, I do see your pictures from when you're like on the running, the treadmill. I see, and you're taking yeah, pictures so, of like CNN or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I I multitask, so like when I'm picking stories, I'll just be like, okay, because I don't do the treadmill too long like I used to. I focus yeah. more on weightlifting, and um and so I plank every day. Like nice. I become like a plank freak. I don't know if you guys nice. you guys plank, but I become a plank freak. So I plank every day, and that's good. Um just always like engaging the core so that's a big thing but the other thing is like when it comes to like like the weights and stuff like i'm like really killing it and i'm actually really proud of myself but like he really pushed me into the point that i'm like wait i really can do like way more than i thought i could and so now it's just like like when i went to the gym this morning and i did weightlifting this morning i was just like whatever dude it was just like me and the dudes and I would love nice. to see for the women who are listening. I would love to see more women in the weight area, by the way, <laughs> instead of just on the cardio machines. Like we can lift weights too. Nice. We can do it. <laughs> I had an idea, Sabrina. Ha, ha, have you or anybody seen the video of Amali Ashatella? I think that's how you pronounce his name of the African Socialist um, Organization. He on Twitter and he was doing and he's like 80 something or maybe I don't know how yeah. exactly how old he, he was doing. He had the bars on his shoulder and doing the dips. Did anybody ever see that video? I saw that. I'm trying to tell you like these older dudes be doing nothing. Like when I go to the gym, because I usually go, I always go in the morning, like early. Mm-hmm. And it's usually me. And I'm not kidding you guys. It's usually me and a bunch of older dudes. And like the older dudes, I'm like, they could be my dad or my grandpa and they are killing it. Like I'm over there. I'm just like, listen, I'm going to lift. I'm going to, I'm going to do this 45 pounds. I'm going to lift it. And they over there, they got the bench press and they have the bar and they have like 140 freaking pounds. Embarrassing people. These are older dudes. (laughs) My dad, he's 92. Uh-huh. He he used to run five miles a day. He stopped two years ago because he finally, his knees gave out. He lifts weights. He does yoga. He's 92. He looks about 70. Wow. It's, it's unbelievable, this man. That's so, awesome. So, so this is my is. idea, Sabrina, because, you know, I think, I don't know if he has a, a place to donate for his, because, you know, they're going through the legal issues with the FBI and, and all that stuff. But you know how they had the um, ACL challenge, the ice bucket challenge back in the day? And then you would nominate somebody and you're trying to raise awareness to help raise money for they did it for a ALS or um, yeah, ALS. I was thinking, like, what if 
like I we we did that. Like I was thinking about starting it. I would show a video working out, and then I'll say I want to challenge Sabrina. I know I've seen Bree jogging and stuff before, and then I'll get Nick is he does jujitsu or he you know MMA. So I want I don't know if he works out, but I would throw him on there and say, hey, um, join me in the Amalia Satella challenge where we try to promote raising money for him and then do this. What you thought? What do you think about that, Sabrina? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I'm telling you guys, like, the reason why I keep saying weightlifting is because cardio machines cost money, right? Like, either you have to buy the machine or you have to go get a membership. But Mm. if you have dumbbells, which you can get dumbbells from, like, Marshalls or Walmart for, like, five bucks. I'm not kidding. If you have dumbbells, you can do so much, like, in reference to exercises. Like, just look on YouTube. They're free videos. They show you how to do squats with dumbbells. You can get the resistance bands, with the also, which are also really cheap, by the way, where you put the bands around your legs and you do squats and you do the um, the crab and the spider crawl with the resistance bands on you. And that shit, you will feel it. I'm just telling you, you will feel it. So what I'm telling you is like, like if you really want to burn, like if you really want to get that burn and you want to burn calories faster, you're actually better off doing that by weightlifting instead of cardio. Now, I still do a little bit of cardio, not as much as I used to. I do a little bit just to get like my my blood flowing and, you know, watch my news a little bit so I can critique that shit and, <laughs> and then go back home and like look at case study QB clips. Um, <laughs> but I, I watch it and I listen to music at the same time and I put it on captions, like that kind of thing just to get like two miles in, right? Mm. I used to do four miles. Like I used to be doing like four miles and I was like, and I was like, you know what? Because I talked to, I did my free training session and my trainer, my free trainer was like, you know, you can just do four miles like for the 30 minutes and before that do the weights. Always do weights before cardio. That's important. Um, oh, I yeah, you want to do weights before cardio. Oh, but you you want to do stretching before all of that, though, right? Yes, bef- yes, absolutely. But I do that before I go to the gym and I'm- and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, like, but I plank every single day. And ever yeah. since I started planking, like, if you have trouble sitting up straight or you have issues with your posture, oh, that's me. will fix that. Okay. And it will fix it because... When you plank, you have your back has to be straight. You can't like you can't dip in, you can't dip out. Like your back has to be straight. And so when you start planking, like your back just naturally afterwards you just sit straight up because your body's used to doing that, right? The other thing too, man, I'm trying to tell you, there's no such thing as target weight loss. So you can't target one part of your body and be like, I'm just, I want to fix my legs. So I'm just going to focus on like, no, you have to do a full body workout and that's how you do it. So for the people who say they want to fix their tummy or whatever, you can't just focus on abs. You're going to have to do squats, lunges. And I know a lot of people don't like lunges, but you're going to have to do squats, lunges, you're going to have to do leg press. You're going to have to do upper body too. You have to do a full body workout. And the thing is, like, 
I used to be like really good at this, like, especially like when I was younger, like this was nothing to me. Like, and I mean nothing when I said like nothing, it was nothing for me to just like run and, you know, walk miles and do all this cardio and do a couple of dumbbells here and there. But as you get older, what happens is like your body doesn't respond to cardio the way it did when you were like 21. That's just naturally. It's harder for women than it is for men, for those of you listening. So the men will be able to, you know, benefit from this faster than women, unfortunately. But that's just how it is. Because like men don't have, you know, men don't have uh, the women things. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they say women over 40, squats weights are way better than cardio do a bit of cardio but squats planks the things you're saying are the best yeah even in your even in your 30s i'm trying to tell you like even in your 30s you're a baby yeah <laughs> like the cardio yeah like it'll be even the running like yeah like when you're in your 20s early 30s i think cardio is going to benefit you but as you get to like i would say about 34 you're going to have to add weight and the thing yeah. is well you're a baby you're like in your early 30s right <laughs> well you look you're a babe you look like a baby <laughs> I, i'm not in my early 30s don't take i'm about me to be 40 there. this year don't take me back there but you have to you're going to have to build muscle and absolutely the thing is too is I had to change my diet, meaning that, and this is the hardest part. Everything else was pretty easy with the diet, but pasta was the hardest thing for me. But I, oh, yeah. I haven't had pasta in like two months. I are you keto? Hmm? Are, you, are you doing keto? No, I don't. Do That's any, really good. I, that helps lose no, a lot of weight. I, I don't do those those things because <laughs> once you get away from those diets, my friend did a keto. Once you get away from it, you gain like so much weight back. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't do those things. Yeah. Uh, number two, like I don't really mess with dairy like that. I don't. I try mm, to limit good. dairy because it makes me break out. Oh, I don't touch yeah. dairy. Yeah, it it makes everybody break out, and they say yeah. that's not true. I'm an esthetician. Of course, it does. The inflammation, okay. yeah, yeah, all the inflammation mm-hmm. in your body, it does that to you. Yeah, yeah. and so it builds up mucus. Yeah. They finally, it's after it's also the reason why I stay away from tomatoes. And I, I used to, I used to eat tomatoes a lot. I still have it every now and then, but mm-hmm. if I get a salad and it has tomatoes, I usually say no tomatoes because tomatoes do claw do they're good for you. But at the same time, they do cause inflammation. Well, of course they do. They're in the nightshade family. Potatoes, tomatoes, green peppers. People with arthritis should keep way far away from those things Uh because it it, uh, builds up lecithins in your your joints. And it makes your arthritis worse. You can promote it, too. This is exactly why people like Tom Brady. Tom Brady doesn't eat tomatoes. I don't eat them very mm. much either. So that's that's one of the things they do inflame, right? So yep. I switched to I I used to do a smoothie. I used to be really good about this doing the smoothies, and then I got away from it. But then yeah, I got me back too. on it this year, and so I do the smoothie as a meal replacement for breakfast, 
Mm -hmm. Um, And on the weekend, I do it as a meal replacement for lunch. But I always make my green smoothies and I put the protein powder in the smoothie and I do not use the protein powder with whey. I can't handle whey. Sabby tummy don't like the way you're probably <laughs> lactose intolerant. Most people are and don't even know it. Like, yeah, oh. so yeah. So, so keep use, away from that. I use the protein power powder that's plant based. And I found one that's actually tastes really good. And I, I posted it on Twitter because I was like a pea, pea protein one. one. There's different ones. I yeah. use the one by um, let me see. Garden of Life. Um, I I've used them all. My vitamins <laughs> will buy Garden of Life. Garden of Life I stopped buying because um, Nestle bought them up about five years ago. This but one they... is by Orgain. Okay, don't know Orgain, that one. Orgain Simple Plant Protein Powder, 20 grams protein, gluten-free, organic nuts and seeds, and I use the creamy chocolate flavor. Yeah, avoiding gluten is good for most people too. I have Crohn's disease. I have to avoid it like the plague. Yeah, a friend of mine had that. A friend of mine had Crohn's. But here's the thing. So I take the two scoops of the protein powder, put it into like just one cup of almond milk. That's another thing, guys. With no sugar and no carotenin. (laughs) Exactly. Do not use almond milk that has carotenin or almond milk that has sugar. Carotenin, yeah. That's it's you're wasting your time. So I use the, the the basic one and then I put two scoops of the protein powder, spinach. I have spinach every day. Literally Spirulina is really good for you too. It's it's if 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 we if there was no more food on the planet, you could live on spirulina. It's a sea vegetable, but an organic like a clean source one. Um, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I grew up with a health nut father, so I know all this stuff. So. Sabrina. Hmm? I wasn't said- finished. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, ahead, leave Sabrina. us alone. <laughs> yeah, Roger, what are you doing? Go ahead, <laughs> Sabrina. So I have the spinach, and I put a bunch of spinach in there. Um, and then some type of berry, whether it's blackberry, blueberry, or strawberry, or... Yeah. And then I'll, I also have papaya. I'll put that in sometimes with it. Um, yeah. Or I'll do like a mango, which I also have. We also have pineapple. Um, and yeah, you got to watch the mango and the pineapple for the sugar though, right? Yeah. Right. And that's why I usually stick to the berry. And yeah, the blueberries are always a good one. Mm-hmm. Or and raspberries. People, yeah. And this is why people, when people ask, like sometimes... Sometimes when I when I air the clips, I am in the comments like sometimes and I'll say hit that like button and I'll see some comments from people like Sabby's skin is very nice. Like, yeah, you have beautiful skin. It's the spinach and the berries. I'm not kidding because it has vitamin A and vitamin K. Well, putting the spinach in a blender breaks up the cellulose too. So it's more bioavailable to your body. If you just eat it as a salad, it's hard. And anything with vitamin C will help it go right into your body better to make it more. There you go. And by the way, guys, if you don't like oranges and you can't, or you can't, or you don't like orange juice, you can't have it. There's vitamin C in strawberries. That's right. I wanted to say that because... I don't like orange juice, so I'm just letting you guys know, like that's not my jam. And too um, much acid. Yes, I don't. I don't like it. And then I use um, 
a teaspoon, or excuse me, a tablespoon of chia seeds, a tablespoon of flax seeds, and then I use like a teaspoon of almond butter. You um, sound like me. That's my healthy fat. That's my. You sound like me. I I watch everything I eat. Or I use like um, avocado if if I have. Oh yeah, you have to have avocado. Uh Yeah, if it's right. Some avocado. I put that in there, and then I have this thing called. You know what? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make a video of this one day, and it's gonna be like a YouTube short to show people how I make these smoothies because I also have the Captain Oats, which is already cracked. And I take like a tablespoon of that and throw that in. I don't know what that is. Captain Oats? What's that? It's oats to make oatmeal, but I don't make the oatmeal. I get the ones that are already cracked. So they're like crumbs. And you just take a tablespoon of it and you toss it in. You can have it that way. Um, And I have that. Sometimes I'll throw in a little bit of, um, you know, raw organic honey but I, I haven't used that in a while actually um yeah but I blend all that bad boy up and then I just sip it down and it, it tastes really good and for people who are wondering about the spinach you don't taste the spinach because, no like, my sister asked me that and she was like I don't want to drink spinach I'm like you don't taste it you don't taste it when you mix it yeah you have a Vitamix no, no I haven't used Vitamix I have a um, Vitamix for for my smoothies you can take your oatmeal and put it in the blender and make flour and cook things with it too, like regular flour in lieu of using the gluten. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll <laughs> say this last. Thing. I could talk about this for hours. I've been know, watching right? what I eat for like since I was like for for like forty five years. So, <laughs> and also, I was going to say to people too is like, this is very important about bananas. I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube where people are making smoothies and they're like, oh, yeah, you just throw on a whole banana. Never High in sugar. throw in an entire banana into a smoothie. I break bananas up and I take two pieces of the banana and put it in. And this is very important, especially for people who are diabetic or pre-diabetic. Yeah, the high sugar content. Exactly. You never put an entire banana into a smoothie. You don't need it. You don't need all of that. Like the sugar with the banana, you got to be careful. So you just take like two pieces of the banana and put it in the smoothie. And I take my bananas and I break them up and I put them into pieces and put them into a bag and put them in the freezer. So when I pull everything, by the way, I use frozen fruit. So when I pull all the stuff out, the smoothie's already cold. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so I gained... Go ahead. Case. I, I gained 15 pounds. Remember, I went on vacation two weeks ago. I gained 15 pounds because it was all-inclusive. So I was like, I'm getting all my money's worth. I'm eating every minute. I'm never going to be um, hungry <laughs> one minute of this whole vacation. So I gained 15 pounds in like four days. And then to, wow. I, I got it off, though, by doing intermittent fasting where I, I don't eat my um breakfast i don't eat i only eat between noon and then i try to stop eating around eight o'clock if i can help yeah i try to eat one meal a day yeah that's how i got it off did you go go on the keto diet or just intermittent fast fast i'm on the the keto um and only it's like a which is ironic right keto vegan but i i cut out the rice but i eat um like chipotle for example i would 
eat the chicken and then I'll have the salad and sauces and all the, the yeah. and stuff like that. But I need to do, I, I was able to lose 20 pounds in two months by just going vegan for two months and going to the gym. So I need to go back to that. Good one. for you. I did yeah. that like a couple years ago case where mm. I did vegan before six and like, I just, the, like I was just able to drop like pounds yeah. without exercise and I um had a lot of energy because of it. Honestly, it got to the point though I had too much energy and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't have trouble sleeping because of the vegan mm. whole thing. Oh yeah. The other one too, like like vegan is not for everyone. I do want to tell nope. everybody this. Like not everyone can do it. In fact, mm. like one of my um relatives on my extended family she was vegan and she got pregnant and then her doctor told her you cannot do this anymore so like not everybody can be vegan um but i will say i did it for a whole year i wasn't planning for it to last that long um but i did notice other things happen like my nails were really brittle i did have trouble sleeping i did have hangnails and i was eating like mushrooms peanut butter like all the things that have the protein but it just did not replace the amount of protein that i needed i did that too i was Mm -hmm. vegan for a year and i missed the meat and my nails were breaking my hair so i slowly added organic meat started with organic chicken or get grass-fed beef and i'm a carnivore i like my meat (laughs) now But yeah, yeah. for some people that are pregnant, like you may not be able to do it. You have to have some, yeah. Vegan is a scary thing when you're pregnant. Yeah, my parents are from Barbados, so I gotta have my curry goat, my jerk chicken. I gotta, (laughs) oh, yeah. uh, I'm getting hungry now. First, I was motivated to do some push ups after calling. Now I'm getting hungry. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> Do some squats and go to bed. Well, what time is it where you guys are? It's three thirty-six. Oh, you're the same time zone as me, so you're owls oh. like me. <laughs> yeah, I'm in NYC with Roger. Oh, I said, um, what was I going to say? No, I'm, well, I'm not in the city. Um, yes, spinach. Just to let you know. Has a lot of oxalic acid. Oxalic acid, I know. So, so you need vitamin C. You need to break it apart for your for it to be bioavailable to your body. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that that strips the uh, calcium from your bones. There. Yeah, so, yeah. It leaches it. Yeah. You have to um, be careful with it. But if you're mixing it with other stuff, you're fine. Yeah. 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 Um, I wanted to. Me and milk are not friends. I don't rock with milk. I don't rock with whey. Which is the milk most people protein. don't don't even know it. Like mm-hmm. when they do elimination diets, they realize they shouldn't be on those things. We're not cows; no. we're people. No. Yeah. Also, also, um, I wanted to ask uh, Bendu. Um, did you see when um, Pasta was getting interviewed by uh, Kit? Is he still there? Bindu. Bindu's there, but Bindu might be might have fallen asleep. Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm still here. Sorry about that. I'm at work. <laughs> oh, you at work? Yeah. Uh, no, I did not. Did I did not see that interview. No, I did. Okay. 
So what you can, what so, but you saw the Sabrina interview that happened like a week later. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to play something for you where actually it kind of started from because it was a question that I was proposing on the chat. Okay. So here it is. About going to speak to Trump voters to get some of them back. I like to put the brakes on that for a second. Before you go over there and speak to the folks, it is more important to speak to the community from which you came. The black community is uh, being taken for granted again. He needs to come home first before going venturing off into Trump land. Nope. There's this assumption that uh, we'll vote for him. But I will tell you, the boomer silent mature women from my community is vote blue no matter who. Very true, Roger. Um, uh, the under 50 crowd got burned by our first black president. Yep, Obama drinking that water, remember in Flint, and are becoming single issued voters around issues like lineage based reparations, conservative on immigration and the border, which have hurt our community. They get rigged, they get triggered when they hear universal programs and a university type thinking saying we uh, were hurt or left out of them which is why they want something specific for our community. Also, let's not only ask them what they will push for and be willing to sign into office, we need to demand to them the things that they can do without Congress, not just uh, executive orders, but laws that are already passed in the books. Thank you so much, everyone, for the Rockfin Super Chats. We do appreciate it. You guys are the answer. Uh, but also, please be sure to throw a like button. Uh, before, we get, uh, before we move on to our next segment, because this is going to be a funny segment, we're, we're going to laugh. In the next segment, right? <clears throat> I do have a comment about some of those comments. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, okay, okay. Yeah, that's actually what I want to talk So go ahead, Pasta. Here's a chance for you well, to Number one, the movement says he's got to go talk to his own people first or his own clan first or his own community first before he talks to anybody else. That's wrong. He's running for president. He's got to talk to everybody. He's got to start building a movement so he can do multiple things at one time. You have to be able to speak to multiple people at one time. I think that's what RFK is doing right now. And when he says that I'm happy that he likes me, I disagree with him. He's talking directly to his supporters. Laura Loomer, who's a hardcore Donald Trump person, put up yesterday, look at freaking RFK. I respect him so much. He's better than DeSantis. And I was like, I think he's better than Trump, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can have those conversations. You can have those talks. That's what he's effectively doing. So he has to do that. But, yes, he's got to also concentrate on, you know, his own people. But remember, he's going to get those votes anyways. He's got to go after the votes that are the low-hanging fruit first where he can grab some people over certain issues and then kind of have some hard conversation to get those independents that are not, you know, sold on either the Democratic person or the or Donald Trump or whoever comes out of the Republican primary. Secondly, the whole thing about me not believing in elections, uh, the ballot initiative, dude, uh, that's just false. I understand the election system better than anybody. Really. I do. It is my still one of my most important subjects. It's what I pride myself in knowing. I have been uh, blessed to be able to go to these other countries and study our elections. Like nobody does me and Fee do, right? Me and Fee and Johnny. Well, we go over to these other countries, observe these elections, come back report on them. There are people who watch those elections, but they're mostly concentrating on the socioeconomics, the imperialism, and the movement over there as real true social justice warriors, not the fake ones back home. Right. So they're they're mostly concentrating on that, concentrating on that. There's a small bit of us who concentrate on this. I am going to push Dr. Cornell West. I am going to push RFK on these elections. I'm going to constantly bring it up. I'm going to talk to their campaigns if they want me to advise them on how to have fair elections. Did you see the Cornell West interview? Kid, 
Did you see me ask him these questions? I asked him straight up, should we have mass mail? We talked about, he, he, he loves Fannie Lou Hamer, who was arrested for trying to vote. At the end of the day, she's just not a civil rights movement person. She's an election integrity activist. And I'm going to use that to my advantage. RFK has already looked at this, right? The same way I've talked to Trumpers and people on the right. I'm going to talk to everybody. I'm going to push these people to reform the, our elections. Columbia was one of the elections that really inspired me more than anything. The magistrate, my favorite person that I talked to in all these countries that I went there, one of the 11 magistrates in Colombia, he was the one for the people, mostly the, the, the party trying to get into office to, to make these radical changes. He had said election after election after election in the past, the people were knowledgeable about their elections. They were able to push in one section to change something in that election to eventually they got to the point where they reformed the whole system and that last election, that magistrate said to us in a room, this is going to be Colombia's most transparent and fair election ever. And, it, you know, it's so, yeah, I mean, the other stuff he was talking about when I was regarding the ballot initiative stuff, that was like something different because he was kind of like dumping on that before, uh, like two years ago. But all of a sudden, people start running that he likes all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, yeah, we got unfair elections, but let's push this anyway, which is all I was asking as far as as far as far uh, you could still push the ballot initiatives. But the other thing I was just talking about is just the dismissiveness when it came to our community. So I was just playing that for you, uh, uh, Ben Duke, well, seeing if you heard that. Well, I just want to say this, and then I got to go. I just want to say what was really interesting to me is that the statement that RFK Jr. is talking to everyone, as we've proven tonight, that is not the case. He's not talking to everyone. He's talking to libertarian outlets. He's talking to uh, more shows that have conservative viewers, even though he's running as a Democrat. He's not talking to black shows. I haven't seen RFK Jr. on The Breakfast Club. I haven't seen him on Bad Faith. He hasn't been on my show. He hasn't been on RBN, although they're trying to make that happen. But for the most part, he he made sure that, or his campaign made sure that they put those white shows first. So he's not talking to everyone. I don't know where Pasta like got that impression. And the other thing I want to say as well is that we talk about this whole idea of, um, you know, uh, people reaching out to people in, in their community and who you should put first. This is the same problem that the Bernie Sanders campaign had. Yeah. The Bernie Sanders campaign was like, we just need to promote universal policies and don't we're not going to focus on like reparations or what's good for black people. We're just going to focus on universal policies to uplift everybody, not addressing the idea that black people would still be at the bottom. And that was a big problem for I know a lot of black voters for Bernie Sanders. So the thing is, is like RFK Jr. in, in a sense, again, as someone who is an environmental lawyer. And this is why I think he's not coming on left shows. Someone who's an environmental lawyer who has defended communities who are black or indigenous that have been targeted by environmental disasters. He still doesn't seem to understand that it's important to put 
those people to the front of the line. He's put them to the back of the line. He ain't go, he ain't talked to none of those people since he decided to run for president. And that is very concerning. The fact that he's sitting here and he's willing to ignore the Palestinian flight. And it's always Israel has the right to exist. It's never Palestine has the right to exist. This is very revealing for a lot of people. And the fact that Dennis Kucinich can sit back there when he knows he was toe and toe with someone like Cynthia McKinney and Cynthia McKinney had her opinions about we should push for the Palestinian people and he's a part of this campaign. What the fuck is this really about? Let's be real. Exactly. And, and that's why you don't see him come on these left shows. That's why he hasn't been on Bad Faith. That's why he's not been on my show. That's why he's not been on RBM. That's why you've not seen him on. He ain't going to no black show. What presidential candidate has not been on The Breakfast Club? Think about this, guys. Yeah. And 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 just the simple fact of, of the matter is that, oh, they're going to vote for him anyway. Black people never voted green. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Is gonna. I guess you're saying that. Oh, we're gonna vote for him because he's black, and no, because black people under fifty, especially in their thirties, uh, they're they're kind of like, I will, you know, we'll see, whatever. But no, older black people, they're doing, you know, vote blue no matter who. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I don't, you know, like, and it was just dismissive. But, I gotta go. All right. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. But before we go, Sabrina, I had to do one hot boy retraction. Um, I saw Danny Haifong on um, location somewhere and got a full look at him. And I'm like, no, I retract that. Okay. What? Girl, yes. <laughs> he was somewhere on location. And I, I think the shadowing on his set makes him look hotter but when i saw him in full view i was like oh child i need a v8 um <laughs> but good morning Damn. everybody good morning good morning good morning good morning damn noel all right guys thanks so much for hanging out bye okay yeah. see you all bye. yeah good morning all i gotta go too gotta get some sleepies <laughs>